It's time right now for the David Feldman Show. He's talking politics and comedy too. He'll tell a dirty joke if you want him to. He's just a lefty from way back. He's a union man with an Emmy for writing. Someday he's mad and he feels like fighting. It's time right now for the David Feldman Show to get your ears on right, buckle in real tight. He's got a lot to say and he's coming your way. All right, I will do this right one day. One day I will get it right. Unbelievable. Welcome to the mop-up for June 7th, 2021. I'm David Feldman coming to you trapped inside an apartment overlooking an air shaft inside a parking garage somewhere in Manhattan where the temperature is 90 degrees and was a little wet outside, but only when I went for a walk. I go back inside and then I can see like a, 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 a just a little sliver of sunlight peeking through the bricks of my air shaft. And then I go back outside and it starts raining again there's just a a rain cloud over david feldman so hey here's an interesting fact there is a thin line between the smell of brussels sprouts and the smell of a mouse dying in your oven did you know that over the week i had a very busy weekend and i'll I'll get to this dan in a second look what i got i got uh all-purpose joint compound and uh i don't know what this is called uh, a putty knife we'll, we'll talk putty about knife. it it's a what it is a putty knife it's a putty knife i was filling mouse holes all weekend because you ever see the cartoon tom and jerry it's one of my favorites yes well I, my apartment is just jerry and jerry it's just <laughs> mice it's just mice and they're little holes and you, you get brillo pads and you, you stuff the hole with uh a Brillo pad, and then you you get a putty knife, and then you go to uh, you go to Home Depot, and instead of buying the spray can that shoots the foam into the hole, you you act like a man. Something I've never done once in my life, but this weekend I did it. I acted like a man. I had butt crack. I had butt crack going all the way down to my vagina. That's how. That's what a man I was today. I was bent over, filling holes at the the mice. And uh, so you put a Brillo pad in the hole, and then you 
put the putty knife into this thing, into the putty, and then you put it over the Brillo pads. And I woke up and there were fresh mouse droppings. So what I'm going to do after today's show, I'm going to go to my front door and fill it with Brillo pads and take this putty and just put the putty over the front door so I can't get into this apartment because my life is a nightmare. Um, anyway, there's a thin line, Dan, between the smell of Brussels sprouts and the smell of a mouse dying in your oven. That's what I discovered over the weekend. Uh, I kept wondering who the hell would be cooking Brussels sprouts first thing in the morning, Who, like 6 a.m., Brussels sprouts. Who who would be cooking Brussels sprouts again for lunch? And I began to worry that my neighbor is running one of those prepackaged, fully prepared Brussels sprouts import export businesses, and I will forever be smelling Brussels sprouts. Brussels sprouts. Brussels sprouts. Uh, who who thought of eating Brussels? Sprouts. Who was the genius who smelled a Brussels sprout and said, that's going on my plate? That looks delicious. I did some research. It turns out the reason they're called Brussels sprouts is because if you visit Brussels, Belgium, true fact, they, they still, it's 21st century, they still have no indoor plumbing in Brussels, Belgium. And so that's what the entire city of Brussels smells like, a, a town without indoor plumbing. And that's why it's called Brussels sprouts, because Brussels sprouts smell like Brussels, Belgium. The good news is nobody is cooking Brussels sprouts. Like I said, there's a thin line between the smell of Brussels sprouts and a dead mouse. And turns out uh, I sealed the holes and put some bait out that liquefies the innards of a mouse. They eat the bait and then they go back to, they're supposed to go back to their hole and die a, a, a very uh, benevolent death. I'm a vegan and a Buddhist, by the way, but not when it comes to uh, mice they, they carry uh, diseases. They, 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 they make men like me act like, uh, not act like whatever you want to call a man these days, but I, I make a sound. When I see a, a mouse, it's, it's my cum face followed by uh, a high-pitched yelp. Uh, and it, it's not attractive. It's not attractive when I see a mouse. So they carry diseases of turning a very uh, macho man into something else that I don't know what you can call it these days. But I, I make a cum face and I uh, hit uh, C, a C note three octaves higher than what you're uh, listening to now. So a mouse died in my oven and uh, because... He couldn't see. I put the putty. See what I have here? I puttied up the holes so he couldn't go back to his home and die there. He crawled into my oven 
and uh, died there. And uh, so I had a dead mouse in my oven. Turns out, uh, I don't know how, I don't know how he died in my oven. It doesn't work. Uh, I like, I hope it was the bait. Uh, I don't think the mouse stuck his head in the oven and turned the gas on because my oven doesn't work. Uh, I've tried to do that. I've tried to stick my head in the oven and turn the gas on. Uh, doesn't work. By the way, if you're a mouse who's thinking of sticking your head into an oven and turning on the gas, call the 800 number that we're putting on the screen right now. It, it gets better. Uh, so anyway, I traced the dead mouse smell. And, well, I didn't at first I couldn't trace it. it. It permeated the entire apartment, which really isn't that hard for the smell of a dead mouse to do, considering my apartment is the size of a dead mouse. But after about 12 hours, I think by Sunday, I was able to zero in on the smell, and it was definitely coming from the oven. By the way, uh, I know you don't have to wear a mask anymore. My apartment masks are mandatory, not because of COVID, uh, because of uh, certain odors from mouses, 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 mices, mice dying in my, why is it Brussels sprouts? By the way, shouldn't it be Brussels sprouts? That's that's some, that's a a vegetable designed to intimidate people with sibilant problems. They call it Brussels sprouts, so that people who have either dentures or, or sibilant issues can't order Brussels sprouts at a restaurant without spraying the waiter. It's it is the most sadistic vegetable known to mankind, Brussels sprouts. So uh, anyway, quickly opened up my oven and there there the mouse was dead. And I just slammed the oven door shut. And uh, after today, after this show, I will be f flushing that mouse and the oven down my toilet. And then after I flush the mouse and the oven down my toilet, I'm going to flush myself down the toilet because I'm stuck. I have no life. I have nothing other than than dead mice and the smell of rot. All weekend, dead mouse and a house fly the size of a pigeon. This thing flies around the apartment like it's Francis Gary Powers piloting a U-2 reconnaissance mission over Moscow. It's just hovering. And I'm thinking, okay, this is, I can get this. I can get this guy. And he's just hovering over me. But the minute I reach for my towel to like snap him out of the sky, he starts performing these barrel rolls, these high-speed barrel rolls, like he's one of the Blue Angels. And I can't get him. I can't. He's just he's just hovering around me, waiting for me to try to snap him out of the sky. And then he is, you know, he's one of the flying leathernecks. Uh, it's a house fly in my apartment. And that makes no sense because this isn't a house. This is a closet. Uh, I should have a problem with moths, not house flies. I don't have a house. I have a closet. And how does a housefly get into this apartment? 
I don't open the windows. I'm not allowed to. The, the city has said to me, they're complaining about a stench. Could you please keep your windows shut? That's that's how bad this apartment stinks from the dead mass. I'm not allowed to open my windows because of the smell. The, uh, so I got this dead mouse in the oven and I have a a house fly the size of a Zeppelin circling around me. It's either a floater in my eye or this mouse. And I'm praying that it's one of my floaters. I, I'd rather be going blind than have to live with this house fly. I have these two floaters that I've had for about five years. And, and the eye doctor says there's nothing you can do about it. And now I can't tell if the two floaters are the, the, the fly and or the mouse or the onset of glaucoma. I, I hope it's glaucoma. Uh, at least, well, you can't get rid of glaucoma. Well, okay. I accept the dead mouse, uh, and I and I understand that to uh, a housefly, a dead mouse is like a, a Chipotle burrito, because that's what's inside a Chipotle burrito, a, a dead mouse and houseflies. But I never let this fly in. I don't know how it got in to my apartment, and and we're gonna find out. Anyway, that's my life. I was going to do the news, but we're going to run Dave Cyrus because we kept we kept having technical issues with Dave Cyrus. And I'm uh, going to bring on Dave Cyrus in, in three minutes. I want to play Mike Steinel, Mike Steinel's song that is about what I'm going through. So I'll play that in a second. Dan, are you there? Yes, sir. Have you uh, turned your video on? Have you ever puttied holes? Yes, I have. Yeah. It, it made me feel very responsible to, to be oh. sealing the walls. Did you buy sandpaper? Because the next day or two, you're supposed to sand it so it's flush with the wall. No, I don't care how what it oh, looks okay. like. <laughs> this is my, anything nice in my apartment will just remind me of what I could have if I were a better human being. So I, I like things to just be in a permanent state of decay. Well, you'll be back. You're on the schedule for Community Billboard, I believe, in a couple of hours. Is that correct, sir? I haven't even looked at the schedule. Okay. I'm why not don't, sure. Why don't we have do you consider that? that the housefly may have caught a ride on the mouse to get in? You're saying that, well, they didn't, yeah, that's right. Don't they bring, don't mice bring Yes. Also, also uh, from your opening, I gather you must have a hole in your oven somewhere. If a mouse got in there. Hmm. 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 A <laughs> hole a in my oven. <laughs> Jesus. Here comes Dave Cyrus. Uh, I'm going to play a song by A Hole in My Oven. Well, I'm, I got to get rid of this oven. doesn't work. So. All right. Let me... <laughs> All in my oven. Let me play this song uh, by uh, Professor Mike Steinel, who will be with us later on this evening to unveil a new song. But I love this one, if I can find it. It's called Something Serious, and it goes a little something like this.
Something died in my garage. Yes, indeed. Something died in my garage. I don't know what it could be. It's a mystery to me. It might be a possum. It might be a raccoon. It might be my crazy neighbor who plays a bassoon. Something died in my garage. That's right. I alerted my entourage. I went on 
almost astronomic. Son of a gun, it was a worst of the worst, a dried up homeless comic. And he was wearing a corsage. Something that my garage. That's right. Peabody Award winning Writers Guild. You're not a Peabody Award winning writer. No, no, I'm not. No, why does your name say fuck you on it? Uh, Because of how many times you've made me do this. Okay. Because you sent me a link that made me fill in a bunch of information before I could get on the Zoom. So I shouldn't have to do that. I agree with you. I've been having technical problems. Today we're going to talk about Ellie Kemper. Sure. Chrissy Teigen, Logan. Why not? And yeah, I'm putting his pants on wrong. Let's get right to Trump. He had his big speech in North Carolina over the weekend. And there's talk that he had his pants on backwards. Yes. So what's going on right now is there are photos and video of Trump uh, at the speech. And when he he does this thing where he kind of like paces around the podium because he just wants people to keep applauding him. And on the video and the photos, you see that the front of his pants, which usually there's a lot of fat there, um, are smooth. And there's, they're, they're very oddly wrinkled and baggy because as we know, Trump sort of seems to tailor his own clothes because the same way that he doesn't care how stupid his hair looks because of how, uh, because he just doesn't want to look bald. He doesn't care how stupid the hair looks. He doesn't want to look fat, no matter how stupid his clothes look. And he thinks just like with the hair thing that he's covering it up. So Trump had a bunch of very odd looking wrinkles on the front of his pants. It did look ridiculous. Looked like no one who, you know, has a job or any kind of money has an excuse to, he looked like a hobo basically the way his, his clothes fit him. However, he did not put his pants on backwards. That was photoshopped. If you look at the video, it's Thank not even that. Yeah, it's not even that good a video. The uh, they simply blurred out the area where the seam would be, so it does look like he doesn't have. He's he's either wearing women's pants or he put his own pants on backwards. Which look, I'm not saying he's a genius, but it, you just can't really physically put your pants on backwards and keep them up without noticing. Mm-hmm. Like you're just. Right. It's just not something that you can not notice you're doing. Um, And yeah, when you look closely, uh, you can very clearly see that it was uh, a fairly simplistic uh, editing job that everyone jumped on. And look, this is what I'm not saying there's anything wrong with somebody taking video of Trump and making it look like he his pants are on backwards because Trump is a pathological liar who encourages people to lie for him. So this is what he deserves. This is the mess he made. People should be doing this. People should be making fun of him. Trump being called a guy who can't put his pants on is exactly what he deserves. Right. If it's not true, which is not true in this case, it doesn't matter because he sucks and he he is a liar 
who deserves for people to do to him what he, he does to constantly others. does to other people. So there's nothing wrong with that. And people should absolutely continue pushing the idea that he put his pants on backwards. Because what's great about this is how many Trump fans are online who don't really have the technological understanding to even see that it's fake. And they're just more being like, yeah, well, just because he put his pants on backwards doesn't mean that Biden doesn't have dementia. And it's like, <laughs> that's fantastic. So now you're already, you're already accepting it as true and just moving forward. And by the way, you know, that whole Biden has dementia thing. You would think that after a few months of him not showing the slightest evidence of it, they'd kind of give up and realize they were kind of caught bullshitting. But I'm glad they're not because it's always good when a liar gets stuck. But yeah, they're still pushing this dementia thing. And it's just like, compare an average speech from either one of them. Which one of them can't seem to, to speak straight? Look at the speech uh, he gave in North Carolina. Trump is pretty good. Trump is pretty good. I don't. Yeah, but he also says he's good at. He doesn't need a teleprompter. He's good at getting words there. out, but he's not great at the words making sense all the time. He does clearly say things off the top of his head that don't make sense because he doesn't really think anything through, and that's why he also, unlike Biden, uses an enormous amount of filler. He's constantly using old-fashioned slang and colloquialisms to cover up the fact that he's having trouble catching his place. He's constantly saying, I'll tell you this. If mm-hmm. one thing I know is true and Mark, like he, those are all just things you're doing to Please find your place. Feet. So Lara Trump, Eric Trump's wife announced that she's not running for Senate in North Carolina. Big disappointment. Wow. I wonder why. I wonder what happened between her announcing she'd run and dropping out so quickly. Well, could be she found out that everyone hates her, even on the Republican side. They maybe noticed that no one respects her husband and therefore don't respect her for marrying him. And just in general, she's realizing that you can't just be obnoxious as your only qualification to run for office just because other people got lucky with that. Just because there are Marjorie Taylor Greens and Matt Gates out there who purely ran on being obnoxious. It, it, you can't just assume that's all you need. And, and that's all she is. You, you can't run as a Trump who's going to flip before the right. jury. Right. Well, you know, I think that, you know, a lot of Republicans don't really want to see nothing but Trumps on those cards, but they're terrified of saying that because of they're being held to the tyranny of the stupidest people in the room who are more than anything, very intransigent and they can't let go of things. It's a very specific kind of mental illness when you just can't let go of this stuff. And you, you just sort of convince yourself that whatever you believed yesterday has to be what you believe tomorrow or the world will disintegrate. I've known narcissists like that person. Yeah. It's perversion. It is the definition of perversion to be in denial of reality and then to act out responding to your imagination. That's per, that's perversion. What about MSNBC running his big speech, CNN and Fox, both doing the responsible thing and not running it? Well, MSNBC, I thought only aired clips. It was only CNN. They had Ali Velscher. Yeah, they had Ali Velshi, um, do, but she was basically only just showing sound bites. It wasn't like they ran the whole thing. They, Which, need, they need Trump. Well, I mean, that whole thing is we, I don't, I've always said, I don't think we need to have a news. 
a for-profit news industry. You know, I think that's the problem is that news is just reality TV and it's just trying to get people to watch it. That's why, you know, and they choose how they go about that with MSNBC. It was always, we'll show you the worst human beings on earth for as long as they're talking, because we know it, it, it get, holds your interest with CNN. They focus more on bleeding bombs, fires, earthquakes, which Speaking is a bleeding Logan Paul, big star on YouTube. Okay. Let's move. We're, we're moving. We're cooking with gas. Aren't we? Who's he fighting Floyd? He's fighting Floyd Mayweather. And by the way, this will air after that happened because right. we shot, we we're filming this within hours of that fight. I don't know what's going to happen. I just know that I definitely know what's going to happen. And, and Floyd stands to make a hundred million dollars. Something like that. Perhaps those things always are a little exaggerated. I think take but it easy on Logan Paul. I don't think so. Here's the thing. Logan Paul survived this. Um, who says he is? We don't know what's going to happen, but we're talking about Logan Paul, who is younger, taller. Who is Logan Paul? Who is he? Logan Paul is a symptom of a dying society. Logan, is, Logan and his brother Jake are a obnoxious. Symptom of a dying what? Society. Yes, a decay. They are, decay, yeah, yeah. They, are, they are a symptom of decay. They are obnoxious alpha males who appeal to lowest common denominator children who just want to embrace acting out and being irresponsible. They're unrepentant morons and in so you, many ways. They made their name on YouTube. Yes. YouTube. They look playing I video games. Are they like, PewDiePie? no, 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 just, just not, even, no, not, not, not PewDiePie, not video games. They made their stuff with, with fake pranks, which is a thing that like a lot of YouTubers do. They stage really stupid fake pranks that just keep repeating the same pranks that other people have done already or doing horrible the songs. they're pranking are in on it. Almost always. In almost all the cases, some, not always, but most times with these modern YouTube pranks, it's 100% staged. Half of them exclusively have bikini models be the ones getting pranked as if they're just, that's the only women walking around the streets. Logan Paul also, and both and Jake did song songs. They did music videos that were on, but for both of them, horrific. For example, Jake, I don't mean to interrupt you, but all the phone pranks that you hear on morning radio are staged. Yeah. They're active. They are now. They are lately. Yeah. Because it's illegal to phone prank people. Yeah. And it's just easier to, to stage them. And yeah, the most YouTube pranks are extremely fake. Some aren't, right. you know, but nowadays the vast majority are. So like Jake Paul was famous for doing a song about how he hates teachers. And there was not an ounce of, of irony. Like there was not meant to be funny. It wasn't meant to be tongue in cheek. He just hates school and teachers and then tried to use that to push his own fake university like Trump and Logan Paul. One of his famous songs was, he stole a song called Handlebars by Flowbots, which was a very empowering, positive song. Flowbots are very kind of, you know, what you would call woke, especially back then, um, rap group. And he changed the lyrics from I can ride my bike with no handlebars to I can ride your girl with no handlebars. And it just became about uh, toxic masculinity and riding women like animals and causing a lot of back damage to a model who didn't know that's what he was going to make her do on that job. How and and not giving Flowbots credit for the fact that it was their song. So they're it? just 
Uh, Logan Paul, I think 25 now, probably. 25. And there's video of him riding around with a lasso and roping women and not letting them go until they kiss him. This right. Like Which, by the way, like I said, the one caveat I have to acknowledge is most of these videos are fake. So it might be fake, but that video, uh, I don't think it's fake necessarily because it's older and it does have people getting pretty angry. But after I said, even if it is fake, it's still horrible because then you're convinced that remember his fans are children. This guy's main fan base are little kids who are being influenced by the most disgusting, juvenile, toxic, masculine behavior you could possibly have on YouTube. And lassoing women and making it look like it's okay and and paying women to giggle and laugh when it happens and then make out with him. If it's fake, that's just as bad because you're teaching children that this is okay. And that this is how normal women will react to being treated this way. So you're both teaching men. This is how women will react. And you're teaching women. This is how you should react when someone does this to you. So it's all around harm. And, but it goes exactly along with the whole culture of Logan Paul and all the other people on YouTube and TikTok who act this way. They're just whores. That's the only, they're whores. They will do or say anything for eyes. Young, attractive people who want to become influencers and are getting by on their looks, their street smarts, there, there has to be some talent. Involved. Well, looks, their, their looks and it, it, it's mostly the looks. Yeah. There's a reason why they're but everybody who's young is attractive. How do you know, I was looking at fashion models and I'm thinking, how do they decide this person's beautiful and this per- if you're young, you're beautiful. That's well, yeah. I mean, that's, what, the, that's sort of what the movie jawline was about. The fact that these influencers have nothing in common, but a 19 year old's jawline. That's the only talent they actually have. But you have to understand a big part of it is the lack of talent because talent is intimidating and it's exclusionary. But if you're talentless and you're just, you're, you're just sort of being everyone's popular friend, that's different. It's like, like PewDiePie. George w. Bush. That's why George yes. W. Bush got elected. Yes. He doesn't make anyone feel bad about themselves. Right. He, it's and there's not a lot of there's not a lot of uh, labor. There's not a lot of intellectual labor to watching this. It's as dumb as you can imagine. I mean, it's why reality shows exist. It's why you know reality shows. In, in the same token, we all thought sitcoms were the dumbest thing in the world, and then we found out half the population is like, I just can't deal with how much work it is to watch Golden Girls. Right. To keep the characters straight. Yeah, no, really. And they wanted, so they, these people would rather watch an exactly as scripted show that's exactly as fake, but lies and says it's not fake because on some level it allows the brain to relax. It allows in a very bad way to sort of shut down any kind of cognitive, uh, not cognitive dissonance, you know, um, I, I, I forgive me. I, I, I lost the word there, but the, uh, the word that, um, suspension of disbelief, decline, it, perhaps it, it's a suspension of disbelief. I meant, right. Is that there is none with reality. And it's the same thing with this. And, you know, people only want to see Logan Paul fight Floyd Mayweather, mostly because I think most people just hate him and want to see him get beaten up. But also it's because people are so personality obsessed 
that it does lend itself to a, a real danger, which is a future where only celebrities can do things like run for office. And I'm sure that's what Logan Paul thinks he's going to do when he's old. Because celebrity is kind of a disease. You know, it's, I, I have a ton of respect for anyone who becomes famous because they were great at something. But to become famous just to be famous, I think is a truly disgusting way to live your life. Or to become famous like Caitlyn Jenner. Well, actually, Caitlyn Jenner became famous with actual actual talent. So let's take that. No, yeah, Caitlyn Jenner. Yeah, we forget that. Caitlyn Jenner <laughs> is a world-class athlete. We forget right, that, right. yes. But when you then go into politics, because you're famous and there's name recognition, but you've never accomplished anything, you've never done anything good in government like Matthew right. McConaughey and uh, Caitlyn Jenner. Yeah, it's dangerous. Well, Chrissy Teigen. Yeah, Chrissy Teigen. Uh, She's married to John Legend. We love John Legend, right? I want to be honest. I don't really, I don't have a problem with Chrissy Teigen. Well, what about, I think, what about telling the transgender kid to kill themselves? Well, no, no, no. She told Courtney Stodden 10 years ago to kill herself, which was horrible. Courtney Stodden recently came out as non-binary, which is not the same thing as being transgender. Um, but is, I think that is Courtney Stodden getting married? Is she, am I seeing her in bikinis? Does she have blonde hair? Yes. She was the woman who 10 years ago famously married a 50 year old actor at the age of 16. And look, I agree. Telling her to kill herself on Twitter is a truly horrible thing to do. And then direct messaging her to kill herself. No, it's, it's insane. It's hard. See, Tegan was a boy, 26 at the time. I think honestly, look, I see that as basically kind of that. It's a horrible thing, but it feels like, it feels like something a very sick person did. And I think people look, I have a lot of experience with seeing the way that people talk to a celebrity and the hatred that they throw at celebrities. And if I thought that every single person who told one of my friends to kill themselves online should go to, should, you know, lose their life, it'd be a lot of people. I think it's horrible and wrong. Do people I'm really not saying, do that? Do people really tell your friend to, kill himself every day, every day. Yeah. As a joke. Um, Seriously. No, no, there's tons of people online who are just made of hate and they're bitter and they can't handle their lives and they just hate and do and say this stuff. It's just, it's just the way it is. And it's, it's a side effect of fame because people want what you have and therefore feel, well, then you should not have the protection of being seen as a human being. Right, but your, you friend is a nice guy. your friend is a nice guy. I could see people telling you and me to kill ourselves, but who would ask your friend? I mean, why would anybody? He doesn't alienate anybody. He does, because no matter who you are, you alienate a certain class of people by your existence. Tom Hanks is the perfect example of that. He was the most inoffensive person you could have, and... <laughs> That's why QAnon had to make up the idea that he was raping and eating children because they can't even handle the idea that a decent person exists. Because when they, once they started worshiping Trump, they kind of had to say, well, he's such a piece of shit that we kind of have to destroy everyone who exists who's less of a piece of shit than him, which is everyone. 
If he doesn't love Trump, we have to destroy him. There's nothing to destroy him for. Make up the stupidest lie possible. Tom Hanks is our generation's Jimmy Stewart. Right. If not more. Yeah. He's, he's bigger than Jimmy Stewart was. Yeah, he is. And the idea that somebody said, let's turn him into a pedophile who eats babies. It's like something guys, you know, like a comedy room would come up with. A writing room would come up with that. Right. Well, that's Poe's law, which is that uh, you can't parody extreme extremists without being in, interchangeable with them because there is no level of parody that can really heighten what they already are because they're so crazy. And yeah, like that's it then just, again, really then a testament again, to how good a person Tom Hanks was. Then again, because they had to go all the way to eating kids. Right. But I've never seen Tom Hanks not eating babies. Um, did you see Joe versus the volcano? That was an abortion. So that's, that's, but not eating babies. Right. But he had multiple chances throughout that movie. But I've never seen video of a baby in front of Tom Hanks where he declined to eat it. So you know, now here's the thing. Baby. That's a funny joke. But like Poe's Law, there are people online right now saying, well, show me proof that he never ate a baby without any concept of how impossibly stupid that question is. That's what we're dealing with. And look, like I said, I think what I think what uh, what Chris Teague did was really, really hard. Sketch. You should write that for SNL. Like Tom Hanks comes on to prove that he's not that you start putting babies in front of him to prove that he's he's never eaten a baby. And there's one baby. He just starts salivating and foaming at the mouth and he's, yeah. he wants to eat the baby. Yeah, no, that's funny. I mean, it, he's done the show so many times. I'm sure he'd do it. Um, I wouldn't want Unless to be so disrespectful to have someone play him. Do you think? Do you think being that famous, this kind of stuff creeps him out? I, I guess it would creep him out. Like, don't dignify it, right? Um, I think that. I mean, the very idea of Tom Hanks having to come out and say, "I don't eat children," feels counterproductive. Like, there's a reason Hillary Clinton does just come out. I mean, she did recently for that Borat special, which was really funny. She spoke to these two guys who believe that she eats children. And she said, listen, I, I don't eat kids. And this is, and she, she basically, they explained what blood libel is and how this is nothing but a rehashing of the old anti-Jewish blood libel about eating kids. And the guys are just like, I hate her so much. God, I hate her. I think she did it all. And it's like, yeah, because who, what about wearing, do you think she wears a baby's face? Do you think they fillet a baby and put on the face? To scare children. So the funny, that's what's so funny about this is like, that's, it's so, it's, it shows what happens when you're dealing with people who have absolutely no ceiling to how pathetically crazy they'll make their environment. Because with the current, you know, QAnon MAGA Republican Party, it's the first time I feel like the majority doesn't believe it where the majority of them are lying to a minority and they're just kind of patting them on the head saying, yes, believe all this. But like you and I know that really no one in the leadership of the Republican party actually believes any of this. They're just terrified of the people who will vote them out if they don't, if they go against them. 
And I think the majority of intelligent Republicans don't really believe it either. They don't really, I don't think that they really believe the election was stolen. They don't really believe in any of this stuff. They are just kind of so narcissistic and ignorant about the way the real world works that they think this is working. Right. Well, let's talk about the cancel culture. Cause I always down, I, I downplay the cancel culture. I say that it's fuel for the Republican party, but nobody's really getting canceled. They're getting maybe embarrassed, but unless you're committing criminal activity, a felony, you're not getting canceled, but tell well, me yes that. and no, because here's the thing about that. Cancel culture is often used as a cudgel against people who more often than not, it seems there's something more behind why a person is getting hatred when it's something that's small. It's not, we're not talking about something that's like a major act of cruelty when it's more like, you know, someone did this in this year and at the time no one really cared about it, but now, you know, by our standards, we're going to destroy them. But here's the thing. You're right. Very few people get canceled. Very few people have consequences. Because Chris D'Elia, um, is, Chris D'Elia I mean, he's he, he, look, lost, he lost movie. He lost movies. He lost. He definitely lost something. He certainly lost a lot of credibility, but he's able to still do stand up. But that's also because he's Chris D'Elia and Chris D'Elia's audience is is mostly anti cancel culture. There, right. there. He has kind of an and if you're on the right, if you're Matt Gates, if you're someone who uh, if you're a Joe Rogan, the cancel culture helps you. If you're Shane Gillis, I don't think it really hurts you because so many people are on the side of hating that. But if you're someone, but if you're someone whose career is not on a rocket ship and you're just someone that someone just decided to destroy, you could have been, you could have had a 51% chance of having a better a life after wherever you are right now. And that's changed to a 25% chance. Hang on for one second. I do admit that I have been told about certain people who've been accused of, of things and like, I won't have them on the show, even though I don't know whether or not it's true. Well, you can't know. And I think it's a horrible thing for so anyone. I've, I've, I've privately canceled a couple of people. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I do think it's horrible whenever we feel that you have to have a definitive permanent opinion about whether someone did something or not immediately. It's narcissistic and it's irresponsible. Now you're talking, we're talking about Ellie Kemper right now. Ellie Kemper. Ellie Kemper was an actress. Ellie Kemper. Who who was Ellie Kemper? Well, Ellie Kemper in 1999 was a contestant in the St. Louis fair pageant. And she won. So her picture was in the paper as the winner of this pageant. Then a few days ago, and this was always public knowledge. She has talked about it in the past. Remind everybody who Ellie is. Ellie Kemper played uh, the secretary on The Office, and she was also in Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. That was her show. Both fantastic shows. um, Both shows that anyone should enjoy. Tremendous talent. Yeah, she's a very, very funny person. She's a great actress. Went to Princeton, well-educated and liberal, correct? Yes. Yeah. Um, Not a Trump. No, no. An ally. Is it fair to say she's an ally? Yeah, I would say so. Okay. Um, So in 1999, at the age of 19, she was in a dance. That's what 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 you would normally, you and I would call a dance. 
or like one of those beauty pageant debutante dance balls type effects. The ball was, uh, was over a hundred years old. And as people have pointed out, it had a very troubling history because it was founded in the 1800s in the South. And a lot of the people who founded it were ex-Confederate soldiers. And what, and this is what happened. A lot of people pointed out that the person, it was, it was once called the Veiled Prophet Ball. It was one of those weird, creepy, you know, it was a popular thing at the time of, you know, and, and I'm sure, and look, and it does have white supremacist history because it was created by powerful people in St. Louis. Uh, no, no, Dave. No, no link to the KKK? Absolutely not. That was- Everyone claiming there was a link to the KKK is committing slander. Is okay. lying. There is no link between the Veiled Prophet Ball and the KKK. And the reason that people are making that assumption is for two reasons. One, because there was a photo from 1878 of the Veiled Prophet, and he is wearing a very odd costume that has a pointed hood. And the Daily Beast, in their article about this, said the pointed hood was a staple of the Ku Klux Klan since 1868. However, that is a lie. The Daily Beast lied about that in order to make the story more sensationalistic. Every other news source, every other news source except the Daily Beast pointed out that it wasn't until 1915, 30 years later. Birth of a Nation. Yes, exactly. When Birth of a Nation popularized the look of the Klan, that's when they started adopting the pointed hood. So, the Daily Beast chose to be dishonest about that because I guess they thought, well, she's being accused of something. We have a responsibility to railroad her. So that was the basis of where the KKK thing came from. And that there was a tweet from a random person who claims to be from St. Louis who said, oh yeah, the veiled prophet, our local KKK. Then immediately reposted, goes, I don't really mean literally local KKK, more like our local for our local version of it. And I'm sure it's very, uh, it was, I'm sure it has a very bad history. It does. Here's a few important things about this. There was a lot of protests by people of color against the veiled profit organization, because remember this is the 1800s and then going into the early 1900s and up until the 1960s, I, it was, uh, it was exclusionary. It was for rich white people. In fact, it only became a mixed race in 1979. Kind of like the Mormon Church. Exactly. Just like the Mormon Church. Right around the same time, they became uh, uh, desegregated. Many years later, you would get things like uh, a lot of the national golf uh, clubs would become desegregated in the 90s. So the year before Ellie Kemper was born, it started having all races able to compete. Um, and there is evidence that multiple black Latino women did compete. There's photos of black women competing years before Ellie Kemper. And so the question became, this is a huge parade in St. Louis. It's the people competing in this dance are of multiple races. This is before Wikipedia. Is Ellie Kemper responsible for what the Veiled Prophet organization did in St. Louis in the 1800s. Because oh, here's she, the answer. Let me give you the answer. At the age of 19, the answer. 
Here's the answer. Okay. Ellie Kemper, incredibly talented, incredibly funny, incredibly smart, married to an amazing comedy writer. Jewish. He's Jewish. Yes. She's successful. Very. So, yes, she has to be held accountable. Exactly. Because it's, because you know what it is? Because it's to bring these people quote unquote. Because it's quote unquote technically punching up. This is people who are desperate to be bullies and know you're not allowed to be one anymore, searching like a pig looking for a truffle for Mm -hmm. anyone that they can tear down and it be quote okay. And these people, and you know, they're bored with going, they don't want to go after Lara Trump. They want to go after someone who will care that they're destroyed. They want to go after someone who actually wants to be a good person, who actually cares about what these people think. And it is. So has she been canceled? Here's the thing. Well, she's a 41 year old actress, David. What were the odds she was going to get a major role after this? And how have they changed? Well, hang on for one second. That has, that's a whole other problem. Is it? Or is that an example of how she was more vulnerable than people are giving her credit for here? Okay. If people are looking for an excuse other than being 41, they've served up something. But I think Ellie is going to do fine. I, 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 I like to think that this is nothing. And maybe it will be. It very well might be. But... That attitude, and not not saying this is you, but I'm talking about the people who actually actively attacked her. Some of them have responded. They will respond and say, well, she, we're not taking anything from her. We're not destroying her. She'll still have her life afterward. That's setting someone's house on fire and saying they have plenty of time to get out. Yeah, I agree. It's saying, agree. It's saying yeah, it's saying, well, you know, most people get out of burning houses. Right. So let's assume she will too. But you're starting a fire and then walking away and then assuming it won't kill anyone. And I saw the people who were calling her. These are, not Kemper. These are not, I would assume when we, before we started this, you were saying this is an example of the left eating its own. I would, Absolutely. Assume, well, I would assume it's more like a Mike Cernovich kind of thing where the right is targeting the left and trying to cancel them. No, no, the left is who's going after Ellie really? Kemper. The right is defending her. The New York Post and Fox News and Ben fucking Shapiro get to be correct about this, about this particular case. I, and that's are disgusting. You sure that, are you sure that the left is going after her for this? I found yes. that hard to believe. Yes, I am. I believe you. I've consumed every article about this that I, that I ran across. Um, and yeah, like I said, it was the Daily Beast who chose to lie about this. It was the Daily Beast who chose to pretend that the hooded, that the, the, the pointed hood was a staple to cleanse in 1868 when every other news source, which liberal ones too, they all made the same acknowledgement that that is a modern misunderstanding of the fact that back then in the 1800s, that stupid kind of costume was more common than people understand and wasn't part of the Klan until birth of a nation. Right. And, but no, this is, I have not seen anyone on the right doing the usual, oh, let's pile on. Cause like with, with like they did with Chris Teigen. And maybe that's because Ellie Kemper is not 
a famously outspoken liberal. She's more of a private person that, you know, just happens to be, you know, on, on the normal sane side of, of, uh, of politics. But this one, honestly, but the difference is Republicans agree. Oh yeah. It's really not okay that she told a kid to kill herself, which is it's not okay. But that's also like, but Chrissy Teigen made a decision to do something terrible. If she did it in, in the throes of bipolar disorder, or whatever, it's still, she did something terrible. Right. Ellie Kemper at worst didn't, consider herself personally responsible for the history of this organization and more likely did not know what everyone today gets to Wikipedia in five seconds. Right. 1999. She was 19 years old. I believe she's, when she spoke about this event in the past, she said it was just something her dad, you know, their, their, their dad had to make them do. And it's, and she called it embarrassing. And like I said, if you're 19 years old and you're at a dance and you see that there's white girls, black girls, Latina girls, why would it even enter into your head that I have to investigate the history of this and see if a hundred years ago it was bad? Right. Like this, it is the amount of disingenuous hatred that's being thrown at her by people who you can see it. You can feel the, is this going to get everyone to think I'm a good person? Is this going to get me to where I think I need to be? Like, it's just sick. And the, what makes me disgusted about it is this is how we fucking lose. This is when every time we give Ben Shapiro a win on something, the world becomes a worse place because our arguments become less believable. Everything, our credibility is diminished. And yes, our credibility is greatly diminished every time you get to catch someone bullshitting like this. Just like Republicans are going to act like they won the Super Bowl when they proved that Trump put his pants on correctly. But that, once again, that's just funny. He can go fuck himself. Yes. Dave Cyrus is a brilliant comedy writer. And thank you for putting up with me. I appreciate You're it. You're welcome. You've thank you. Through, you, you are a good friend and you went through the technological grinder with me. Thank you, Dave Cyrus. Thank you. It's time right now for the David Feldman Show. He's talking politics and comedy, too. He'll tell a dirty joke if you want him to. He's just a lefty from way back. He's a union man with an Emmy for writing. Someday he's mad and he feels like fighting. It's time right now for the David Feldman Show To get your ears on right, buckle in real tight He's got a lot to say and he's coming your way Yes. 
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Professor. Thank you, Professor Mike Steinel. Mark Breslin is coming up. This is the mop up for June 7th, 2021. I'm David Feldman coming to you from an air shaft overlooking a parking garage somewhere in Manhattan. Jeff Bezos announced today that he is going into space next month. Unfortunately, he plans on returning. Bezos and his brother Mark will fly aboard Blue Origin's first trip to space. Blue Origin is owned by Amazon, as is space. I have a feeling aliens are going to grab a look at Bezos in outer space and think, hey, it's Uncle Vic. Doesn't Bezos look like an alien? He looks like a horribly deformed space alien who refuses to wear a seatbelt. He looks like an alien who's just gone through a couple of windshields going at warp speed. Senator Joe Manchin, the Democrat from West Virginia, announced on Sunday he would oppose the For the People Act. The For the People Act has passed in the House. It would bring about the biggest overall of our electoral system since the Voting Rights Act of 1965. Manchin also said he would not vote to overturn the filibuster, which will make it much harder for most of the Democratic Party's agenda to get passed. Meanwhile, some people are saying time is running out for Joe Biden to get his massive infrastructure bill passed, as it seems to be stalling in the Senate because of people like Joe Manchin. I don't understand why they can't play hardball with Joe Manchin. I don't understand if you really wanted to get rid of the filibuster and really wanted to get the Voting Rights Act passed, the For the People vote, For the People Act, the For the People bill passed. You walk into Joe Manchin's office, you walk into Kristen Cinema's office, and you say, here is some crap we just made up about you that we're going to release to the press. It's going to, I'm going to destroy I'm not only going to destroy you, I'm going to destroy your entire family. Get on board. Why? That's how Lyndon Johnson got things done. What is, this is. We're allowing Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin to tie up infrastructure and whether or not black people can vote in this country. If Joe Manchin didn't exist, Schumer would have found somebody else to be this speed bump. You can you can make somebody bend to your will. You just have to twist their arm till it breaks and falls off. That's politics. I don't understand why Chuck Schumer, well, no, because Chuck Schumer is all about money. That's all he is. He just spreads money around and it's not about winning. It's about spreading the money around. President Joe Biden visits the United Kingdom on Wednesday. It's his first overseas trip since becoming president. He will meet with the newly married British Prime Minister Boris Johnson. He will also meet with the Queen, who's uh, a great grandmother. Lilibet was born over the weekend. And uh, then Biden will attend the three-day G7 meeting, a NATO summit, and an EU summit. Then on June 16th, he meets with Russian President Vladimir Putin in Geneva to see if he'll hire his son, Hunter. Let's go to, that was a cheap shot. Uh, Let's go to Toronto, Canada, where Mark Breslin is standing by. 
He is the founder and president of Yuck Yucks, the largest comedy chain in North America. Hello, Mark Breslin. Hi, David. You're, 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 you know, you're talking over. They love you here, and you're talking over. I'm not used to that. How are you? I'm fine, but I just want to say before we get into anything else, I heard you mention the fact that Bezos is going into outer space, and I think I know why. Because according to Einsteinian physics, um, when you travel at the speed of light, time slows down so much that you actually can come back from space younger than when you left. Hmm. This means if Bezos can master this technology, you'll be able to get your Amazon packages before you even order them. <laughs> and this is his hidden agenda. Anyway, you ask how I am. Yes. I'm doing okay, except I made... Um, yeah, I think I can talk about this. I made a bad investment. Oh. I invested in a company that sets up cockfights in Auschwitz. <laughs> now, I figured it this way, okay? Yeah. Um, Auschwitz is really a day trip. <laughs> yes. really nothing to do at night. Right. Now, sure, you can go back, you can take the bus back to Warsaw, but... Uh, if you decide to stay in their um, in their hotel on the outskirts of town, and I don't know if you you know about this hotel, um, it's called the Zyklon B and B. This is Zyklon B, but very nice, very nice. Thank you. I was not a part of that. Um, uh, the restaurant so has one star. It's uh, well, you know why? Why? No bath. Shower, no bath. Just but, oh my god! Yes, this is we're going to get canceled for offending ourselves. I was going to say it's a Jewish star. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. See, okay, go ahead. So, uh, yes, so there's oh, no nights. So you're saying that people who, there are, you go to Auschwitz. Yes. Because it is a tourist attraction. There's nothing to do at night. There's nothing to do at night. I was actually thinking of setting up a yuck yucks there for a while. But <laughs> a what? A what? I was thinking of setting up a yuck yucks there. A yuck yucks uh, at Auschwitz. Yeah, for, for a while. Mm -hmm. um, but, um, you know, uh, it's expensive. So I thought this would be the easier way. I would just invest in a company that, um, you know, is already doing business there. Mm -hmm. And uh, it turned out that people really don't want to see cockfights. What do you they, think that is? You know why? Why? Because they think it's immoral. <laughs> <laughs> so just saying, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Have you ever been to a cockfight? Um, well, I had a threesome once with a guy, and uh, we were arguing with a girl, but uh, other than that, uh, no. Everybody's so afraid of getting canceled, and you come out swinging with Auschwitz. Who's going to cancel me? You're going to cancel me from a show I don't get paid for? <laughs> you know? Oh, and, and you know, I somebody people have asked me this. Um, I play at a really good level. I, I'm not so big that I have to worry about sponsors and and people who would organize against me. I'm kind of comedy clubs are kind of obscure. Let's face it. You know, I'm not on network television, so I can kind of say whatever I want because who's going to fire me? I own most of the stock in the company. Um, all that can ever happen is that customers won't wouldn't come. 
but I know my customers and I don't think they have a big problem with this because I've been in business for 45 years, bringing in people like Sam Kinison and Andrew Dice Clay, uh, my own act from the 70s, which was as offensive as you could possibly. Yes, it was. So, well, you know, what can they really do to me? Right. Not much. It wasn't offensive. You, you're very funny. Your act is very funny. The idea that comedians are getting canceled, so it's actually good for their road gigs, I would assume, not good for their Netflix or late night shots. Not necessarily good for their road gigs. There are a lot of clubs that are terrified of, you know, social media. Right. But, you know, as we started in a time before there was even social media, we built up a reputation, a customer base, a loyalty um, a, lo- a, a loyalty from our customers and we know who they are. They know who we are. They know what to expect. We know what to expect from them. So yeah, we can pretty, and we advertise, we warn ev- everybody on the internet. And when you walk into the club anywhere in Canada, there's a big sign that says caution portions of this show may be offensive to small minded idiots from Ohio. Yeah. Now a friend of mine got canceled last night. He is a comedy booker for a big oh, fest. Singer. Jeff Singer got canceled. What? It happens so quickly now. You know, but you're. Why, but, but why did he say yes? Why, why did he. He voluntarily stepped down. He didn't even wait for the. He didn't even wait for the blast. He could have defended himself. And another thing is, you know, I read some of those people who were um, saying, yeah, yeah, he's a real asshole. Why didn't they say that before? You know, I believe that people can change. I believe people can evolve. And if they're given some. Uh, direction that can happen, but a bit late now. Yeah, I think what happened. I, I believe. I'm sorry. You know what? I have no problem with cancel culture. What I have a problem is that there's no warning shot. There's no chance for somebody to say, "Oops, okay, I won't do that again." Right. And I think in ninety percent of the cases, people wouldn't do that again, whatever that that is. But people don't even have a chance to do that anymore. That's what bothers me. Right, unless. He had been warned before. We don't know. We don't know the whole story. No, it just seemed to. He wasn't warned publicly. There was none, nothing like this ever showed up publicly. I didn't right. know he was your friend. I only met him once. He was the moderator of a panel I was on in Jeff's for Laughs. Seemed like a perfectly okay guy. But then again, I'm, you know, a successful white male. What's he going <laughs> to Yeah, you look at the, you know, the Twitter trial that went on. Jen Kirkman, the comedian, said, uh, tell me any stories you have about Jeff Singer. And I read the stories and he, you know, he kissed me on the hand. A woman said he met me in a comedy club and he kissed me twice on the hand. Okay. That's continental, very continental. Uh, there were some accusations that he, was quoting a person of color and he said the n-word instead of saying the n-word and he had been warned that it's not okay for a white person to say the n-word you have to say the n-word and then he doubled down on it and said no it's okay i'm quoting this person and things have changed it you know the like two or three years ago whether or not it was right, you were allowed to say the N-word and not have to say the N-word. But now they're really clamping down on you. You can't in, like in a I think in Rutgers, their law school, 
there's a either a student or a professor got into trouble for reading a transcript from a trial and saying the n-word instead of the n-word and now there's been a there the professor's losing her tenure a lot of people have not been brought up to speed on you know quoting the n-word anyway it, it's uh canada too i'm sorry it happened in canada too it was a very respected um, female journalist um, who was like the newsreader on one of the networks. And in a meeting, she was quoting about a book that was written in the 70s that used that word in the title. Dick Gregory's no, book. Dick Gregory's book. Penis, Gregor- of- Penis Gregory, I'm sorry. Penis Gregory, that's right. Um, so <laughs> so um, she got canned for a while and then they brought her back. But she said, I was only referring to the book. If I hadn't used the word, would they have known what that book is? It was 40 years out of print. So, you know, but this is about removing. This is also about removing a gatekeeper. That was one of the things that you read in the Twitter feed is there are a lot of marginalized comedians who see a heterosexual white male picking the comics and they Anyway, I, I, I can't, I don't know the whole story. Neither do I. And the whole story may never come out. And they're not looking for redemption. They're definitely looking for destruction. They're, they're, they want a white heterosexual male. They don't care whether or not he learns. They want him destroyed uh, because we have limited resources we have limited the, the it's a shallow pond zero sum game if we take down a white heterosexual male then we get to replace him with something instead of everybody benefiting that's what happens when there's a shallow pond we fight amongst ourselves yeah somebody once asked the uh, poets why everybody why they fight with each other and somebody said it's because the stakes are so low <laughs> It's true. It's, I know. Yeah. So, um, yeah, look, I don't know whether to feel bad for the guy or, or, or feel that justice was done. I just don't know him well enough. Um, I know it's a tough job to be a gatekeeper because no matter how many people you hire, um, there's always somebody you didn't hire that people feel you should have hired. Right. And I had my experience, you know, 30 years ago when I was booking acts on the Joan Rivers show. I thought I booked all the all the best new acts, and then people would say, "No, but you didn't book him, and you didn't book her, and you didn't." You you can't satisfy absolutely everybody, but unless you can show some kind of deliberate pattern, um, which there may be with him, I don't know. Generally speaking, I'm I'm from the San Francisco comedy scene. Right. Last night I was thinking about the acts who were not allowed to play San Francisco because they they were considered hacks. They went on to be very successful. And I'm not going to mention any names, but there were a lot of very successful, very successful comics who couldn't crack the San Francisco scene because they were hacks. And they're still hacks. There are standards and there are gatekeepers and they have rules and, and they and they say, this is funny. This isn't funny. Fair enough. But, and, uh, but, uh, but let's talk about bias, because I think it's a very real thing. Um, 20 years ago. Um, uh, I remember that I uh, was looking at an amateur night, and I'm always going to the amateur nights. They're not really amateurs, but they're new talent. 
to see who I might be able to bring up from the amateur level or from the open mic level to the better level where they get paid spots and they get gigs. And um, a black comic, a woman comic said to me, hey, Mark, um, what makes you think you as a you know, wealthy Jewish guy can possibly understand what I'm doing on stage? And I said, you know what? I thought about it. I said, you know what? You're kind of right. So I started, uh, uh, I called up Kenny Robinson, who's considered like the, I know the best black comic in the country, right? right. And I said, why don't, you st- why don't we start a uh, black comedy night? And you can pick the comics that you think are right out of the pool of, of uh, aspiring black comics. And that worked out just great. Right. So, you know, there are ways of doing this that, um, uh, you know, you can create an infrastructure um, the, of advisors and people who know that that market well to say, well, this person's a hack, but this person is not a hack. And maybe you don't know the difference, Mark, because that's not the world you live in. Yeah. Show business is a segregated industry. It's, it's incredible. In, in working in television, I always said, wow, it's almost as though the Civil War never happened. The way people talk, they, they'll literally say, um, this is a black show or this is black music. We can't play it up until 20 years ago. They, they wouldn't play Michael Jackson. Yeah, I know. I it's TV. black music. So what, what happened to Brown v. Board of Education? Didn't we overturn separate but equal? Not in Hollywood and still not in Hollywood. There are black shows and and white shows and people will say just blatant racist, sexist, homophobic things. They'll, they'll just say, uh, anyway, I don't want to. Uh, it's getting better, supposedly. I think it's getting better, maybe. It's always a problem when somebody moves from the margins to the mainstream. Because then all kinds of issues start to kick in about, well, did they sell out? Right. Are they still true to their 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 tribe, to their people? Um you know, and uh, this is this is often a problem and uh, don't exactly know how to fix it. But I will tell you that sometimes I watch black comics on TV and I really don't know what they're talking about. Right. Their their experiences are so far from mine that I just don't know what they're talking about. But I can listen to the audience. And if the audience is killing themselves laughing, then I know that there must be something going on. It's a, it's a language. They're inside jokes. It's kind of, you know, there are, you're, you're Jewish, right? I am so Jewish <laughs> that I took off my big hat to do this show. Okay? Slayton said, Feldman's so Jewish. If Hitler killed him, he said, I'm full. He would have said, I'm done. That's enough. Uh, there are jokes that supposedly only a Jewish person could get. And it, it's it's like an inside joke. A couple of jokes where you hear the joke, and, oh my God, that is the quintessential Jewish joke. You cannot swap it with any other ethnicity, race, or religion. And I think when sometimes I watch uh, a black comic or, or you know, gay comic, they're talking a language that I'm not privy to, that I haven't that I don't, but it isn't just language. It's also references, right? Uh, of, of places and things that is just not part of your culture. It's 
And that's partly what makes it so funny is that it's a little exclusionary. Well, uh, I remember uh, we used to do these shows once a year at a place called the Leopoldsland Theater, which is a big Jewish theater in Toronto. And I would save up really Jewish material that I knew I couldn't do in the regular clubs because people you would, would bank make- your Jewish material is what yes. you're saying. Would you yeah. lend it out as well at with exorbitant interest, interest rates? I'm sorry. With interest. With interest. Yes. <laughs> so, you, so you banked yeah. your Jewish material. Yeah. I would give other. I would give other. Com- I would give comics that Jewish material, but I'd want a pound of flesh in return. <laughs> um, anyway, Shylock notwithstanding, I w- I would say because if I did a joke about a Tullus. Who is going to know in the general audience what a Tullus even is? Mm-hmm. But when I went that joke for that particular audience on that particular night, they'd kill themselves laughing. Right, right. By the way, the joke was, um, I, uh, I'm opening up a store, it's going to sell a no frills Tullus. So, um, that was <laughs> That's funny. Okay. No frills. But if I told that joke to a general audience, would they understand it? No, no. probably not. So no. I would save up that stuff. And I used to love doing that night because I would have 20 minutes of stuff I couldn't do any other night. By the way, speaking of Jews, I have we have Professor Adnan Hussein on the show, and he's gotten me really interested in the Middle East. I don't know if you've been following the Middle East for the past, oh, I don't know, a couple thousand years. A lot of, a lot of stuff coming out of there. The, the Middle East... I've been I just subscribed to Harar. It's it's like the New York Times of Israel. And it's really balanced. They 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 very critical of Israel. They they it's the most I'm going to get a lot of pushback from this. I'm surprised by how objective it is. And you hear both sides pro you know, pro Palestinian, pro Hamas, anti uh, Netanyahu. There's real news going on in the Middle East. They're, they're, they're talking about real stuff uh, as opposed to at least here in the United States, where except for COVID, we everything is there, there's no agreed upon reality. I think in the Middle East, they agree on reality, I think. And then they fight about it. Canada is reopening despite COVID not being under control, right? The the numbers are getting better, way better, Um, uh, very fast, actually. And people are getting, they're starting to get their second shots now, which was the whole issue. I'm getting my second shot on Wednesday, so is my wife. So, you know, although that's no guarantee, at least it makes you feel a little safer when you go in to see something. I think the club's indoor dining will come back sometime in mid-July, if not the end of July. Um, Outdoor dining is going to happen in a week and a half. Um, My Ottawa club will open because luckily um, we have a rooftop patio. So it is legal to put people out on the rooftop patio. We'll set up the stage and and we'll do shows. Why do you think that's great news? Yeah. Why do you think the numbers are going down? The vaccines you say are just rolling out so is it because of people wearing masks staying indoors what they always wore masks they always uh stayed indoors we have a pretty compliant population it was never politicized but it was very the vaccines were very slow on the rollout um the federal government didn't order enough 
or the, the orders didn't come through, so they didn't have enough to distribute to the provinces. Then when it got to the provinces, the provinces had a problem figuring out how to actually get it into people's arms and then under what circumstances and what um, protocols that they would use. Who comes first? Who then? You know, do we do old people or do we, because there's a limited amount, do we do old people or do we do frontline workers? Things like that. And then nobody really knew who to close down first. So you've got ridiculous things like, uh, okay, the beaches are open, but the kids can't go to school. Big box stores are open, but my little bodega around the corner, he can't open. Right. Ridiculous things like that. And so there was so much back and forth about who should open, when they should open. Let's let them open. No, let's stop them from opening. People were open for a week, and then they were closed down again. So there were uh, there was a lot of incompetence that was happening here. Now, are you getting... I'm sorry? It's different... In the, it's different in the states. You just go to the pharmacy and say, "Here's my arm." Right, and you know, uh, and you come back two hours later, and it's ready. And then that's they, right. They sell it back on. AstraZeneca is that the vaccine that they're giving out in Canada? That was another problem. Yeah, uh, you get there's Pfizer. I have Pfizer. There's Moderna, uh, and there's we don't get Johnson and Johnson here, but we do get AstraZeneca. They were putting AstraZeneca into everybody's arm, and then there was all the uh, questionable you know, results from that. There were blood clots, all kinds of things. And so they stopped AstraZeneca and then they started it again and then they stopped it again and then they started it again. And then they said, well, you got to have the same uh, second dose as the, uh, as the first dose. And then they changed that again. So um, a lot of people got AstraZeneca and are continuing to get AstraZeneca. But the, you know, I think the Rolls Royce of it all is still, is still the Pfizer. And so, yeah. And you're, going to be doing later on tuesday nights monday nights with us because you you're going to your tennis club well here's the thing it's the summer and you know you don't get much summer in canada so we want to take advantage of it and i'm not really sending my my child to, to camp to day camps uh because we're not quite comfortable with that yet so we're going to spend a lot of time with him at the tennis club in the pool and we won't get home till a little later so i'd like to do like a nine o'clock spot or later when great when Another couple of weeks. Uh, what are you going to miss about the pandemic? Do you, do you see the light at the end of the tunnel? Certainly here in the United States. And I apologize because it's getting worse around the world. But here in the United States, certainly in New York City, the clubs are open. People are calling me. Do you, do you want to have dinner? Not that it's I'm great. And I'm so looking forward to it. I can't even tell you. Traveling. That's another thing I'm really missing. But I'll tell you the thing that I missed. I missed traveling. I missed, uh, I missed the cinema a lot. I missed going to the theater. But the thing I missed the most is looking up women's skirts. Yes. Yeah. That's what I missed the most. Can't do that at home. Right. My right. wife wears pantsuits. Your wife you know? wears pants. Yeah. <laughs> going outside, I'm 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 struck by. It's been a year and a half, uh, and it was very gradual. There were, there were, over a year and a half, there was a little panic, but for the most part, it was resignation. Okay, I'll stay indoors. But now that I'm allowed to go outside and see people, it's shocking. It's a jolt. Oh, we went through this whole, the entire, well, not the whole planet, but we all went through something together. And yet we didn't come together. They always say what would bring 
the world together is if some alien spacecraft landed and we would all unite and find our common humanity. No, we would break off. There would be people who would collaborate with the space aliens. and Absolutely. And I probably would be one of them. Me too. Uh, because I'd like to see um, I'd like to see, I'd like to see a yuck yucks on different planets. <laughs> uh, I don't, I, you see them as aliens. I call them potential franchisees. <laughs> well, here we here we go. B- before you go, but Jeff Bezos is going into outer space with his brother next month. It's, well, I think it's three point one million dollars to get the seat next to him. Yeah, but don't you think that he could have picked some, you know, hot chick? I mean, what a date. You can't turn that down. I don't care who he goes to. He says, would you like to go uh, into outer space with me? Yeah. Who's going to turn that down? I right. mean, you know, I believe he would take his brother. It's like taking your mom to the uh, to the Oscars. Or to the ways. prom, which I did. Yeah. No, you did I took my mom to the prom. Seriously? No. <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I just wanted to creep you out. Oh, okay. <laughs> this is uh, the, the going into space. Is anybody rooting for Jeff Bezos? Does he realize that the entire globe is not rooting for him when he goes into outer space? The only person who's probably rooting for him is Elton John because that song Rocket Man is going to be playing over and over <laughs> and over again on every news station over the the footage. So only, only Elton John, yeah. nobody else. Would you go into outer space if they offered I, you? No, I, I really have no, um, I have no desire to see emptiness. Uh, that's already in my life. <laughs> Massive emptiness. <laughs> Mark Breslin is the founder and president of Yuck Yucks. They're doing a a cyber show. Let me see if I can remember the date. July? Is am I correct in July? Is it the 11th? 10th, but you were close. Well, it's going to run into the 11th. It's going to be so great. It's just going to keep going. July 10th, buy tickets. It's across Canada. It's comics from across Canada. I should have Kenny Robinson on. Is he going to do... One of these. We're going to do one of them for sure. I'm not sure he's on the next one or not because we're picking people from like one person from every city. So I I don't know who it's going to be quite yet. And but to, he, he would be one of them for sure. To, to buy tickets, go to the Yuck Yucks website. Yes. And, and uh, just click on the link. There's a link. Great. I love you, buddy. Thank you so much. It's good to see you. I'll see you next week. Let me know what time works best for you. We'll keep we'll keep this approximate time for a couple of weeks yet. Okay, great. Thank you. Mark Breslin, everybody. Now let us go to Northern California, where good David is standing by. He is well, he's a lawyer. He ran for president on the Green Party. He's an environmentalist. And he's good David, and I'm bad David. And you are amazing. I love having you on the show. Thank you for joining us. Well, thank you, David. First, two things I got to say really quickly. One, I uh, am so grateful for the discipline of the good David, bad David uh, frame continuing. So thank you for that. And number two, like I just listened to Breslin and I've been listening to some of your other stuff like you like you've got all these hilarious folks on. And like I feel like 
no, like I'm not exactly sure what I'm doing here. You're you brilliant. Like, I'm a community organizer and you've got all these incredibly smart and funny people. And I'm here talking about the military industrial complex. So well, you know, I'm happy to be here. But <laughs> first of all, thank you. Secondly, how do you think I feel with all these guests? But it's I have to you know how terrifying it is to talk to all these guests. They're all brilliant, including you, including well, you. I was you. But but uh, I, I did a little due diligence on you, uh, Feldman, like you're kind of a big deal. So I'm, no, I'm, I'm like I, enough of all that. Like we we we've we've uh, we're, we're mutual admiration society. What do you want to talk about? I want to talk I, about I, I, I that. We get 30 minutes together. OK, I want to talk about carbon dioxide emissions have now reached 50% higher than pre-industrial age. And it seems to be happening much faster than we thought it would be. We're now going to have the hottest temperature on record. It's going to be half a degree higher in the next five years. That wasn't supposed to happen. And they're now worried that the half a degree higher, uh, maybe permanent. So have we hit the tipping point here? And is it just time to party? Well, no, no, um, should we just give no, up? We shouldn't give no, up. We shouldn't give up. I mean, uh, and, and I mean this really sincerely, because uh, I'm going to actually answer the existential part of the question uh, that you asked, because that's really the big one. Right. And I'll tell you this, David, and I think about this a lot. Uh, you know, if 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 one is on the Titanic and well, you don't have you to worry about icebergs. The iceberg, there are no more icebergs you, to worry about. Well, and you see the icebergs. There's no more. Then, They're gone. Then then one has a moral obligation to run as fast as you can and try to get uh, to that uh, uh, steering and, and turn and try to avoid it if it is at all possible. Even if this chances seem minuscule, you have a moral and ethical obligation to try. Second, if you've already hit the iceberg, then I would argue you have a moral obligation to try to get as many people onto lifeboats as you possibly can. And may the goddess forgive anyone who just spends their time in some sort of masturbatory uh, or, or uh, you know, drinking binge or, 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 or sort of self, like, you know, uh, or even worse, trampling over women and children trying to get your own sorry ass to a lifeboat. So your question is a big one. And I don't like I want to treat it as seriously as it as it deserves to be treated. Like we have a moral and ethical obligation to rise to the challenge of this existential crisis of humanity. And I do believe that the global ecological crisis, see, it's not coming. It's here and getting worse. And we can talk about the specifics of the science and we have to come to terms with the global ecological crisis is connected to an economic crisis known as late stage corporate capitalism. And David, those two crises are creating yet a third crisis, which is our political crisis of polarization and rising fascism, right? And I wanna be clear, objectively, the ecological crisis and the economic crisis are what's creating the political crisis that we're seeing now. And 
This political crisis is such that the political system can't solve it. Now, to be clear, the current political system can't solve, you know, uh, white supremacy or economic unfairness. I'm actually saying something even deeper. The political system can't even do what it's designed to do, which is maintain order, right? It can't, the neoliberal center is collapsing before our very eyes. And I, I've shared this with you before. I sincerely believe that over the next 10 to 15 years, like from now to 10 years or so, we're going to figure out whether we're going to start to lean in to an eco- ecological socialist-based sort of way of organized society or an absolutely fascist way uh, of trying to circle nation states uh, and so forth. That, like the center cannot hold. Now, if I'm wrong, great. But my assessment is based on science. It is based on history. It is based on my best understanding of what this historic conjuncture means. Unfortunately, I think we're heading towards fascism because it's the path of least resistance. It's the easiest way to go. They can't pass the For the People Act. This piece of human excrement, Joe Manchin, is against the For the People Act, which is the first step in reforming our political system. It's a pretty good bill. Would no, you agree? A, look, I agree. Like, I've got some critiques about it, but on the whole, it's a pretty good bill. And I think that you're right that Manchin's uh, position uh, is... Is rather astounding. I mean, the the level of naivete, uh, David, uh, is almost unfathomable to me. Uh, I mean, like, for goodness sakes, like literally, like to demand that there must be bipartisanship on any significant legislation when you could not get a single Republican to vote to just examine an actual armed insurrection. uh, assaulting the U.S. Capitol that put Congress people's lives at risk. I mean, come on! The, I, I, it, it is, it is, it boggles the mind. It yeah. literally boggles the mind. Let me just remind our, our listeners that the For the People Act. It's HR one. It was in Nancy Pelosi's defense when she became Speaker in 2019. Her very first bill that she introduced, HR1, was the For the People Act. And it it expands voting rights, changes campaign finance laws. It is supposed to reduce influence of money in politics, oversee gerrymandering, ethics rules, especially for Supreme Court justices. It's the first step in the American people getting to experience democracy, which so far has just been an idea, not a practice. And Joe Manchin is a Democrat, a senator from West Virginia, and he wields a lot of power because the Senate is split 50-50. And if he says no, it's not going to happen. Do you think that's true? Do you think that if it weren't Manchin or Cinema, isn't it... Schumer's fault that Manchin is allowed to behave this way. Look, I mean, it, it is it is uh, it's more complicated than that. So yes and yes, right? Like it's not one thing. Like you know, uh, it's a Gilderay and not one thing. It's another, right? right. Like, it's all connected, David. And this is the thing. Like like we 
we have been taught in this society to want to have really simple narratives to explain it. Like it's Schumer's fault or it's Manchin's fault. I mean, the reality is that I argue that the entire thing is, uh, it's just, it's a, it's, it's a convoluted, corrupted bit of mess, right? Now we, that, that doesn't excuse it. We still got to actually chop wood and bale water, right? Like mm-hmm. we, 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 we've got to actually fix this thing. And, and, and for me, I, I just have real clarity. When a, an elected official, whether they're a Democrat, a Republican, an independent, a socialist, a green, when an elected official does something good, then I will cheer them. And when they do something bad, I will jeer them. And the reality is that corporate cash has become like a cancer massetizing within the body politic of both the Democratic and the Republican parties, right? Like, like, uh, and that's the reason why somebody like a grifter like Donald Trump, uh, a demagogue of the worst order, um, uh, can bring along bring along a lot of uh, populist rubes uh, because he's 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 you know he's feeding them the bread in the circus right mm-hmm. uh, because the the, the mostly the circus don't actually offer them anything yeah no bread just circus just circus yeah so you know I just uh, look. I, I hate to get onto that tangent, uh, David, but it really is sort of how I assess it. So, so is it Schumer's fault? You bet it is. Uh, is it Manchin and Cinema's fault? You bet it is. Is it Pelosi's fault? You bet it is. Like, and is it our fault collectively? You bet it is. And that's like, but but for me, David, I'm not interested in just assigning blame. I'm interested in identifying gaps and trying to close them, identifying problems and trying to solve them. So. That's why I do most like, you know, I'm a I'm a Green Party member. I'm proud to be a Green Party member, but I work at Cooperation Humboldt where we're actually building alternatives that actually meet people's needs uh, in the here and the now. Uh, And to me, it's not either electoral politics or building alternatives or movement work or disruptive work like we have to do it all. And whatever like whatever inspires folks. Uh, that's what they ought to be doing. All right, so help me out here, because the Democrats, MSNBC ran Trump's speech over the weekend. Not CNN, not Fox. MSNBC was there. They were covering it. They need Donald Trump because he is, as you say, an existential threat to democracy. You read mainstream media Fascism is right around the corner. The Democrats, MSNBC, make bank on the threat of fascism. But the For the People Act, which would prevent fascism, they can't seem to get their shit together and pass meaningful change in how we elect our leaders. Which comes first? Shouldn't the first thing we as Americans do is take to the streets and demand passage of the For the People Act? You know, Peru is going to rewrite its constitution. Chile is rewriting its constitution. We don't have a democracy here. It's true. We don't. I mean, uh, and and I would argue we really never have. Right. Like uh, and the entire hit one way of, to look at the entire history of the United States, uh, David, is as a pitch struggle uh, again. Like we had a moment like 
And let's be clear, rejecting monarchy as a form of rule, that's a good thing. Like we need to applaud that. However, immediately, like, immediately installing uh, in, uh, in the 1787, a, 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 a legal document uh, that protects property rights instead of human rights, this is a problem. I mean, if we really want to, like have a historian on sometime and, and have that historian, uh, she, he, or them, have them talk about the Articles of the Confederation and uh, what the anti-federalists were for, right? Uh, like it's, a, it's an amazing thing because I remember being taught uh, in, in junior high and high school that the anti-federalists like we're just anti, right? And and oh, thank goodness that the the Constitution was created because the government wasn't working. But you know what? Actually, it wasn't. It was in fact working. It was genuinely little d democratic, uh, and you had yeoman farmers. Now, like obviously, slavery was horrific, uh, a, a stain that that uh, uh, needs to be addressed, and the white supremacy needs to be addressed. But what I'm saying is. Little d democracy can actually work if we let it. But what we've seen is the Alexander Hamiltons of the world who immediately came in uh, and attempted to recreate a type of monarchy or aristocracy, only this is the moneyed aristocracy uh, as opposed to the hereditary one. Taking over the debt from the Revolutionary War as a a means of control. Taking the state. We'll take on your debt. And then we're like the mafia, we're, you know, I, mean, it, 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 look, uh, I will say this. And, and, and again, this is uh, it, like all uh, all joking aside, David, like what we're what we're looking at is a question of power. Right. And uh, what I have come to understand and I continue to grapple with is that we have been taught and experience a power over, right? And that there's always somebody with power and either if you're the one with the power, you have power over people or somebody has power over you. We're not taught what real democracy actually requires, which is power with one another, right? Like we, we, we haven't experienced that, uh, but, but we can learn to, uh, and, and we can learn to, uh, uh, to, 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 to to uh, exercise power with one another, uh, and I, I I'm always remember the the great quote by Louis Brandeis, the the great Supreme Court jurist, who said, "We can have democracy in this country, or we can have great wealth concentrated in the hands of a few, right. but we can't have both." Right, and I think that that's really the problem that that we have allowed and incentivized. A, an accumulation of wealth, power, and decision-making authority in this country. Brandeis, did he also say sunshine is the great disinfectant? Was that Brandeis who said that? I don't know. Let's look it up. That, it, it's a, but when it's he a said line. it, he, when he said it, he was a patriot. When Trump said it, he was a quack. When Trump says, let's use sunlight as a COVID disinfectant. I think yeah, it was I Brandeis. Know, right? I, I hope like, it was Brandeis. Like, I don't, like, I, you know what? I honestly feel sorry for uh, comedians these days because it's like, this guy Trump, it's like, like, what, what do you do? Like, like, whenever he says something like that, I don't even know, like, you just play the, the spiel? Like, that's the, like, how well, do you make fun of that? Indulge it's me just, 90 seconds. When I was starting out, the rules in the San Francisco comedy scene were, where you couldn't reference the Flintstones, you couldn't reference any sitcoms 
on stage because you were uh, bit surfing. You were getting laughs off other somebody else's right. comedy. So if an impersonator went on stage and imitated Bill Cosby, imitated imitated him on stage, not off stage. If you imitated him on stage, you were considered a hack because you were getting Bill Cosby's laughs. I look at the cottage industry of late night television making fun of Donald Trump. It's kind of the same thing. It's it's kind of you're making fun of something that's already funny. You should go after his paymasters. Unfortunately, on television, Trump and our late night hosts have the same exact paymasters, so they're not going to they're not going to do that. They're limited. Right. And and it's worth pointing out, of course, like we we all know this, but it just needs to be said repeatedly. And that is that Donald Trump, as a, quote, serious political force, was created by the corporate media because like and and the data is objectively clear, uh, David, like, like like the amount of screen time, the amount of like ink, the amount of digital uh, time and space that Donald Trump had overwhelmed all of his competitors uh, during the Republican uh, primary. And it was like, I forget the ratio, but it was a really uh, like outlandish he said, ratio. He said, Trump himself said that he got about $2 billion of free advertising, free media in the run up to the general election. One of the things I keep talking about on this show is people have conversations about nothing because they don't know what they want. So we're coming up with solutions for problems that don't exist. We're ignoring the real problems that America is in a complete state of denial. What is the conversation what is the difficult, heavy lifting conversation that we should be having? The, the environment, right? The environment. Uh, I, I, well, I think it's too, it, it is the environment, it is the ecology, but it's also the social system that is so unfair. Like uh, y- you can tie those together. And in fact, there's a fantastic um, uh, academic at UC Berkeley. Uh, you can, uh, uh, I can't, I, I'll send I'll send you an email, David. Uh, you should have him on because he's actually showed with, with, with good, uh, hard social science data that, uh, an economic, uh, narrative and a racial justice narrative is actually a super majority winning one. Now the far right wing like we'll go apoplectic, but we're never going to get the, their, their, them anyway, right? Uh, and if you just do one or the other, you end up turning people off. The thing is, there is a super majority of Americans, if you look at the polling data, who want to see a racially and socially just, uh, economically fair and ecologically sustainable society. That is a super majoritarian position. And that narrative is a winning narrative, right? Now, putting policies together with it can be a challenge because the the leadership of both the Democratic and the Republican parties, again, are, are getting paid off uh, by the super wealthy. That's why when somebody like a Bernie Sanders comes along, uh, when somebody like an AOC comes along, you know, we need to rally behind them. 
And again, like I get a lot of grief from some greens uh, because I say, look, if a, if a genuine progressive comes up, like I might critique them, like they may not be as far left as I want them to be, but I'm, I'm not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I don't let the, the perfect become the enemy of the good. Right. This is the point. There is a, a movement re- that, that's not only ready to be born, David, it is being born, right? Like, and you're, you're seeing it rise up in, uh, in so many different communities all across this country. And it's not controlled by the Democratic Party, right? Like, this is something interesting. We're seeing a populist uh, uprising. The question is whether it will be a progressive one or a reactionary one. And right now, uh, it doesn't look good for us, right? because Trump is and the, the right wing are actually speaking that language. But I see the opportunity to build a progressive populist coalition. So yes, we should be talking about ecological sustainability and we should be talking about the fact that there is a billionaire class that has the boots on all of our necks. And I'll tell you this, you can't take me to a pool hall or a bowling alley in the deepest reddest state where I can't uh, I'd change my clothes, right? I'd, I'd take off my uh, Campesino Power T-shirt and and put on a flannel uh, flannel shirt. But I could talk about the boss man and his boot on our neck, uh, and I could get into some righteous solidarity uh, with anybody at any pool hall or bowling alley across this country. And why isn't why aren't there more people like that? Where are they? Well, I think that we exist, right? But uh, where are the big names? I always say when I was growing up, Bobby Kennedy or the last three years of Bobby Kennedy's life, Cesar Chavez, although he turned out to be a major disappointment, bit of a martyr, self-destructive martyr who was more concerned about the afterlife than organizing. That's a whole other story. Martin, Dr. Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, there were people who were out of the political system. We have the Reverend Barber now, but we don't seem to have public figures who speak solely for the disenfranchised without it being some kind of racket underneath it. So here's the what I would who are Who are they? Where are they? Reverend well, Barber? Well, Reverend Barber is, I think, one of them, but as Sherry Honkala. Ralph Nader. Uh, is another. Uh, I could actually name lots of folks, but but the, but but listen, like you said, where are the public figures? The point is, corporate media don't create them anymore. Like I, and like, I know that you like like you know Ralph, right? Like uh, I know you you do the the Nader out. Like they will never allow another Ralph Nader to to exist. I think that they realized that they made a tremendous error in allowing Ralph Nader a public microphone, right? Uh, and I, I will tell you, like, Ralph is a tremendous person. Like, look, I'm a lawyer because of Atticus Finch and Ralph Nader, right? Atticus Finch, a fictional character. Ralph Nader, a real live human being. Ralph has probably had more influence on me than anybody who's not related to me, right? Um, but what I'm telling you is this. They will not allow another Ralph Nader to exist. They're not going to put like, remember that Ralph got famous on Merv Griffin, right? As a consumer, as a consumer advocate, taking on the airlines, taking on big beef and hot dogs and the, the of, and of course the auto industry he was protecting right. consumers he was telling you how to shop how to buy things you can't do that so anymore. let me ask you this david feldman 
Are you telling me you honestly don't think that there are consumer advocates out there working day in and day out trying to protect consumers that are not a grift? Aren't there people are there people out there? Doing there's, racial there's, justice there's actually work consumer consumers report, which everybody should subscribe to. Right. If and you well, want to know what to buy, Consumer Report will tell you. There's no doubt. And, and the only point I'm making is those people exist, but they don't have a microphone. They don't have a video. They, they are not being put before the American people the way Ralph Nader was allowed to be put before the American people. Consumerism got big in the 60s. This is alien to people who are no longer who are not baby boomers. There was a thing called consumerism and you had consumer advocates and they would tell you what to buy, what not to buy, why you're being overcharged, why this is good for you, why this is bad for you. And every local TV news station had a consumer advocate and they quickly realized, wait a second, we're biting the hand that feeds us. So they all went after plumbers. The, the consumer advocates suddenly went after Local, the small scale uh, merchant, the, the 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 mom and pop craftsman, they stopped going after corporate America. They st- right, and the crimes became not corporate crimes, the muggings, the murders. Every lead story on local news now is there's a shooting, there's a murder, so that you begin to believe. That crime is up, violent crime is up, when in fact, over the long arc of American history, violent crime is down. Corporate crime is way through way the Way up. And, and the, the level of toxic poisoning that's happening, again, like the, the, the ecological devastation that's being driven by these huge transnational corporations. And again, you know, we have to remember that corporations are artificial entities created under law. Right. The corporate chartering process could actually be used to decharter corporations, attorneys general. All, all the tools exist. What we need is a mass movement and a political will that actually demands uh, that, that laws that are on the book now actually be enforced. Right. Right. The tools exist. So give me some more before you go. Give me some names of people who should be well known, who I should be who I should have on the show. You know, uh, I'll ask you this. Give me the opportunity to think on that because I don't I I could just start naming some names right now. But that's a serious like because this is a this is a show. Right. Uh, I already gave you the name Ben Mansky, though. I want to put that one back in your head. Okay, if you hadn't, because like a a Jewish person who can speak and he's a professor, uh, George Mason, uh, that can speak intelligently about the multi uh, racial peace movement in Israel right now, uh, where Arabs and Jews together are actually coming together. So I'm going to yeah. give you Ben Mansky's name. And he I'm teaches at George Mason, not Jackie Mason University. That's right. That's right. <laughs> See, this is the thing. Like you would think Jackie Mason, that's that's where you're going to go. So this is why I want, it's important that we clarify that. Right. But I will just say that that uh, that's a name that I want to make sure is in the mix. Sherry Honkala. Uh, is a poor person's advocate uh, out of Philadelphia. She formed the Kensington Welfare Rights Union. Uh, I want to make sure that she gets in your mix. And I want to think about a couple of others, some indigenous women, 
There's some black women, some like, I want to make sure to give you a broad breadth of folks. And Bring, I promise you, I will send you that. Bring them on. And the three of us will talk. Oh, let's have a conversation. You yeah, got a deal. I would love that. David Cobb is a lawyer, an environmental activist. He ran for president on the Green Party ticket. I think you had Ralph's slot, right? I did. You know, Ralph, Ralph basically started uh, the, the Green Party uh, in 2000 or his presidential campaign kind of launched us. And, and uh, I was the 2004 nominee. Great. Thank you, David Cobb. Hopefully we'll have you back next week. Thank you. Thanks, David. Bye now. Great. Let us now go to I hope we're going to Southern California where Howie Klein is standing by. You have a hard out. Is that correct? I do. I do. I'm meeting someone for dinner far on the other side of town. Howie Klein is the founder and treasurer of the Blue America PAC. They raise money for progressive candidates, some socialist candidates around the country. Lots to talk about. We have to we can't go over Joe Manchin. One of the things. Uh, I, yeah, I know. Is it is it fair to say that if Joe Manchin didn't exist, they would find somebody else? To, to stall all the important legislation that Chuck Schumer, that he's getting cooperation from Chuck Schumer? I, I don't know the answer to that. And I, 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 just, I just don't know. And I don't think so. Does Chuck Schumer really want the For the People Act to, to be passed? I think so, yes. I mean, don't you think Chuck Schumer likes the idea of being the majority leader? Because it would allow more Democrats to vote. Yes. How, how important? In other words, if all, all they have to do is lose one Senate seat and he's a minority leader again. And he has no power. So that, that's why that rumor, which is, of course, going around, uh, why I, I can't buy into it. I mean, I don't like Chuck Schumer. And as you know, I went to the same high school with him. And I've never liked him, including back then. And um, I, what is uh, the rumor? What is the rumor that's going around? The, the rumor is what you just said, that he's cooperating with Manchin and that if Manchin wasn't around uh, to do this, he would have, uh, uh, you know, one of the one of the creeps from Delaware or one of the creeps from uh, New Hampshire or. Uh, and of course, they've got cinema already. And, and that's the one that you can really j blame on on. Uh, on Schumer since he picked her and he cleared the field for her. And if it wasn't for, for cinema, we wouldn't have, uh, I'm sorry, if it wasn't for uh, Schumer, we wouldn't have cinema. Now you have a piece over Down With Tyranny, must reading, everybody should start their day by going to downwithtyranny.com. You write, blame Manchin, blame cinema, but the real culprit is Schumer's embrace of corrupt conservatism. So how how is Schumer to blame then? Whoa, well, that story is about something else entirely, which is about him picking these kinds of candidates. In other words, everywhere in the country uh, where there's progressive trying to run for the Senate, Schumer is working actively to undercut them and, and put a conservative in instead. He doesn't seem to understand that he's the author of his own misery. I mean, I really do believe he would like to uh, get, get these bills passed. And he can't do it because of cinema, who he who's there because of him, and Mansion, uh, who isn't there because of him. So you're saying that there was somebody running against Mansion, but Schumer. No, 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 it's not the case with Mansion. 
is the case with cinema. In other words, uh, what's his name? Uh, Congress, Congressman Gallego wanted to run as well, and Schumer told him no. He said that the party was going to go uh, back uh, cinema. So uh, Gallego, you know, he's not perfect, but he's certainly a lot better than her, to put it mildly. I mean, she was literally, I mean, literally, there has to be one person who's the worst one in any situation. She was the worst Democrat in Congress. She was the, the chairman of the Blue Dogs, and she had the worst voting record. She voted more with Republicans than any other Democrat. And Schumer didn't pick her despite that. He picked her because of that. And on the other hand, Gallego is uh, is a good, solid. Well, he's a good, he's a good progressive. Okay, you went to high school with Chuck Schumer. If he called you up, I know he doesn't like you, but he he said, "Listen, this is you know I'm in trouble. I really want the For the People Act to get passed in the Senate. Is there anything you could tell me to do that would work?" and get this thing passed in the Senate. What would you advise Schumer to do to get it passed right now? I'm afraid that the For the People Act isn't going to pass. But what could, um, the, what could, because we blame Pelosi yeah, and Schumer on this show. They, there's pieces of it that could pass. There's what? And I, I'm afraid there are pieces of the For the People Act that could pass. And he, uh, he just has to work on that. In terms of the filibuster, someone made a good, um, a good proposal today which was to talk uh, Manchin, and probably to do that cinema, but to talk Manchin into agreeing to lower the threshold from 60 votes to 55 votes, that that might be possible. Remember, it used to be 67 votes, and the person who really had the most to do with lowering it to 60 votes is Manchin's idol, Bird, Robert Bird from West Virginia, because of him, it got lowered from 67 to 60, and now it could be lowered from 60 to 55. If it was lowered to, 50, to 55, there's a better chance that they would be able to s some things that uh, are get, that get um, filibusted by McConnell. Okay. There's no hardball that you could... I, I was always told that... Pollard... No, there's no hardball with Manchin. Manchin, as I said, if Manchin wants to, uh, you know put them in their place. All he has to do is, is flip to the Republicans. He would be welcome with open arms. He could be, you know, McConnell would become the majority leader. And uh, Manchin could have any position he wanted. If he wanted to be the head of the Judiciary Committee, the head of any committee, he could be the head of any committee. He'd have anything he wanted to, to do that flip. And if they push him hard enough, if they play hardball with him, he'll do it. What is the John Lewis bill? This is a, an alternative to the For the People Act. Well, it's it, it's it's more, it's not so much an alternative as something that goes goes hand in hand with it. The For the People Act has you know a lot of different things in it, uh, and and some of them don't have really a lot to do with voting. Uh, it's a great bill, and lot, and I'm happy with every single piece. But they they you know they if they can't get every single piece, they should get what they can. And the John Lewis bill uh, brings back the. Um, you know, basically, it's the voting rights bill that that got shit canned, and they can bring it back again. Okay, I'm gonna. Re- and, you know, the last time, although it was you know many many years ago, the last time it came up in the Senate, which was 2006, it passed unanimously. Every single Republican voted for it. Some of them are still in Congress, so it'd be interesting to see why they would change their minds now. And I, I believe some of them won't. I, I most of them will. 
uh, be against it. But, I mean, they'll get some. I mean, or I think Lisa McCaskill has already said she's a vote for it. I believe that Susan Collins is the vote for it. So you've got at least those two. And, and that's the cover for Manchin. I mean, all Manchin wants is one or two Republicans, and then he says it's bipartisan. Okay. The frustration I have, the frustration my listeners have, certainly the, the people who show up for office hours, were really angry that the Republicans are a fascist party. Yes, and, they should be angry. And they are doing things state by state, making it impossible for people of color, poor people, to vote. This is well, not impossible. But they're making it more difficult. Making it more difficult. We expect the Democratic Party to push back in the Senate and pass the For the People Act. To yes, we do expect that, but how are we going to do that? How are we going to do that? You can't do it with Manchin and Cinema standing in the way. Right. How many of your Arizona listeners voted for her? I bet all of them did. They won't admit it now, but I bet they all voted for, for Cinema. Uh, did, did, was there anyone warning them? That she was a psychotic, and a right-wing insane person? I was. I was warning them every step of the way. Did they listen? No. They voted for her. So now, they, now they're crying. Get one of your Arizona listeners on the phone. Well, it, it, you know, we have like a year and a half of Democratic leadership, and we're going down, we're going down in defeat. It, it, well, um, uh, well, there's, there is some pressure being put on Biden, who's not a big fan of, of uh, uh, changing the filibuster either. But there is going to be some ma- there is already pressure and there's going to be some much, much more major pressure put on him to uh, I don't know what they think he's going to do. They think he can talk a mansion into it. I'm not as, as certain that anyone can talk mansion into anything. There's no way to to. Get this party to march in lockstep or else. Well, I mean, just say you say this party, you could get all of them to march in lockstep except two of them. But 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 can't you? What would Lyndon Johnson have done? What would have I've said to you before? I think we have a better chance of getting uh, Murkowski to vote with the the Democrats on this than we have to get um, uh, Manchin on it. Manchin isn't going to go for it. Does this speak to Schumer's lack of persuasive skills if there were a better majority leader? I wish I could say yes to this. I wish I could blame Schumer for it, and I partially do. Uh, certainly, cinema is his fault. But Manchin isn't really his fault. But can't he go into Schumer? Can't he go into Manchin's office and make and say, it in? Manchin- the Republican Party, that's what it would amount to. But but it's all about negotiations. It's all about relations. So can't you go into some... They've offered him any everything. I'm, I'm certain that they've offered him anything he wants. Uh, and there's nothing he's going to take. I mean, do you remember when the um, Affordable Care Act was hanging by a thread and they got that uh, asshole, uh, what was his name, uh, Nelson from Nebraska? And they gave him, they let him write his own ticket. So why don't they do that with Manchin? They already offered it to him. He doesn't want anything. Then destroy him. Why can't they then destroy? Okay, so tell me. Then they're giving up the majority for whatever it's worth. They won't have it anymore. That's the, I'm not defending them. I'm just telling you that's the way they're thinking. And they have, uh, you know, and then they still have cinema. 
who, as I've always said, is a psychotic and is not reasonable. Manchin, you can actually negotiate with. You know, you're not necessarily going to win, but you can negotiate with him. Cinema is insane. You can negotiate with us. Nothing you can say to change your mind. Manchin, maybe there is something they can offer him. I don't know what the hell it is. They already gave his wife some sinecure, uh, but I don't know what they can do. What and, they can do. And the politics of personal destruction don't exist with the Democrats. There's no way you can. And I'm being serious here. There's no way you no, can. Yes, the Democrats love the politics of personal destruction, but they don't use it on conservatives. They use it on progressives. Exactly. So it does say that Schumer's to blame here because he could go into Manchin's office and, do what? and say, do. you do this or else. Or, or Manchin has a bigger wax than Schumer does. Manchin, you can say, OK, I'll join the Republicans and you'll be minority leader. But I'm going like to destroy that. you. I have a file here. We're going to destroy you. No, you don't. You're, you're dreaming. That doesn't happen in politics where they go if in. They have a file. You make so shit up. You make shit oh, up. Oh, that does not happen. It doesn't happen. That only happens. Uh, Schumer has done that before, by the way. He did make, he, you know, he did make something up. But he's not. He, he, they only do that to progressives. They don't do that to conservatives. Right. So it is Schumer's fault then. I don't agree with you that making things up is what should be what Schumer does. By any. If he if he does something like that, if he takes a move like that, Manchin will become a Republican within the hour. I don't think there's anything you can do. I mean, you know, maybe maybe uh, Biden can can persuade him. Maybe. Okay. No people who who are telling me that he can. And okay, they maybe they know better than I do. Okay. I, I, I do. Now Bernie Sanders should be president, not Joe Biden. I agree. What would have happened if Bernie won, but he won dirty? It wasn't the the landslide that would have been necessary for him to bring in sweeping change. Because he always said, if I win, they said, how are you going to get things done? He said, if I win, it's going to be a landslide. Well, he gets elected president, but it isn't a landslide. And he's got the same seats in the House and the Senate that Biden has now. Would this be the death now for the left right now? What could Bernie get accomplished given the same math that Biden is facing? Uh, Bernie would be trying, I think, harder than I believe uh, Biden is. I mean, Bernie believes in, in uh, reforming it or eliminating, really, the filibuster. Biden doesn't believe in it. Biden's not pushing that. Well, what? But what tools does he have? What tools would Bernie have that Biden is? Do you using? want me to say that he should? That someone should murder uh, Mansion, and then we'll get a Republican replacement? We're stuck. As long as as Schumer and the DSCC and the DCCC believes that the way to win elections is by having conservatives run, we're stuck. They're doing it again. Schumer is doing it again. He he got the job for for cinema. She's screwing him over now. He's trying the same thing in Pennsylvania, same thing in North Carolina, same thing in uh, Florida. Everywhere where he can stick his fingers, he's doing the same thing. He's looking for other candidates just like cinema, and he doesn't learn. 
and, and, and it, it doesn't make sense to me. Something must have happened along the way to his brain. He was, he was the valedictorian. He was really smart. He went to Harvard. That, does, that means he's stupid. I mean that. All right. Speaking of people who are smart, who went to Harvard, Alan Grayson, is he making it official? He made it official this morning. He's running for Senate. He's running against He's Rubio. running for Senate against uh, Marco Rubio. And uh, Schumer doesn't, uh, you know, Sh Schumer will, will never let that happen. I mean, Schumer made up all sorts of uh, smears against him last time. And, uh, and there's, you know, I'm sure he'll do the same thing again this time. Who does Schumer want? Val Demings, a nothing, just an absolute zero. She, she doesn't, she's nothing. She's just a new dem. You know, I, I have like literally progressive people saying to me, why are you backing Alan Grayson when we have Val Demings? And I, and I say to them, who the hell is Val Demings? Who is she? What has she ever accomplished? Name just one thing, just one thing that she has ever done ever in politics. Just one. Just give me one. Uh, and don't mention the fact that she lost her gun when she was police chief uh, really? at a party. Mention that. Really? Said, done. Oh, yeah. She said, disaster. A disaster. A big nothing. Nothing. That's exactly what... Oh, Schumer wants. I, when I wrote uh, that story today about how, I think, I don't know, maybe it isn't even out yet, I think it is, about how the, both the Democratic and the Republican parties breed mediocrity because people like Schumer and people like McConnell, they don't want people who are independent thinkers. They don't want people who are critical thinkers. They just want people who will take orders and do whatever they tell them to do. And, then, and we wind up with mediocre people and sitting in the U.S. Senate which is a, a, an incredibly mediocre uh, body. Now, some people say Marco Rubio is the most mediocre Republican in the whole Senate. Maybe he is. I, I would, I could, I, you know, there are others. Boozman is very mediocre. There are a whole bunch who are. But certainly Rubio is one of them. And now they, they have managed to find someone literally more mediocre than, than Marco Rubio. I'm not saying worse than Marco Rubio. I'm saying more mediocre. And that's Val Demons. Marco Rubio is, is not That's a thing. Leadership created her. That's it. They right. created her. Look at her on, on, on the, the House uh, Impeachment Committee. What did she do? She read, she read some notes badly that her staff gave her. That's it. Nothing. She was nothing. She is nothing. Look at her record. No one can, can ever tell me that she's done anything good because she never has. She's an African-American woman who oh, is a, good. who's married to, I believe she was married, is married to a police chief. I mean, so that he was a police. Chief. He was also a police chief. He's now the mayor of Orange County. He, if he was running, he's not her. He's really good. If he was running, we'd be backing him. He's really good. These new reports, you know, they're doing a postmortem. Democratic Party is doing a postmortem. No, 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 no. You're getting that wrong. It's not the Democratic Party. It's Third Way who's doing that postmortem. And they quoted. You're talking about that got that got leaked in the, in, over the weekend in the New York Times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's the Third Way. And they, I noticed they quoted a lot of fundraisers 
And, and, and a lot of, you know, shit Democrats like, you know, Abigail Spanberger and, and or or what's her name? Uh, the other one, the one, the Blue Dogs, they, that's all, they, they, it's all they, you know, they write this stupid thing up about how it's all, all progressives' fault. No mm-hmm. progressives lost, by the way. Every single progressive incumbent won. Every one of them. Even progressive incumbents who were targeted by Republicans in Trump districts. They won. Who lost? Shitty blue dogs and new dems lost. According, and yet they're trying to blame the whole thing on on progressives on defunding the and, police. And, they, and then they interview other crappy uh, conservative Democrats who say, "Yes, you're right," and that's that's the reporting of the New York Times. I was sickened when I read that report. They they said that Democrats running on defunding the police was. Too radical for most and of who ran on defunding the police? Nobody. Not a single candidate ran on defunding exactly. the police. Exactly. But look at, like, you know, uh, uh, you know, Wendy Davis. Do you remember how she ran for Texas. governor of Texas? Yeah. She did well. She just ran for, in, in a very swingy kind of district, against a nothing Republican. She just ran. And when she started the race, she was telling people, I learned my lesson last time. I learned my lesson. I am not going to run as a middle-of-the-road centrist Democrat. I'm going to run the way I really am. I'm going to run as a progressive. And she did for two hours. And someone spoke to her, and, and she threw that away. And she ran as a, a typical, nothing conservative, don't rock the boat Democrat, and lost. Um you know, what are you going to expect from these people? I mean, you know, this this is this is a nightmare. This is an absolute nightmare. The part of the the tent is too damn big. They they should not. It should be a democratic party that uh, that is based on democratic values, not a democratic party based on a bunch of frightened conservative Democrats who say, if you do anything that lives up to democratic values, I will lose my seat. Let them lose their seat. I hope they lose their seat. I hope they lose their lives. (laughs) I agree with you 100%. I agree with you that the tent is too damn big. You, in a previous life, ran record studios and worked with rock stars. If you try to be all things to all people, you're nothing. If you want to fill an arena... You have to be pretty specific in what you do, right? Well, it's, uh, I don't know about the, the analogy there. We're getting, we're going off. All right, okay. Way. But the Republican Party. I remember when, when Bill Graham, when I was still a kid, he was someone I really looked up to, and he was, he really taught me a lot about the uh, promotion, the the uh, concert promotion business. And he was famous for putting, you know, really. You know, cutting-edge things together, but really different things. Like he would take, you know, like a rocker and a, someone who did the blues and, and maybe a fiddle player and put right. them all on a fiddle. And everybody loved everything. And he said, I don't care if you don't like it. I like it. I'm the empresario here. If you don't like it, you're wrong and I'm right. That Mark Breslin, who runs Yuck Yucks, same thing. I like these comedians. I don't care what the audience thinks. And, and then he'll either thrive or go out of business. Right. That's what leadership is. That's what leadership is. Yes, exactly. And we don't have leadership in the Democratic Party. We have pollsters. Yeah. Well, you're right. We don't have leadership. And, and the leadership that we have is tepid and, and it's blocked by octogenarians. Uh, who are not, you know, when I stepped away from Reprise Records, from being the president of Reprise Records, I didn't have to, and I was still in my 50s, I think. 
uh, I, don't, I, don't, I, I don't remember exactly when I stepped away, but I was still young, and, and almost every other president of every record company was older than me, and I thought I would set a, a good example by making room for younger people to come up. And no, 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 no one, people were 20 and 30 years older than me who were barely hanging on <laughs> to their sanity, and no, nobody gave up. Everybody kept running. <laughs> Everyone kept... Uh, Working. It's unimaginative to stay, if you have the freedom which you have, it's unimaginative to keep doing the same thing over and over again. For Diane well, Feinstein to have a tendency to, uh, to define themselves by their jobs. So, you know, there are people who, in other words, are hanging on because that's who they are, they're nothing else. They're just what their job is. That's their status. That's what any prestige they have. That's what any power they have. And they don't, they don't want to give it up. And I didn't feel that way. I felt, you know, I've gone through periods of my life doing lots and lots of different things. And I felt great about every single part of my life. And, um, and you know, being someone who was washing dishes at one time in a meditation center, that was a great life. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And I also love being the president of, of a big corporation. I love that too, but not not necessarily would I say that my life was was was. I'm saying not necessarily was my life richer in every single way uh, because of the one thing instead of the other. Each one of them had its benefits. Right, Brian Osorio. A lot of other things in between. Brian Osorio. Before you go, is he who we give to this week? That would be good. Brian is, is someone worthwhile. Did we talk about Chris Larson? Have you had Chris Larson on the show? Yet? No, I have not. Let's have Chris on the show. Chris is running for. Have you had you have you had Brian on yet? No, I'm always afraid. Here's what I'm afraid of: that if I have them on, I don't get you. No, let's have them other times. You have them. Okay, all right. I like talking to Chris, you. And you're gonna love. You're gonna love Chris okay. so much. This is a state senator in, in Wisconsin. He's running for the U.S. Senate against uh, Ron Johnson. And Chris led the party out of the state when they tried to uh, take away um, labor's right to organize. He led all of all of the Democrats into Illinois. Do you remember when that happened? That was that's this Chris Larson. He is incredible. He's a real fighter. Uh, I've known him for a decade, and um, I feel close to the guy. And you, uh, I should set you up with him. Okay. okay. Very quickly, Tuesday, we have primaries in Virginia and New Jersey. They're odd year elections. What should we be looking for? In Vir we have the governor's race in both Virginia and New Jersey. Anything? Our friend Carter, is he going to do well in Virginia? I, I don't from the I mean, unless everyone is telling the polls, the pollsters a lie, I, I don't think he is going to do well. I mean, he's certainly the person I would vote for. Blue America endorsed him. We've raised money for him. He's a great guy. He would be the best governor in America if he were elected. I don't think he, he is going to be elected. Is there any race that you're optimistic about in either New Jersey or Virginia for Tuesday? Yeah, there are state legislative races that, that are uh, that are worth um you know where, where there are progressives running against conservatives, and it's it's worth um, it, it's worth you know figuring out if you live in that in a district where there's someone uh, where there's a progressive running, go for it. In Virginia, we we only have three and a half minutes left. So in Virginia, in two thousand and uh, two thousand and nineteen, didn't Bernie move? Didn't he get a lot of delegates elected in Virginia? Didn't 
Bernie I don't know. I, 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 offhand, I couldn't tell you. Okay, I thought that there, there's Virginia has been moving to the left, as I yes. understand. Right. Okay. Howie Klein is the founder and treasurer of the Blue America Pack, and everybody should go to Down with Tyranny and read him every day and give to Alan Grayson. Welcome to the race, Alan Grayson. We hope uh, he's our next senator from Florida. How do people donate? How do people donate to Alan? They can go to Alan's website. They can, there's a Blue America Senate page they can go to. I have a story up um, this morning where I where I link to uh, uh, you know there's a thermometer where you could click on the thermometer and give to Alan whether it's five dollars or five hundred dollars. Uh, every contribution is appreciated. I'm getting ready to come to Los Angeles. I, I have to take care of a couple of things. What restaurant are you going to tonight? Please don't embarrass me. <laughs> Make something up then. If you could go to a restaurant, where would you be going? Jean Georges. What is that? Are you embarrassed because it's so expensive, or it's? Well, I'm not paying. Someone else is is is, uh, is invited me. But it's a restaurant in Paris that I absolutely love. It's like it's a Parisian restaurant that's amazing. It's one of my favorite restaurants in the city. However, they open one in New York, one in Las Vegas, and one here in L.A. that aren't kind of eaten in all, all three of them. And they're good. They're very good, but they're not like the Parisian place. But oh. the, the, the person who invited me tonight, it's, she wants to go there, and I'm her guest, and I'm happy to go. Great. L.A., you get a sense that it's back, right? The, the COVID is almost yeah, I got, Yes, I have that sense. Okay. But, but when, you, you, when you come to town... We won't be going there. We'll go. We'll be going to uh, more Hamish place or or Pink's on La Brea. Howie Klein. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you so much. Have a great meal. And I'll introduce you to Chris. Uh, yes, I'll, I'll email Bye. you tomorrow. Thank you. Read them over at Down with Tyranny. Thank you, Howie. Thank you, David. We will be back with Judy Gold. It's time right now for the David Feldman Show. He's talking politics and comedy, too. He'll tell a dirty joke if you want him to. He's just a lefty from way back. He's a union man with an Emmy for writing. Someday he's mad and he feels like fighting. It's time right now for the David Feldman Show To get your ears on right, buckle in real tight He's got a lot to say and he's coming your way Judy Gold is standing by her book. Yes, I can say that when they come for the comedians, we are all in trouble 
is available now in paperback. No, it's not. Oh, really? Yeah. It didn't come out in paperback? No, they didn't send it out in paperback. They said they, that's doing fine this way, and they didn't uh, reissue it in paperback. <laughs> because that is the luck I have. <laughs> it was supposed to come out in April in paperback, and they were like, no. But you can get it via Kindle or on... Oh, yeah, Kindle. And, you know, the audiobook was featured in the New York Times book review. Okay. And who did you get to do the audiobook for? I did it myself, David. Why did you get Fran Drescher? Would have been a more suitable. Oh, that's funny. Perez to do yeah, it. Yeah, that would have been good. But, you know, look, I'm going to give you a little break because a lot of people don't know this. Um, I was on the Zoom before you got to the Zoom and I heard you shuffling because you can't walk anymore. <laughs> You're saying I'm getting old. Getting. okay canceling comedians yes and are you going to work on a new book now well you know i'm thinking of uh you know i'm hopefully writing a show about that book you know one person type Mm -hmm. show um four mm -hmm. what were the names of some of those shows uh this one show was 25 questions for a jewish mother Right. And then I did a show called The Judy Show, My Life as a Sitcom, which right. is about my addiction to sitcoms growing up. And this would be, yes, I can say that, go fuck yourself. So and, I think that'll sell a lot of tickets. And now that COVID has been cured, at least in New York City, the theaters open when? Uh, some open in September. Some, I think, might even open in August, but most in October. Are mm-hmm. you... Are you going back into the clubs? Have you got? I have been in the clubs. Um, and here's the deal, David. You know, it's depressing being an elderly comic, you know. Um, and it's really depressing because no people in their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s are going out to clubs. So the audience is 26 years old on average, 25. And cons- huh? And conservative. No, they're just, you know, sensitive. Like every, every joke is like, oh, you know, they laugh and then they, you know, they, their instinct is to laugh and then go, oh, right. I'm not supposed to laugh at that because blah, you know, that's good for comedy. Yeah. It's really good for comedy. It feels good. good. To go, ah, ooh, that's the best. Yeah, that is really. And then I get to yell at them. I get to yell at them. Endorphins. Yeah. To do that. It's really annoying. It's now, really- let, let me, Ethan Hershenfeld, you know him, right? No, but I'll look him up right now. He's fantastic. Is he Jewish? No. Go ahead. He said something on my show about the audience's butt cheeks clenching that maybe they're not being politically correct. They just might not think something's funny. Did that ever occur to you that perhaps Um, moans, they don't like the joke. It has nothing to do with cancel culture. Did that ever occur to you? Not with my material. No. You said that you're an aging comedian. No, you I said you're an aging. Okay. And you'll be opening next week. Yes. Yes. 
Okay, you're an agent comedian. You're yes, I'm an agent comedian. You're an I mean, what other kind of comedian is there? Every comedian is aging. And you're playing to 20-somethings. Yes, and, and I am making them laugh. You're making them laugh, yes. but they moan. Is it conceivable that you're telling dad jokes? That may No, it's not. I'm not a dad. Them. You're just, you haven't no. written a new act. No, I do. I definitely have new jokes. Um. And you can sit here and try to like, you know, belittle me because that makes you feel better about yourself, David. But uh, no, I still I still make them laugh. Um, Sometimes maybe a reference, you know, they might not get, Mm -hmm. you know, like you still do Jimmy Carter jokes. You know, they might not get them. Well, that's I'm too smart for the room. If they don't get jokes about Billy Carter, the brother. Right, the brother. On the runway and being a Libyan lobbyist. If they right. they're not smart enough to know those references. Right. I can't help it. I'm mm-hmm. going to be true to myself and not write any new jokes. Right. Well, I mean, you're, you don't really write jokes. I would say you're, you know, people say, oh, I'm writing material. I think you, we could call your act material, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's get back to you. You're back in <laughs> hubs. The audiences are young. I've been asking New York comics this. Do you think mm-hmm. Manhattan comedy has a conservative streak? Do you think that you're better off being a right winger in Manhattan? I do. No. What are you talking about? Where have you, are you out of your fucking mind? Yes, but I think New York City especially Manhattan has a conservative streak to it. I think conservative comics are rewarded. Okay. Can you name some names about, uh, you know, Judy give me examples. Gold. Judy gold. I yeah. Think conservative. Um, I, you know what, David, you're an at, you know, I'm doing you a favor by being on this um, show because I know that you couldn't find anyone to be on the show this evening. Um, and you begged me and begged me, beg you. I threatened you. There's a difference and, between begging and threatening. I threatened. And I am not conservative. What is conservative about me? What's conservative about you? Yeah. You voted for Trump. But he was the better choice. <laughs> <laughs> He's so smart. <laughs> I hate that fuckhead. Can you believe he had his pants on backwards? I don't know if that's true, but we might as well say it. Yeah, let's just say it. Because he would say it. Did you ever meet him? Yeah, I met him. Have you? No. I met him. Remember, I used to do this show uh, at the Multiplex with Judy Gold for HBO. Okay. That ran from uh, 1999 to 2009 when I hit a peak of age. Anyway. That was uh, a 10-year gig. Yes, we did that for 10 years. and um, Easy to get along with? Hmm? On the set, were you easy to get along with? Well, it was me and the and the crew and the producer. Anyway, did you show up on time? Did you give? Yes, it- I did. Anyway, right. I um, right. and we all and we went out to dinner after the shoots. Everyone loved each other. Right. Okay. All right. So, that surprises me considering my experience. With what? Yeah. So. Uh, I would interview people who, what? I'm telling you, I'm telling a fucking story and you have to be such an ass. What? You respond well to threats. 
and power moves. You ask me if I ever met Trump, I'm telling you the story and then you're going back to you. No, I'm just making an observation that you you are moved by threats and insults as opposed to kindness. Yeah, I enjoy that. That's the house I grew up in. Kindness is a weakness. Because there is no kindness, David. (laughs) Just weakness. Just weakness. Donald Trump, HBO, multiple. So, so, you know, I would interview people as they were coming out of the movie theater. And it was, you know, we, we, it was usually two movies that were going to be shown on HBO at some point. And, um, you know, we had prepared questions so that they weren't yes and no questions. They were, you know, provocative, if you will. Anyway, so I he walks in with uh, Melania, and I'm like, hi, can I talk to you? And he was such a dick and a half. He was a dick and a half. And that's all I remember, is that I asked him a few questions. like, you're a fucking asshole. He, I just... He stopped and answered your questions. No, he's made some sarcastic, shitty remark. Some I don't even remember. I hope I wish we could get that video. So you weren't impressed by him? No, I wasn't. And Ivanka, have you met Ivanka? No, it was Melania. I think no, he was with. A separate. Oh, have I met Ivanka? Well, I dated Mil- uh, Ivanka. You dated Ivanka. Yeah. While she was going out with Jared, did you double date? Did de- no, when she was in high school, um, I used to hang out outside to um, her gym class mm-hmm. to see all the girls. And she was raring to go. And she, yeah, and she was like, hey, I see you here every day checking us out. What's your name? Right. And, and Jared? How gay is Jared, would you say? Well, you see him in Provinceton, 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 Provinceton. What, what is the name? What is the it's name? Provincetown, Provincetown, oh. yes. which unfortunately is getting very crowded because Travel and Leisure just did a piece about Provincetown. And it also has like the number one bike paths in the country. But the problem is the uh, travel no, and what huh? the travel and leisure piece. Yeah. was skewed very male. Um, and it was, I didn't, I didn't like it. I didn't like the piece. And everyone's, and every gay guy I know is like, oh my God, what a great piece. And I was like, no. Provincetown was founded by gay Puritans who came over um, the Mayflower, correct? So David, that's not what happened. You We're fucking. Here. Tell, tell the story. So the May the Mayflower second trip for gay for the gay Puritans and they set up Provincetown in Massachusetts. It was the Massachusetts gay colony, I believe, is right. Yes, opposed to the so um, colony. A lot of people don't know that the Pilgrims actually landed in Provincetown first Mm -hmm. and then went to Plymouth. Uh, They got to Provincetown. It was too gay, and they went to Plymouth. But they did land here first. And there, so there was, there's Pilgrim's Landing. Yes. And then they went over to Plymouth Rock, whatever. And this was a Portuguese fishing village. And then I guess it became, you know, I've read numerous stories where 
bankers in Boston uh, in the early 20th century who were gay, but were not, you know, were married. And, you know, they came here as a refuge. But, you know, a lot of uh, great artists, Robert Motherwell, um, uh, you know, uh, Tennessee Williams, a lot of great writers and artists. The great Thomas Kincaid. Uh, the great David Feldman also was banned from here, but, um, yeah, it has a very long history. Roy Cohen. Roy Cohen was here. Yes. Great guy. Ray Romano. Are we not supposed to talk about Ray? I think he's going to come out. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. His wife told me. Schwimmer. Huh? David Schwimmer. Right. Brian Williams. Mm Mm-hmm. All gay. Joe Franklin. Gay. Rabbi Meyer Kahani. Gay. Bibi Netanyahu. Beyond gay. All found safe haven. In Here Pro- in Provincetown, yeah. So it became gay in the early 20th century. Hitler also uh, spent some time here. Adolf? Adolf? Yeah. Okay. So Ava, wait a second, you're saying Ava was a beard? Well, Goebbels and Adolf. No. Yeah, a lot of people don't know that. So you're saying Goebbels put more than just words? Goebbels. Goebbels. You're saying Goebbels put more than just words in Hitler's mouth. Right. It's Goebbels. 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 When did you... When did you- Goebbels. <laughs> when did you when did you buy a place in Prague? Oh, I'm going to tell you a little story. I uh, in 1994 I was on All American Girl. That would be Margaret Cho. Yes. And uh mm-hmm. I took the money and I bought this house in 1994 for I think either 159000 or $169,000. And I almost lost it many times because, you know, I got a divorce. Um, and I've had very, you know, bad financial times in my life, been in very bad financial situations where I didn't get a lot of work and, and kids. And I sued you. And, yes, and the sexual harassment thing. Yeah. And... Um, I held on to it and everyone told me to sell it, sell it, sell it. And I am so glad I didn't sell it. And then finally, when the pandemic hit, everyone who told me to sell it said, thank God you have that house. Right. And can I have it for the summer? No. Can I borrow it for the summer? No, no. Would I have fun in Provincetown for the summer? Um, I doubt it. Um, I think... First of all, look at your skin. Look at your skin right now. Yeah. Pasty. I'm pasty. Yeah. yeah. I need to get out of the city. Right. But I don't have. Whose fault is that, David? Whose fault is that? Governments. Okay. It's Where am I going to go? Exactly. No one wants you. Nobody wants me. I can't get invited. But you live on a very nice street, David. Thank you. Don't you think? I think so. Yeah. Where, uh, where are the boys? They're in New York City. And, and you're happy about that. I'm alone, David. I'm alone here. And I get, I've had several days here alone. 
and then I have to go back home. And I am I'm really, Elisa just left a little while ago. Love her. Yeah. And uh, I'm here alone for a few days. So, uh, Elisa's your wife. Well, yeah. <laughs> I'm not really out. Elisa's your wife. And, I'm not out. The uh, kids don't know. The kids don't know. I'm sorry? The kids don't know. So, the kids don't know what? That I'm gay. Oh, yeah. I forgot, I forgot to mention. Yeah. yeah. I haven't told them yet. You haven't, oh, you haven't told the kids. You haven't right, t- right. Henry and Ben, they don't know. They don't know that you're gay. Mm-hmm. Maybe, uh, didn't we plan for me to be the father, the fake father? Yeah, but um, they laid eyes on you and they started crying and um, I just couldn't do it. David, have you watched Mayor of Easttown on HBO? No, I have not. Okay. Why? No, I just finished watching it. Is it good? Here's the thing about it. Everyone's like, oh my God, have you seen Mayor of Easttown? Have you seen Mayor of Easttown? Have you and and like there were things about it. It's the most depressing. It's very depressing. What's it about? It's about Mayor of it's about Kate Winslet and they're they're in, it's about this town in like in Pennsylvania where they have that accent, you know, the Philly weird, you know, like phone home, paper towel, you know, and um, it's about her. She's a detective. Her life's falling apart. It's just like, it's so like, you'll feel good about your life. Right. But so we were talking about it. Four of us watch it. Um, And two were complaining about it. And I said, we have been talking about this show for hours. So there's something about the show that stays with you. Uh, And the guy who created it just got an overall deal with HBO. Mm. So you should be nice to him. Uh, He's he's I'm giving him the house for the rest of the summer. Ah, yeah. Uh, Okay. Yeah. How are, how's your family, David? You have children. Not the right thing to bring up at this point in my life. Really? Yeah. You're ready for grandchildren, aren't you? Really not uh, appropriate to bring that up. Really? Yeah. Why would you do that to me? I'm sorry. You're so cruel. I'm sorry. You've had... About a year and a half off from stand-up. How many times have you been on stage since? So you brought COVID back to the United States in March from Hungary. And how many times have you performed? You've performed outside, right? I did last year, last summer, I did um, shows outside, two shows a week here in Provincetown, which was great for July and August. And I did a lot of Zoom shows. And then I went back to the clubs. I did a show in March live in Connecticut. And then when the clubs opened, I went back. And I realized I liked not traveling. I, I, it really totally changed me that year and a half of not 
ever having to pack a suitcase, stay in a fucking shitty hotel, get up for morning radio, live in a fucking kitchen at some shithole club. Uh, You know, I'm in a transitional period. Do you think this is, do you think a lot of comedians over the age of 40 are thinking this? You know, it's weird because I go on I don't know. All right. You go on Instagram, right? And you see all these comics and they have their photo and then every date they're doing. And I'm like, I'm a little jealous. And yet I don't want to do that. So I have mixed feelings for sure. But I do think, I think it has made people rethink you know, there, maybe some people have gotten healthier. Don't you think it's healthier to want to be home, to cook and sleep in your own bed every night? You know, David, that's excellent. Uh, those are excellent points. I have gotten so fucking fat from this goddamn pandemic and cooking. Um, but yeah, I look, I never my entire adult life. I went out every fucking night and then all of a sudden I was like, Oh, so what do we do now? And then at nine o'clock every night, I'm not kidding. We'd be watching TV or something or reading, whatever. And I'd be like, hey, how's everyone doing tonight? So <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that, that's true. Your, your yeah. body clock starts. Right. Spinning. It was like, hey, hey, what's your name? Hey, where are you from? I just like, so everyone's like, showtime. I would get a burst of energy. The fight or uh, flight. It's your pituitary gland. Yeah. Those hormones. Seriously. Yeah. So I, I don't know, but I did a lot of show. I did a lot of standup considering, um, but I don't like, it's like, I'll go out and do sets in the city and stuff. And I don't have the same joy anymore. Maybe, maybe you haven't hit the right audience yet. Maybe you just need to play, keep doing it. And then Oh, that's right. This is why I do it. Maybe. Maybe. This is what's... You know, the other thing is, David, you know, I'll take a spot at the cellar and then you can't get a cab home. There's no cabs. And Uber and Lyft are like four times the, you know, they've price gouged. It's really hard to get around the city. Why can't you get a, a cab? There's no cabs. There's very few cabs. Maybe they don't want to pick you up. Maybe. Maybe you're a threat. Because I'm an aging comedian. They don't want to pick up. Are all the clubs reopened? Did any go out of business? I don't think so. I don't think they went, anyone went out of business. Yeah. How many months until you think comedy is back? Well, the shows have been sold out at Gotham and at, you know, the cellar was okay. Maximum, huh? maximum capacity? Yeah, but na- but th- there were a lot of people. Um, I think they're all sold out. Henry said that he was down on East 4th and it was like completely packed at the New York Comedy Club. So, yeah. They're... You know, they're packing in that people want to laugh. People want. And there's no theater. And there's no theater. That's correct. And people are sitting on top of one another without masks on. 
Uh, no, they. I haven't been in the club since it's been full capacity. That was like last week or the week before. And you're vaccinated. I am vaccinated. Did you get the COVID at one time. You thought you had. I thought I had it. I it was. I was coughing like for a fuck a month. I couldn't even breathe. Month. I went and got a COVID test. It was negative. But I'm telling you, it may have been. A and f- I never. I never had antibodies either. I don't think. But. It was bad. So I don't know what the hell I had. Um, But I was on this antidepressant, which in studies, uh, they did a study and this particular antidepressant, which I'm not on anymore um, because it made me fucking crazy. um, It stopped the COVID virus. So they they did a sample of, of these people that worked at a horse farm or something. All of them got tested positive. And the ones who were, were given that that drug did not get any symptoms. Really? Yes. Fluvoxamine. Mm-hmm. Oh, so you're going to dispense medical advice on my show. I'm not. I'm saying that, that I was on a, an antidepressant that apparently... Um, and you think that's responsible, given that we can barely. I'm just saying it's an interesting thing that I read. Why is everything a goddamn problem with you? You are so negative and so oppositional. I'm saying that maybe comedians shouldn't be telling anecdotal stories. I'm saying I read an article, you son of a bitch. Why is your TV on a stool? What is that? Let's get get a fucking TV stand. I'm attacking you. Let me attack you. No, but, but I don't understand. What is that TV stand? I don't know. It's, it's going to fucking fall. It's composition. Ugh. I want to, you know, frame the shot properly. Mm-hmm. Don't you think there's a problem with comedians hosting podcasts and being careless and reckless with facts and people are hanging on your every word. No, I don't. I don't. Gospel. No. I the don't. idea that an antidepressant would prevent COVID. Not prevent COVID. Cure it. They didn't get symptoms. They didn't get it very ill. None of them had to go to the hospital. What is the difference between your saying that and Donald Trump's saying? I'm not president. And I said I read it, an interesting article about it. So number one, he doesn't read. True. Okay. So he didn't read it. Okay. He doesn't have a disclaimer. He makes shit up and he's a fucking piece of shit. Nevertheless, the fact is that people tune into these podcasts. Right. A lot of them don't read. They, mm-hmm. they don't read the news. Well, Definitely. Your listeners don't read. <laughs> <laughs> and they, they actually think that you know something, which you do, and you know better than to dis. I said I read a fucking article, David. What's the difference between you saying I read an article and Donald Trump saying, I hear people are saying. I- okay, I'm talking to you. There's what, 10, 15 listeners? I wish. Okay. I wish. And I said I read an article. I didn't say it was fact. But, 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 but it's careless on your part. You know what? You're careless. Look at your fucking hair plugs. I don't have hair plugs. What are they? 
They are, uh, I don't know. Implanty things? They're hair transplants. You don't okay, whatever. I, I just had to get you. Don't you think they look good. Maybe you're jealous of my hair transplants. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> my hair. It's bad. Can you write material not going out every night? Were you writing bits? Yeah, I, I write bits all the time. No, it was like a, like a hiccup. It was a hiccup. Did you eat before you did? I did. I ate. I had a chicken enchilada. Oh, so you eat uh, meat. You eat chicken. Yeah. You don't have a problem with that. You don't think it's immoral. No. You you think factory farming is okay? Did I say that? It's dead. It's it. I got it at a restaurant. But you're participating in the mass slaughter of these innocent birds. Mm-hmm. Don't you feel culpable? No. So you're concerned. Are you a vegetarian? Yeah. I'm, not only am I vegetarian, I'm vegan. No, you're not. I am. And I'm an asshole about it. Is I'm, that true? Yes. I'm better than you for being. Are a, you really vegan? I'm really vegan. Yes. Oh, why? Oh, that's awful. It's not just what you say, it's what you do. Okay, you're great. Your halo just fucking fell on the ground. You're so much better than I am. Halo plant. Mm-hmm. My halo. Uh, oh, shit. Sorry. Well, that's Elisa calling me. It's a little bit. Little, tell her I said hello. No. Don't you think it starts with you? Don't you think you can improve the planet by. Why did I tell you I would do this? I mean, I, I don't understand. I come on, please do my show, and I'm going to fucking harass you. I threatened you. I said, if you don't do Are you really a vegan? What? Are you really a vegan? Let me I, see. Stand up. What does that have to do with it? Did you lose a lot of weight? No. Okay, you're not a vegan. Yeah, actually, vegans uh, can gain weight if you don't do it properly. Okay, it's so what do you, what'd you have for dinner? I had a, a fake, uh, uh, you know, an impossible burger. Not the, not the impossible, the other thing. Mm-hmm. The, the, it was delicious on bread and ketchup. Oh, you had bread? Are you allowed to have bread? As long as there's no egg in it. Oh, this is sounding so delicious. So there's no egg in the bread? I have beans, I have rice. It's a great way to live. Uh-huh. There's nothing dead inside of me other than myself. Um, You're, yeah. What does the bread without eggs taste like? I think most bread doesn't have eggs. I made challah on Friday and it had eggs. Good for you. Yeah, I think most bread has eggs. Can you do me a favor and just pronounce it as challah? No, challah. No, don't challah. do it. Kala, Kala. Have a big Kala. audience. Kala, Kala. So you've been writing bits. Kala, <laughs> Kala. I have been writing on the show Better Things for, since February. What is that? Kala. It is a show on FX. Uh, it stars Pamela Adlon. It's been a very critically acclaimed show, and it is fucking great and she's great and uh, it's called better things and you know maybe if you 
fucking did your due diligence, you would know that I've been writing on that show since February. How do you do that? You do it via Zoom? Yes, it was a Zoom writer's room. And how does that work? Well, we uh, get on the Zoom and then we are in the writer's room. Are you sitting on the Zoom? It depended. Sometimes it was like, you know, four hours, sometimes six, seven hours. Sitting on Uh, the Zoom. And then when we were assigned outlines and scripts, I was working, you know, 10 hours a day. By yourself. Right. Do you like that? Um, I don't mind it. I do like, I wrote a couple of scripts with other people um, and one by myself. And I really like collaborating. Because, you know, you bounce off and it's it's funny. Your French grandfather was a collaborator. Who was my French grandfather? Ludy Gold. During World War II, he, he would turn in the Jews. Right, Ludy Gold. Ludy Gold. Yeah. Ludy Gold. Ludy Gold. Ludy Gold. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, that's, so that's great. So you've been busy. Yeah. And now this, I just, uh, you know, last week was my first week off. And, I, and I'm like, okay. You know, like every comic, oh, my God, I'm not busy. What do I do? Meanwhile, I was like, I need a break. I need a break. And now I have it. And I'm. Could you see being a. I'll let you go after this question. I guess. See. Could you see TV writing being as satisfying as stand up? Could you see yourself transitioning into the life of a TV writer? I do like writing a lot. Nothing will compare to stand-up comedy. But you just live audience. You just said you don't want to travel and I don't. It's a it's an alternative, but I'm telling you, being on stage in front of a live audience and hearing laughter is there's nothing that compares to that. But then I also really enjoyed writing scripts, but not like getting up there and screaming at the audience. What is the name of this new series that we should all be watching? It's not new. It's the fifth season of the series called Better Things. Better Things. It's on FX. You can watch all of them on Hulu. All the past seasons. It's a very, it's an excellent show. This is starring Pamela Adlon. Huh? It's this new thing called Cable. It's not, it just doesn't come through the rabbit ears, you say? You have to get up from the sofa and mm-hmm. change the channel to Hulu, Hulu. to watch them. Yeah. That streaming thing I've been hearing about? You know what, David? You're le- you are so fucking annoying. It's not even like... I, I, I have nothing to compare it to. It's its its, its own... I'm going to ask you... Yeah. Marry me. No. Okay. You sure? Yeah, I'm sure. We could be a power couple. Remember when we were going to do our album together and you just never fucking did it? I, I want to do it. Yeah, but I say, let's do it. We could record it. When they come for the comedians. We are all in trouble. Buy it wherever fine books are sold. And look for Judy Gold coming to a city near you. Mm-hmm. I'm working all summer in Provincetown. I'm doing a gig in Atlanta. Atlanta. Where? In August 1st. I don't know. And I'm going in September. I'm going to Minneapolis or St. Paul. I don't know. I have to look. Great. Great. 
Thank you, Judy. It's time right now for the David Feldman Show. He's talking politics and comedy, too. Now tell a dirty joke if you want him to. He's just a lefty from way back. He's a union man with an Emmy for writing. Someday he's mad and he feels like fighting. It's time right now for the David Feldman Show To get your ears on right, buckle in real tight He's got a lot to say and he's coming your way Welcome back to the David Feldman Show. I'm David Feldman. Dr. Harriet Fraud is about to join us. I want to get rid of that. Hang on for one second. Uh, in answer to your question, Andy Brown, no, I have not watched Bo Burnham's Inside on Netflix yet. And in answer to Tom in Portland, I have reached out to Kena Collins in Illinois, who is running once again for the House of Representatives. I've reached out to Kina. We will try to have her on. Joining us, and sorry to keep you waiting, is Dr. Harriet Fraud. She is the host of two podcasts, co-host of two podcasts. It's not just in your head, and capitalism hits home. Did I get that right, or did you take a it's hiatus? Capitalism hits home, but now it's just me on capitalism. Um, okay. Capitalism hits home, but me and Max Golding on it's not just in your head. Great. Can you, is your volume a little low? Maybe I'll see what I can do to tune it up. Uh, and look what I can do now. We can do a seven second delay if you curse. So if you want to say, uh, I'll speak a little more loudly, but the volume is on high. Okay. All right. Maybe I'll center this computer a little bit better. Okay, is and that if you, better? Yes. And if you say anything that you want taken back, we can do that if you good. want. So Very Judy good. Gold, before I want to talk to you about other things, but Judy Gold, you're a founding mother of second wave women's liberation. Yeah. People like Judy Gold are miracles, aren't they? These are this is a woman who was not only a female comic in the late 80s, she came out as a lesbian in the late 80s. How hard was it? I, I, I've asked her about this and she makes jokes. How hard was it? How brave is it for somebody like Judy Gold to be a female comic in the late 80s and a lesbian comic? of the late 80s. In the late 80s, it was harder because identity politics didn't hit its stride until, you know, after that. And yeah. Reagan was in and that was, you know, he was a bigot. So that it did take bravery. Yeah. It took bravery to be a woman comic. 
and it took bravery to be an out lesbian. Both. We have a and question. What? Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, it, it identity politics really started. Sadly enough, it started with an impulse from the FBI and the CIA with Gloria Steinem, CIA agent, to turn who was hired with hundreds of thousands of dollars to change the women's liberation movement that was a left movement into a gender-only movement. And there was a similar impulse to change the civil rights movement into a black power movement so that class was extracted from both. Yeah. And that was, you know, I think that both movements are very important and I think identity politics has a place, but so does class unity and the CIA and FBI invested in order to dissipate class unity. Right. And they're both important, you know, as I think about it, some groups, females, and I am old enough that it was even more true when I was little, females, people of color, are taught that within the lines of dominance and submission, their characteristics, one of their sex, two of their color, designate them as subordinates, and they should know their place. And knowing that and feeling you're not as good is a terrible burden. And coming out and affirming your identity, which was labeled inferior, and being proud of who you are is a very important thing. But then once you have that pride, it's also important to unify with other people or you never get the kind of political left movement that transforms anything in a permanent way, including gender relationships or including gay relationships. Gays were recognized first actually in the early Soviet Union as you know with their beginning they were the first to have a women cabinet member they were the first to make women fully equal to men and they were the first to recognize same-sex relationships really yeah so even, even even when it became a totalitarian regime no, not when it didn't you know the revolutionary period which was replaced when Lenin died and stalin replaced them Stalin was threatened by the invasion of the United States, Japan, Germany, and um, another one, I forget which one, I think France. And he felt that we had to revert to our previous stability and not threaten the status quo in any other way and go back to the old family forms and basically held women back in every other way except as workers. And look, as um, you have seen when you had the guest of why is sex better under sex is better under socialism, that where women don't have to be economically dependent on men, they're freer to find their own sexuality and enjoy it. And the Soviet Union was great on that. They really were. The Russian Revolution was great on that, on sexual liberation for women and on economic equality and support for women and children, which means women don't have to put out in order to be supported, especially with children. That's a huge liberation sexually. So it's a mixed bag. You know, Stalin rolled these things back. 
and the revolution lost as it did after Mao left, you know, after the initial revolutionary transformation leaves, everybody reads the new thing back into what's familiar until it's, they get the familiar, the old oppressive system, although a different oppressive system. And the Soviet Union was an authoritarian state under Stalin who murdered millions of people. On the other hand, when they had the Russian Revolution, women could be beaten death to death. There was nothing to it. And it was a society of illiterates. And now it is one of the, the powers of the world. And they, they lost 30 million people fighting the Nazis in World War II. And they rebuilt their country into a world power. So they've done some impressive things. And, and, you, and you brought up something that bears repeating. The United States invaded the Soviet Union. That's right. And they never invaded us. Right. They were invaded by all of those powers after their revolution. And, you know, they did so because they wanted to kill the possibility of socialism. And they failed. So that society had a civil war. And they also had an invasion by four other powers. And they still won and did transform their society into a world-class society with a good education system and excellent childcare, after-school care, and all sorts of things. And as uh, you know, as your guest said, I forgot her name now. What is her name? Yeah, I, I yeah. yeah I, I could find it. She wrote, Why is Sex Better Under Socialism? There it is. Uh, Kristen Godsell. You know, as she wrote, you don't throw the baby out with a bad bathwater. Amazing things happened, as they are happening in China, another authoritarian state which beat the COVID virus. We have the most deaths of COVID virus, for, according, you know, in uh, relationship to our population in the entire world. They built within several weeks 11 hospitals in Wuhan, tested, treated, tracked everybody in Wuhan. That's 11 million people. And that's impressive. And they have 12 high-speed trains racing across China. We don't even have one. I mean, they, they, they too have, they raised the standard of la- living of their wage workers, their average wage worker went up four times in the last 50 years. Ours have remained flat. They've done some amazing things. And being authoritarian is not one of those amazing things they did. Speaking of authoritarianism, Professor Jonathan Bick gave a brilliant talk at office hours this past weekend about socialism, social Democrats and democratic socialism. In fact, I should have him on just to talk about his talk. And what I remember his saying, and I hope I'm not doing a disservice to him, he said that a a social democrat would be somebody like elizabeth warren somebody who believes that you can work within the capitalism but work yeah gentler more compassionate capitalism a a democratic socialist is more bernie somebody who believes that capitalism has to be replaced with a a more democratic economy Mm -hmm. and then there's socialism and he said that Russia, and, and he, he said that this is his interpretation, 
Russia and Cuba are not really socialist, were not socialist countries because they were undemocratic, that they had socialist elements, but because democracy was lacking, you could no longer call it a socialist state, and that the United States, as well as the Soviet Union, wanted to call Russia socialism because it served both their interests. The United States could point to the Soviet Union, which under Stalin was a totalitarian regime, and say, see, this is what socialism is. And Stalin could hide behind socialism. It benefited both sides of the Cold War to misrepresent what socialism is. Is that fair to say that by the time Stalin died, Russia was didn't really qualify as a socialist state since it was so undemocratic? Well, if you define if you define socialism, communism, capitalism economically, then capitalism is a private system of production and uh, where the basic contradiction, instead of being master slave or serf, lord serf, is employer employee and the employers control the system and money controls the system and those who have the money have the control. And I think that Russia was a state capitalism because the state became the capitalist. They didn't have co-ops and a democratic system. They had a group of bureaucrats who appropriated the wealth of the society and the taxes and made the decisions. And that is not democratic and it's also not economically socialist, it's capitalist. It's state capitalist, which was an improvement in people's lives over private capitalism and feudalism, which Russia was before they replaced the czar. And socialism is state regulation of capital. So capitalists cannot buy elections like they can here or uh, and they have basic the bases of life are not an object for profitability. So food is highly regulated. Housing is highly regulated. The prices of being protected from heat and cold are regulated. Health is regulated. Child care is regulated. These are highly regulated capitalisms. Now, like, uh, help me out here. Help me out here. You say socialism is state regulation of capitalism. That's right. Can it exist without democracy? Because. Well, probably I don't know, but I think that democracy is a way of there's economic democracy that comes when the workers decide what to do with the money they created. That's like co-ops, things like that, that then contribute to a higher government. That would be a socialist, a really socialist, economically democratic system. We don't have an economic democracy. The employers make the decisions and including whether you even have a job and they're basically unregulated because they can buy off the political system. Even in a country like France or Germany, you have many more socialists so that they can't export people's jobs and they can't 
put private money into elections and a whole bunch of other things where there are regulations on the basic essentials of life, which can't be an object of profit for people, but where capitalism still thrives. The United States is much, is an un, well, it has some regulation, but it is not really a socially regulated system because the political system can be bought. You can't have real democracy if whoever has the money buys the politicians. You know, they're not allowed to have private money in their elections. Right. We so when, when, when Hitler, Nazi is an acronym that includes the word socialism, even no, though Hitler right. Hitler he killed all the socialists. He, he was he not. Did. He did. He killed all the socialists, but he had to say socialist because Germany, you know, was really becoming they really had a choice of being a socialist country. That's why the big industrial powers like Krupp that still exists and many others decided to support Hitler. What fascism is, is a state-enforced capitalism, where capitalism is falling apart. Think of it as a barrel that's falling apart and right. the iron bands hold it together. Those are fascism. So that the Communist Party was huge, the socialist parties were huge, and so they had to, the Nazis, the National Socialists, is what they call them, had to call themselves socialists to win over workers. So when I, when I get upset with Tucker Carlson and Sean Hannity, they, they accuse Hitler of being a socialist, and they're misreading history, they're misusing yes, they history. Are. But, but... You say that com socialism is state regulation of capital. If Hitler is the state and he's regulating capital, which he kind of well, did. He's basically protecting capitalism through his military. And that's why they financed him. He wouldn't have been, he would have just been a weird little guy with a funny mustache if they hadn't invested in him because he could say to them, you invest in me or these reds are gonna take over your country. But is it completely dishonest, is it completely dishonest for yes. the right wing to accuse Hitler of being a socialist? If yes. Even if the definition is the state regulating capitalism, he's the state. Capitalism I'm sorry. The of the people. It doesn't regulate capitalism only to stay in power and increase the military. I see. Which is what Hitler did. Are and there are there people who believe fervently that you can't have socialism without democracy? Is there a school? Well, one of the things that the propaganda of the United States has said is the choices are socialism and democracy in order to make the Americans feel we have democracy and the opposite is socialism. That isn't true. The Scandinavian countries, Britain, France, they all have many socialists and they are more democratic than we do. One of the, you know, Tommy, Tommy Tuberville, one of these idiots from, I think, Alabama, Alabama, said that his father died saving the world from socialism. No, 30 million Russians alone died fighting against fascism, fighting for a socialism and against fascism. And 
they fought hand in hand in the streets, you know. Fascism is different. It's a militaristic autocracy where capitalists are allowed to function, but the military makes the decisions. Right. And there are no elections. And there are no checks and balances on power. It's a it's a dictatorship. Right. I was just and listening to serve its people in some ways. I mean, where they invaded a country, they invited Germans to go and take over people's homes and they sent the wealth back. They were more actually generous with their fascistic supporters than Trump is with his. Right. Right. The, uh, we're celebrating the anniversary of D-Day and I was listening to Eisenhower's speech the night yeah. before, and I thought, there's no way we could ever have a D-Day, given who we are as a, as a world. The idea that we were going to sacrifice that many men, and we won't accept anything but total victory. The idea yeah. of total victory that's true, and it's especially relevant in the United States that has lost every war since World War II or had a draw in Korea and Vietnam. All the others lost, even with all our outrageous military hardware. And Eisenhower warned us against the military-industrial complex, mm-hmm. and we didn't take the warning. Well, we have a question from Professor Ann Lee who wanted to know your thoughts about Naomi Wolf. She wrote The Beauty Myth, and she was an advisor yes, she to did. she was an advisor to Al Gore. I remember she got paid a lot of money to tell Al Gore to wear more autumn colors. Do you remember <laughs> that? And like, what? Yeah. This is... Uh, and then she seems, she seems to have gone off the deep end and is saying, has become an anti-vaxxer. I believe, I believe, I believe she's in the camp where they're planting like these vaccines or planting chips inside of it. Has she gone off the deep end? It looks that way. I really don't know her, but it really looks that way. And I think this anti-vax stuff is a culmination of Reagan transferring people's anger from big corporations to big government. Big government brought them the New Deal. They had to do something about that for the corporations. And making government the enemy so that people don't trust if the government says you have to get vaccinated. It's sad. It ought to, the vaccine against COVID ought to be mandatory like the smallpox one. But they can't push it through because the distrust of government is so profound. They totally succeeded in, in shifting that from the distrust of corporations who are not elected, even in the little bit of window you have for elections, who are accountable for nothing but profit, and made them efficient, even though most of them fail, and the government at fault. And I think that anti-vaxxer stuff is a result of that. It's an outgrowth of that. Yeah. You know, I met- Wolf is sad. I met Bobby Kennedy Jr. I shook his hand at a party. And if you're of a certain age and you see Bobby Kennedy Jr., he looks like Bobby Kennedy. 
like it, it's just you you go oh my god you walk into a room and you see bobby kennedy jr and, and you go oh my god that's bobby kennedy mm-hmm. and, and you just like you just gravitate and if you're of a certain age you bobby kennedy the last three years of his life not necessarily when he was attorney general or before that very mm-hmm. very problematic if not horrific his work for McCarthy, wiretapping mm-hmm. Martin Luther King, trying to kill Fidel Castro. He was a horrible, horrible human being. Bobby Kennedy, but the last three years of his life was redemption mm-hmm. and concerned himself only with the least among us. Yes. And and he was young. So there was a lot of potential there. And so Bobby Kennedy, to some people, is very important. And you walk into a room and you see Bobby Kennedy Jr. And he's an Adonis, a political Adonis. And he's written books about the environment and taking on the the oligarchs and the Koch family. And now he's an anti-vaxxer. What happened? You deal with the brain. What happens to people that they become anti-vaxxers? What happens to my listeners who hear like 18 hours a week of supreme intellectuals opining on the most important issues of the day. What happens to listeners of mine who write me angry letters saying, how dare you tell me to get the vaccine? I will not be a guinea pig, you arrogant, blah, blah, blah. How do people like Naomi Wolf, Bobby Kennedy Jr., and some of my listeners become anti-vaxxers? What happens? I think... It's a combination of things. One is they have every right not to trust the pharmaceutical industry, which would poison you to make a nickel. If you're African-American, I can understand that. Right. Even if you're not, you know that, you know, Shrikeli can doesn't care how many people die. Six hundred thousand Americans died of oxygen so that the um the OxyContin company could get Purdue Pharma, could make $37 billion. And so that people have a healthy distrust of the U.S. pharmaceuticals industry. Also, they have, many people have a distrust of the government, which is partly justified and partly not. The reason to get a vaccine is not to get it is much worse and risk COVID is worse than whatever side effects they might have hidden in order to sell the vaccines to the government. But there is, there are ample reasons for distrust because the pharmaceuticals industry kills people all the time. That's what OxyContin did. 600,000 Americans between 1999 and I think it was 2019, 2019. That's a lot. Right. And the other medications have side effects. Many other medications have side effects. You only have to show to get an FDA approval. You have to show a test for 18 months. Well, after about three or four years, a lot of these things come in. So so, you're right. You know what? I apologize to. Well, I don't want to apologize to the anti-vaxxers because I think they're dangerous. But there's some. I'm sorry. 
they are dangerous. I mean, I calculate that, okay, maybe there will be side effects, but the COVID is worse than most side effects. Get protected. Yeah. I, I can see not taking certain cholesterol, fighting drugs because there yeah. are side effects. And yeah, uh, I well, before you go, and I, I'm sorry to keep you waiting t- today. Uh, it we, just happens, I understand. Yeah, uh, it's my show, that's the uh, <laughs> that's the log line. <laughs> Shit happens on my show. Uh, the uh, gender identity, uh, Stringer, who's running for mayor, another woman has stepped forward. That's right. And uh, a friend of mine just got canceled. Uh, he uh, was accused of kissing uh, a woman's hand when he met her. He went down like and. and What's wrong with that? Well, I, I and again, there were other things, but I remember reading. I can't make jokes, but uh, uh, but the, the, uh, they did a uh, a Twitter court. If you've heard of any incidents, please come forward. I started okay. reading them, and you know, uh, problematic accusations. But one woman said, well, "You know, when he met me, he kissed my hand," and I thought, "Oh boy." Um, yeah, if he sucked her hand, that would be one thing. Right. But I and I read about uh, Stringer. Another woman has come forward. Yes. We talked about this last week. First, first of all, who do we vote for in the New York primary for mayor? This is important. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, I, I would have supported Stringer, but now that a second person has come, I figured, okay, if it's just he said, she said, then, and the person had worked for Yang and also had lied twice in her testimony, then I didn't believe her because, you know, working for Yang, okay, you can knock Stringer out. But a second person, at least then it's he said, she said, and she said. Right. In the case of Weinstein, it's 100, she said. Right, right. Or Cosby 80 or right. whatever. But I think it's hard there are some progressive candidates or people who say they will. Um, Stringer at least said that he would tax the rich, and that's important because New York is such a divided city between the haves and have-nots. It's actually not divided. It's just the have-nots. The haves don't live here. No, but they own the apartments. But but they... They yeah, don't. they come occasionally and use the the apartments as safe deposit boxes for their ill-gotten wealth. Right. And there was an article in the New York Times, hardly a radical rag, a few years ago that said that 75% of the apartments between 5th Avenue and 3rd Avenue on 57th are empty three quarters of the time because they're basically safe deposit boxes for the rich and their ill-gotten untraceable gains yes i would walk around i said this before the new york times i would walk around new york city before i lived here and i said this is a money laundering operation how do they have so many buildings and nobody's here no lights whole neighborhoods like around that elegant area in 57 they don't have a supermarket they don't have a shoemaker nobody's living here it's just manhattan nobody lives in manhattan I've been saying, and Schneiderman, the attorney general who uh, beats up women. Yeah. 
and they gave him a, a, a smack on the wrist, which he probably got an erection from. This yes. is the, this is the attorney general beating up woman a woman, and he gets yeah. his law license suspended for like a year. What do you have to yeah. do to get disbarred in this country? It's outrageous, but but he know. was going to look into all these LLCs that were buying up. Well, they have looked into them, and you know, I'm sure they won't look very far. They'll look as far as they looked into all those billionaires who raped children at at uh, Epstein's place. Nobody knows where those tapes are. Oh dear, and you know, they're not going to look beyond us because it's a society that protects the people at the top who own those apartments. There are people who live in Manhattan. I live on East 14th Street. There's a lot of people who live on the Lower East Side. But, um, you know, Midtown is a ghost town. Yeah, we have to wrap it up. I've been keeping Professor Hussein waiting. And he's great, so he, he Yeah, everybody here is great. Thank you, Dr. Harriet Fraud. How do people contact, if people need help, how do people contact you for for help? You can contact me at hfraad at gmail.com. Great. And listen to It's Not Just In Your Head and Capitalism Hits Home. Yes. Thank, Thank you, you so much. We love you. We Hi, all. Professor Adnan. I love Great you to too. see you, Dr. Thank you. Fraud. Thank Great you. I hear you. Joining us in. Uh, Ontario, Canada. How are you on time, by the way? I'm sorry to keep you waiting. Oh, I'm fine. I'm doing fine. Oh, okay. Sorry. Thanks, to, thanks for asking. Well, I right. could listen to Dr. Fraud uh, all evening. So I know. I feel, I feel I bad know. that you wound it up because she always has so much wisdom and insight and um, is such a caring person. So I, I feel bad. She's amazing. So uh, let me give you a proper introduction. Professor Adnan Hussein is chairman of the religion department at Queen's University, Kingston, Ontario. He hosts Guerrilla History with our very own Henry Huckamacki, who's in Germany now. And you also host the Mudgeless podcast. And we'll talk about that later couple questions I wanted to ask you about the talk that Professor Jonathan Bick gave at Office Hours and Hours. Did you have an opportunity to see it? Uh, yeah, I, I, I caught a fair bit of it. Yes. So you yes. you're part of Weekly Marks. And I, I thought his talk about the, it was excellent. What you know, the differences between socialism, what a democratic socialist is and a social democrat mm -hmm, mm -hmm. these are things i'm you know you know that i don't know this uh, oh i think you uh, know more than you let on no no i really need for getting people to to explain things uh, for your audience so. i well thank you for but no i he it was what i loved about that lecture was he spelled it out and it was it was it was simple it made things simple. And I hope I'm repeating him properly. He said that Elizabeth, somebody like Elizabeth Warren would be a social Democrat mm -hmm. who believes that you can work within the capitalist system and make it more social, not necessarily social, socialistic, but make it better. And then there's the DS, the Democratic Socialist, somebody like Bernie, who thinks you have to democratize the entire economy. And one of the things that Professor Bick said that I thought was 
just so interesting. He said, he said, and this is subject to debate, that you can't have socialism without democracy. And that when you have Stalin or Castro running totalitarian regimes and calling it socialism, that serves America's purpose because we get to point to a totalitarian regime and say, look at that. That's that's what socialism is. It's totalitarianism. It's you know, uh, and that serves Castro and Stalin's purposes because they get to stay in charge, but call themselves socialists, which gives them the halo effect. Uh, but he said he believes that you cannot have socialism without democracy. Do you believe that? Absolutely. I think the essence of socialism is the principle of equality and uh, making things uh, equal for people uh, can't only be a political question. It's also a social and economic question. And that's the essence of socialism is to uh, spread the dimension of equality beyond just uh, the political sphere. Um, and so I think it's, it's absolutely necessary. And that's why I think one of the great unfinished dimensions that I think Harvey JK would tell us of FDR's New Deal was that he wasn't able to uh, bring about and put forward um, the economic Bill of Rights uh, that is a necessary companion to any you know, political set of rights that we have in our constitution. And if you can bring that kind of democracy to the economic sphere, the workplace, um, then you have a chance of having equality and really fulfilling the real purpose and goal in some sense uh, of the egalitarian ethics of political democracy. It's sort of an unfinished business that needs to be completed. Unfortunately, in our history and in many countries' histories, that has been disrupted. But if you see places where they have a large scale worker control over uh, industry or um, you know, where the social rights have gone far enough that it enables labor unions to really have participation in thinking about the conditions of work, then you really have a chance to uh, have a vibrant political democracy. I mean, if we think about our democracy, one of the reasons why it's so anemic, I think, is because of the increased you know, inequality uh, that has been advanced by chipping away at the New Deal over the course of the 70s, 80s, 90s, and into our, this present uh, century. So it's a long period of increasingly rolling back the initial stages that FDR put in uh, in order to win the war and in order to create a fairer society. And in fact, frankly, in order to compete with other forms of socialism that were authoritarian socialisms uh, in the rest of the world, in the Eastern Bloc, uh, Western democracies, capitalism in the US and North America really had to adjust and try and match some of the social and economic gains that, uh, you know, uh, in order to win the war and also to compete uh, with another rival system. It's just too bad um, that conditions in the middle of the 20th century um, and that rivalry in the Cold War after World War II, when really what we should have seen was a kind of universal democratization and socializ 
organization of our societies, economies to make them fairer and more equal, instead of it being a competition between rival systems, it should have been the democratization of that system after the defeat of fascism. And I think, right. unfortunately, the requirements of centralization, of militarization that were needed, you know, after the war period, unfortunately, that kind of power concentrated in small hands under a kind of authoritarian military model was never fully dismantled either in the U.S. or there for a while. It's been dismantled in the U.S. in the sense that, you know, FDR died and uh, his successors never had the same prestige and they put in limitations on re-election, right? I mean, this is why you can only run for two terms. So we, they put in some more controls, but really only at a political level. And over that period of time, they've chipped away at the social dimensions of the, of, of the New Deal. Roosevelt was dying. His vice president was Henry Wallace, who I think it's safe to call him a socialist who had no problem coexisting with the Soviet Union. And they replaced him. He, he Roosevelt let the Democratic smoke filled rooms pick his vice president in his fourth and final campaign. And they picked Harry Truman, who gave us the national security state and the, the Iron Curtain and the Cold War. Had Henry yeah. Wallace had a socialist or somebody with socialist leanings been president of the United States, how far would the Soviet Union have gotten? What did the Soviet Union really want? I mean, we've been bred to believe that there was an Iron Curtain that was just going to spread to Europe and then to Latin America and then America. Militarily, do you think the 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 upper echelons of power in the United States didn't fear a, a military, a communist takeover militarily? Do you think they feared an, an ideological Victory? Were they fearing that if we don't demonize communism and make Russia look like a, a, a military threat, ideologically this country would switch, Americans would, would turn to socialism? Was that the fear? Well, I mean, I think there were probably a lot of complex calculations that were taking place at the end of World War II. And to be honest, really, Harvey J.K. or somebody like that, or even Professor John would probably be a better person to talk about this ideological kind of question. But broadly speaking, I mean, there were a lot of choices to be made. I think one of the big choices that was made was uh, the doctrine of American exceptionalism and the idea that America as a power with a special destiny because we were a democracy of a certain type, really, of course, as only as a political democracy, um, we could be trusted to be a new imperial power to guarantee a post-World War II world order. Um, and, you know, one component of this was uh, competing with, uh, you know, the Soviet Union um, and other communist countries um, 
you know, to ensure that capitalism would survive um, and that it, the U.S. would have preeminence geopolitically, you know, in the world. And, um, you know, somebody like Henry Wallace actually had a very different perspective on what U.S. foreign policy should be. I wouldn't go so far as to say that he would have uh, refused any component of what we can think of as U.S. hegemony or predominance. But his idea, I think, was that the U.S. should be a human rights advocate around the world, not in a cynical way to justify, you know, uh, intervention or just to criticize the Soviet Union, but to lead humanity with a social ethic in order to foster the kind of egalitarian social democracy or democratic socialism that he envisioned um, as a successful system, because in some ways, what's something that's very important to understand, I think, about uh, true socialism and the conditions that are required for socialism to really replace capitalism is that you have to have it has to be an international system you can't have certain areas of the world um, that continue to operate in you know under a clear capitalist model or it will undermine um, you know the delicate uh, requirements needed in order to maintain um, you know, worker control, local worker control, because if you have capitalism being able to move from location to location where it can chase cheap labor like we've seen, you know, it just undermines attempts by workers to organize and to actually be effective in doing so. So that importance of of a of a new foreign policy was absolutely crucial and unfortunately wallace did not win that you know because he was sidelined and marginalized it had severe consequences not just on domestic policy but on u.s foreign policy and he gave an important speech and i think in some ways you know giving the he gave an important speech where he announced his ideas for a new uh kind of post-war u.s relationship with the world and his aspirations for um, a more equitable and just world and i think that's when people in the you know, uh, real corridors of power, part of what was emerging then as the permanent state, the security state establishment, because it begins really with World War Two and, you know, the intelligence services that are developing into the 50s, they start to become very significant and important in directing U.S. governmental policy. And I think they thought that was a real danger that now that the U.S. had acquired, you know, after, you know, war in Europe that had pitched you know, the Nazi state against uh, the Soviet state in a titanic struggle. And we often forget that, you know, it wasn't D-Day coming in at the end in the last year of the war that really turned the tide. It was, you know, red, you know, the Red Army, you know, that, you know, they defeated. Uh, put a stop. Yeah, yeah they Stalingrad, defeated. places like that. And the insane losses that they suffered. Now, some historians, you know, argue that it was because Stalin was megalomaniacal and thought he had like, you know, was a brilliant, you know, ge military genius or something and that he made lots of mistakes and it shouldn't have been quite so many people. But quite apart from that, the war was fought in, you know, their territory principally for years of the war. There's no getting around that. Um, and as a result, you know, the U.S. was in this incredibly strong position and people did not want to give up. They said, we have displaced the British Empire. The British Empire is over. Winston Churchill really knew and understood that. 
And, um, you know, people did not want, um, you know, the gains that had been made by the U.S. ramping up uh, industrial production dramatically and now being the titan that, you know, strode the world, having been preserved from having to fight, you know, on its own territory, um, you know, they, they didn't want to give up those those opportunities because um, the enormous geopolitical uh, power that was uh, at, at, at issue. And so that's why, for example, the Middle East had to be controlled, the whole history of the Middle East. We had a great guest that Henry Hakamaki brought on, a historian of the 1950s and U.S. policy in the Middle East, who, um, you know, really, you know, indicated that it wasn't necessarily they wanted to take the oil, but that they wanted to control the production of oil so that they had control over the market and also, you know, could, you know, really control uh, the rest of the world. Was this a a socialist movement? Was Nasser a a self-avowed socialist? Well, Mossadegh what you have was he- is militant nationalism, I think. Now, you've got all kinds of varieties, and this is why it's so useful in some ways to understand the uh, uh, political ideologies that Professor John has been uh, carefully going through from conservative all the way, you know, on the right all the way towards the, towards the left. But one thing that is difficult, I think, from just the classic perspective of Western political theory is how do these things translate into non-Western societies that have a very different history and trajectory in their state formation, you know, because, you know, when we're talking about political ideologies, we're talking about relations between society and the state, how the state should be organized. But if that state is a very recent liberated state from a colonial condition, um, you know, and did not develop some of those institutions uh, organically through social struggles before, um, you know, how is it going to work in those contexts? So one thing that you find is that the the uh, anti-colonial struggle tended to be, and the fact that the British and others tried to hang on, the French tried to hang on to those colonies, it's really only World War II. And the Japanese, this is another dimension of this, is that as terrible as the Japanese were, because they were fascistic and they had this supremacist sort of view and tried to create this huge empire that was forged by militant violence and so on all throughout Asia. But one thing that it did do is it absolutely destroyed the colonial powers, the Dutch in Indonesia, they were absolutely terrified. The British were terrified that the Japanese would invade, you know, India. And so one thing that it did is it broke the kind of uh, image of Western colonizing powers, invincibility and superiority that emboldened anti-colonial struggle to believe that they could actually free their countries from British, Dutch or French uh, rule. And we see that in the 1950s. The so the colonial food. powers became synonymous with capitalism. Well, they became well, see, that's an interesting point is the relationship between, you know, colonialism, imperialism and capitalism. They're they're distinct phenomena. You can certainly understand that. But historically, they have also gone uh, together, you know, that especially if you have Russia wanting these newly formed countries to come into their orbit. Yes, they're going to give them arms and sell them socialism. Well, yeah, they will integrate them into some kind of state socialist 
kind of state capitalist, actually, in some ways, uh, economy and as a trading block, as a military block. And that's what you see happening is that there is a race to establish these military treaty organizations. So NATO is, of course, the first one, but that model begins to be exported in the post-World War II period where the U.S. goes around and tries to establish treaty organizations on that model to align regional groups with the United States. So they created the Baghdad Pact, right? I think it was 1956. I th- oh, no, 1953, I think, was the Baghdad Pact. Um, I might get have that date wrong, but it, it was, uh, they also created Seattle Southeast Asian Treaty Organization uh, where they wanted to put Korea and Australia and some of the other Southern East Asian countries. And these were partly as a defense force, but also as a bulwark against China and the Soviet Union, which means you really couldn't call yourself socialist if you were on the side of the United States. We wouldn't that's that's right. And so there was a huge there was a huge pressure brought to bear and competition, you know, between these different blocks trying to encourage these newly decolonized nations to join with one of these blocks as a trading partner, as part of a military alliance. And, you know, some of these militant nationalists um, thought that they could play both sides, you know, and see whoever gave them a better deal. And Ho Chi Minh. Well, Ho Chi Minh, uh, Nasser himself, that's why when you asked what was Nasser ideologically, I mean, he was mobile. He moved ideologically. I mean, he had some social aspirations. He had an idea that we had to have. I mean, he came out of the army. And so his image of, you know, you know, f- struggle for liberation. And this is a point that I wanted to make is that the anti-colonial struggle, because it was resisted, even in the post-World War II condition, when it should have been a case where like, let's end colonialism now, we've seen fascism, we've seen what racial difference and ideas of superiority do to the world, it's not good for the world, let's decolonize, let's you know help each other and build a new world out of this. There was an op- op- opportunity to do that. But most of these colonizing powers, whether it was the Portuguese, or the British or, you know, the Dutch were trying to hang, French were trying, especially the French were trying to hang on, you know, to these uh, colonial possessions. And as a result, it engendered militant nationalist liberation movements that took up arms, that were militarized, that had to follow a kind of military sort of system, structure and discipline to violently overthrow like the FLN did in Algeria or, you know, Ho Chi Minh, you know, um, the Viet Cong or Nasser, right? So they they felt like the only way, you know, uh, they were suspicious of democracy because they were worried that they would not be able to keep the colonizing powers out and an aggrandized military dictatorships. And that was, of course, really unfortunate for the development of democracy in a lot of these countries, but it was created because they were had to fight against these, uh, you know, uh, colonial, uh, colonial powers. 
And um, so Manasser, you, what you can say is that he was a, a nationalist and that he had some ideas of social, you know, programs. He nationalized uh, industries. He, you know, uh, conducted some land reforms and, you know, but he was still very open to, you know, doing business with the United States. But the U.S. was suspicious of him because they adhered to a very narrow ideological line. And Eisenhower decided that if you were a militant nationalist, you were essentially tantamount to communism and it created them and it created Arab nationalism as an enemy, as a malign force that needed to be stopped. Why? Because it was hostile to the corrupt oligarchies, you know, uh, the Gulf monarchies and so on. Nasser was constantly saying that that wealth, you know, that we needed to get rid of these monarchies, this corrupt sort of feudal system, and we need to be modern new nations. And he was saying that, the, you know, under the kind of uh, sense of Arab nationalism, that these countries should join together. They'd been fragmented under colonialism. Syria, you know, and Lebanon had been under the French, Iraq, uh, you know, Jordan and Egypt under the British. We need to, we're Arabs, let's all come together. And that was what he was, you know, uh, trying to promote was the unity of the Arabs. That was seen as a threat and a danger to some of these narrow monarchical uh, mini states that also had been created under the British. They were much more easily, much more easily manipulable, were vulnerable in security terms and felt they had to depend on their existence against Nasser and militant Arab nationalism by allying with the United States, for example. So you have the identification of Nasser's project as inimical to U.S. geopolitical control in the Middle East. And so they oppose him. So when he wanted to build the Aswan Dam, um, as this big kind of hydroelectric uh, sort of project to make them uh, energy independent and also imp he, thought, he thought it would improve agriculture. I think it was a big mistake, these monumental, you know, infrastructure projects, but he needed to finance it and he was not getting cooperation from the United States. So he turned to the Soviets. Um, and this was the, when he then, you know, was seen as a, a real enemy because he shopped around for the best deal in order to uh, get the uh, funds that he needed in order to build the Aswan Dam and, and get the loans that he needed and so on. He nationalized the Suez and that precipitated the 1956, you know, Suez War and Suez Crisis. So my point here is just that um, there were a lot of decisions and choices to be made about the post-World War II order. And you know, the U.S. sort of took over the British role as major imperial power uh, in order to protect its interests geopolitically, but also to protect capitalism as a system. And if there had been different decisions made, it's possible that we could have avoided some of the turmoil of the 1950s that turned, we call it the Cold War because the U.S. and the Soviet Union did not fight each other directly, but nonetheless, there were proxy wars that unbalanced, destabilized regimes across the third world in these vulnerable, newly liberated countries in Africa, Middle East, and other parts of Asia. And, um, you know, we're living with the legacies of, uh, you know, of, of, these, uh, of these conflicts in many ways. We've been talking with Professor Adnan Hussein. He's the host of Guerrilla History with Henry Huckamaki and the Mudgeless podcast. And he's also the chairman of the religion department at Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario. Before you go, 
I wanted to ask you about the For the People Act, because this seems to be uh, I'm very upset by this. I, I happen to think, well, I, I started this segment by asking you, can you have socialism without democracy? And you said no. And so I find solace in thinking that the answer is already there. It's called democracy, that we don't. I, what, what keeps me sane is we don't have to overthrow the government. We don't have to declare that we're suddenly a Marxist state. If we just have democracy, we can have socialism because I like to believe that they're synonymous. Let's make it possible for everyone to vote. And what I find so infuriating about the Democratic Party is they keep warning us about fascism, about Donald Trump. We're going to lose our democracy when, in fact, Jimmy Carter has said repeatedly that if he had to verify an election in the United States, he couldn't do it. This is a guy Mm -hmm. who travels all over the world verifying elections. The For the People Act would expand voting rights. It would get rid of dark money. It would get rid of corporate influence in politics. It would make gerrymandering non-political and create ethics rules for, you know, like our Supreme Court justices. It's, I think, the the most sweeping form of voting rights legislation since the Voting Rights Acts of 65. And it passed in the House and Joe Manchin says no. And I asked Howie Klein and I'm going to ask Jim Earl in a second. So what do you do? You have a Democratic Party. This is what I said to Howie Klein. And he kind of defended the Democratic Party, even though he hates the Democratic Party. I said, there's no way you can get Manchin and Cinema to get on board. He said, no, it starts with getting rid of Schumer and the Democratic Party needs to be recalibrated so they they don't ever support people like Joe Manchin. And I say, OK, but that's, you know, two years. In the, what do we do now? What does Joe Biden do now to get mm-hmm. this passed other than crapping on Joe Biden and Schumer and Pelosi? Here's this bill. And the Democrats are saying, well, we tried. We just can't get our caucus on board. What, what do you say? Like, what is the solution? Well, I mean, if if I knew uh, whose fault is this, I would be a politician. But I mean, uh, I think, uh, you know, I think uh, I think Howie Klein is afraid uh, that he would just uh, become a Republican and then you lose, um, you know, you lose your majority. But then on the other hand, what are we doing with the majority? So if we can't do anything, then maybe we need to dramatize that the situation is untenable and that it's, uh, you know, the Democrats need to be able to show that um, they're doing absolutely everything that they possibly could to get this through. I don't think I've seen that level of intensity yet. I mean, if they had done that and it failed, then you would be able to say they made an honest effort. We're just presuming that things have been offered to him and so on. But you have to have public threat. You have to have, uh, you know, organizing in West Virginia. You have to have cutting off of campaign, you know, funds being threatened. You have to have the president showing up in West Virginia saying, I want this 
Don't you want it? How about debating him? How about saying how about Joe Biden saying to Manchin, I'll debate you next week. I believe in this. I respect you. Let's have a debate about the For the People Act on national television. The way Al Gore debated Ross Perot on NAFTA. Unfortunately, he won that. I'll go on some (laughs) television. But well, I mean, there are lots of things that you could do, I think, to at least create the atmosphere of public pressure. There are, you know, actual probably things they could promise him that might be uh, of interest to him and that might encourage him to do it if he also felt pressures. Both of these things have to come together. But if nothing like that works, if you really do all of those things and get creative and mobilize and offer it, get rid of Schumer, put Manchin. You want you want to you want power, but you be the you know majority leader or, you know, whatever, you know, it, it takes. Let's see you know, within what's possible. But then on the other hand, if nothing works, I was thinking about this, if nothing works, wouldn't it be a better position? It won't achieve anything immediately, but wouldn't it be a better thing to, for Joe Biden to say, we're expelling you from the Democratic Party? I don't care if we have a majority or not. You're not you're not a Democrat and you're not allowing us to work for the people. So get out. I agree with you. Before he uses the leverage and just goes and you look terrible that, you know, try everything, say, you know, but if you, you know, if you don't do it, just get out. You know, we don't need you and let the American people see you are the problem. You are really a Republican. Okay, But the problem is, is, I mean, is is Joe Biden that much of a Democrat? You know, I mean, he talks a lot about bipartisanship and, you know, would he go to that extreme? They don't seem to think that it's actually potentially of benefit to cull these people from being able to call themselves Democrats. If there's a way that you can actually expel them from the party, you know, I might do it. We don't have they, they call they call the Senate the greatest debating club in the world. And it's not. And Joe Biden is a product of the Senate and he's a product of the system. I happen to believe that the For the People Act could cure a lot of the problems of this country. A great president would say to Joe Manchin, Joe, you're a senator. I used to be in the Senate. Maybe you're right. Maybe I'm wrong. Let's go on national television for three hours, mano a mano. Convince me why the 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 For the People Act is so partisan. Why we have to be uh, bipartisan on For the People Act when we all know that the Republicans are fascist. Let me hear you come out, say the words that you're against expanding voting rights. Say the words that yeah, you're. You don't even inf- have, yeah, you don't even have to say that. You know why make it partisan? Why talk about the Republicans at all? Just make it about. Are you not in favor of like uh, anti-corruption and ethics? Like, what's your problem with ethics? You know, what's your problem with voting? with people voting and ensuring that they just, you know, what was it? What is it that he's, you know, uh, not supporting here? Um, you know, and the goddamn the media the spends more time focusing on Joe Manchin and cinema and whether or not the For the People Act will pass instead of telling us what exactly is the For the People Act. We don't know what the For the People Act is unless you listen to this show and other important podcasts. If the American people knew what was in the For the People Act, they would go 
for they put Manchin's well, head on a stick. I this is the same thing that we had with the with the Bessemer situation is you know talking about recognition of the union uh that's abstract this is also procedural and abstract you know i mean they're making it personal so it can be this morality play it's all about this one person how about making the case as you say on the merits of why this is so important i mean we're hearing a lot about the inside baseball. People are sick of the inside Washington baseball because they've heard about these games and they're usually used as excuses for why we can't do anything. And in this case, yeah, they're being stymied. So, you know, I maybe there's no solution, but there is a uh, solution. There is a solution. It's called electing a Democratic president who can string a series series of words together and be able to debate people in his own party and and win public public approval. Bernie would have done that. He, he would have. In fact, he said that was how, because everyone was always asking him, you know, questions. Well, how are you going to govern when you don't have a big majority, you know, in the in the Senate? And so he tried to answer these questions by saying, and that he would make the case to the American people and he would go to West Virginia. He would go to Kentucky, you know, and, and win the put, debate. Yeah. And, and make sure that this is being known and covered and make the case and force the other side to try and argue against it. You know, these are things that are popular. These are things uh, that are of benefit to the American people. Make the other side actually have to do the hard work of explaining why they don't support these things. I mean, I think that's just basic politics. Who knows if it would work, but I would much prefer to see our political leaders approaching it, you know, in that fashion uh, than, you know, the petty procedural and personal kind of uh, narratives that we're dealing with now. I don't think it educates uh, the populace at all. Right. Get these people on record saying they're against democracy. Professor Adnan Hussein, thank you so much. Uh, listen to the Mudgeless podcast and listen to Guerrilla History. We've been keeping Jim Earl waiting. Thank you so much. Please come back. You're listening to The David Feldman Show. Please friend me on Facebook, friend me on Twitter. I don't really go to Twitter and Facebook anymore, and I suggest that you don't do it either. But I, I check Facebook and Twitter, you know, a couple hundred times a day. I, I'm getting off the stuff. No, I post the podcast on on uh, Twitter and Facebook. And please subscribe to this amazing show with amazing guests like Professor Adnan Hussein. Please subscribe on YouTube. Hit the like button. Please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And tell your friends about this. Share this amazing show with these incredible guests. Dan Frankenberger will be up, but uh, we're going to go to Kenny Bunk, Maine, and talk with Jim Earl and maybe Martha Previtt. We'll be right back. It's time right now for the David Feldman Show. He's talking politics and comedy, too. he tell a dirty joke if you want him to. He's just a lefty. 
From way back, he's a union man with an Emmy for writing. Someday he's mad and he feels like fighting. It's time right now for the David Feldman Show to get your ears on right, buckle in real tight. He's got a lot to say and he's coming your way. Let us now go to Kennebunk, Maine, where the brilliant Martha Previtt is standing by. We love Martha Previtt. She's the voice of Melania and Senator Susan Collins and AOC. And we're going to be doing a diabetic fury sometime this month. We have to check with Dan in the newsroom to find out when. And also with us is Emmy and Peabody award-winning comedy writer, Jim Earl, welcome both of you. Our audience loves a lot of stuff to talk about. A lot of stuff to talk about. I want to talk about neighbors, problems with neighbors, mice. I'd like to talk about that. Maybe George P. Bush or, or the kid, Jeb's son, running in Texas, wanting Donald Trump's endorsement. The Wuhan lab, uh, UFOs, and uh, Joe Manchin. But let's start off. Let's start off easy. And Joe Biden. Joe yeah, Biden. Who, who? Another Joe. Joe Biden. Joe Biden. And, and the uh, Affordable Care Act getting one million more applicants. Exceeding expectations. Joe Biden exceeding. Ex- we'll get to Joe in a little while. Okay. Have you gotten vaccinated? What's that? Yes. You you have? Why did you do that? I told you not to get vaccinated. Well, you're an anti-faxer. I'm an anti-faxer. Yes. Oh, I'm this is a, fa- yeah, okay. But this is that va- this is va- getting vaccinated. You you have gotten vaccinated. Uh, yes. Well. I thought I thought you were supposed to get a fax machine. Okay. Now, I didn't are get your facts. Are you, are you out there enjoying Maine? It's almost summer. You must love it up there, right? Go to the beach. Get your. Don't you have a favorite wine that you like to drink? You go for a drive and get your favorite wine? Yes. Well, I, I walk to the neighborhood supermarket to get my favorite wine made from fermented clam juice. From fermented <laughs> And and the neighbors are there's something has lifted, right? Biden's president, Doug Emhoff's wife is vice president. You, you have a spring in your step, don't you? I do. That's because I'm you know, trying to get away from people. Keep breathing on me. But you're happier now that that 
Trump is no longer president. Everything is so much better. There you go. I'm completely, um, I'm bowled over by the difference. It's, it's amazing. Uh, I have Medicare for all. No, I don't. I have uh, 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 the public. No, I don't have. No. Uh, what do I have now? Well, the premiums. What about the premiums under Obamacare? Have they gone down? No, they never went down. He reopened the exchanges and everybody can sign up. Isn't it easier now to get Obamacare and it's much cheaper and there's subsidies for everybody? You'd have a better chance of getting cured on the uh, stock exchange. You're not happy with Obamacare? No, it's terrible. It's just Romney care, of course. You know that. It's yes. the insurance industry care. Martha, you're more forgiving of Joe Biden. Thank goodness everything's back to normal. What about premiums? Have, they, have the premiums gone down, the deductibles? People who didn't have premiums before are now having premiums. <laughs> and denials. And, and denials? Denials. And denials. Things aren't better with Obamacare, you're saying. That's correct. What is the price of insulin these days? Have the Democrats done anything uh, to make ins- insulin affordable? No, they have not. Can I answer that, Dave? Yes, please. Not a fucking thing. Hmm. <laughs> so that's kind of like, no, they have not. Everything's back to normal. Shut what? up. <laughs> what, what does insulin cost up in Maine, if you don't mind my asking, in all seriousness? What, what is? Oh, it's over $300 a vial. And that will last how long? Well, it depends on how much you take, but not very long. That's like a month, maybe maybe a month if, you, if you're not taking a lot of insulin. Right. Yeah, some can, people have like $3,000 uh, bills for insulin intake because they take 50 uh, shots a day or 50 shots a, a, a meal sometimes. Other right. people have five shots a meal. Five units, I mean, not 50 shots, 50 units, five units, that kind of thing. So it is conceivable that at the end of the month, you're spending $3,000 on insulin. Just insulin, yes. Just insulin per person. Yes, not counting all the other things that go along with it. The doctor visits, blood tests, the uh, blood test strips, the syringes. Doctor visits? (laughs) Yeah. Does it get easier in certain states? We had talked to this guy, Carter, who put a cap in Virginia on the price of insulin. Are there I'd like to put a cap in Virginia. Yeah. Are, is it, are there some states where insulin is cheaper? Canada. Okay. I'm sure it's easier in some states uh, as opposed to other states, but, uh, you know, California, the the insulin prices are the same unless you're uh, poor enough to get coverage and then it's covered, but you have to stay real poor. You have to make less than uh, 12 or 1300 a month. You go over that, then you start, they 
put you back on the exchanges again. And if so, if you're if you have if you have Blue Shield or Kaiser, what is it? Is it covered? Did your premiums cover it? It's all you know. You, you've been on the exchanges, haven't you? Yeah. I mean, every it's uh, like being in a Rubik's cube of shit. You, it's a puzzle trying to figure out what which uh plan gold platinum blue red whatever the fuck it's like a it's like gangrenous if it's, on, if it's on the formulary too if it's you know if it's and something insulin that they is, cover. A, is insulin considered a pharmaceutical so it has nothing to do with your health insurance right it's separate from being able to go to the hospital and see a doctor it's it's a it's yes it's a prescription, it's a prescription. It's a prescription yeah. drug right so, okay. no, it's not, you know, I bring up California because that's where I was born and raised in Los Angeles County. And it's a model Democratic state, which uh, has had too many to count chances and times to uh, install single payer. Right. In, in that state. And each time the Democratic controls uh state and the house and the senate have trashed it somehow and when who's they've speech? had super, super majorities to do that and they've trashed it so it doesn't really have that much difference you know sure there's a there's some differences between the two parties but ultimately you get the same results one way or another and that is screwing people over and accelerating their their deaths to the tune of over 40, 60,000 people who are going to die this year and next year and the year after that uh, from lack of proper health care because we don't have single-payer Medicare for all, which nobody in the Democratic Party in the Senate wants. Joe Manchin can't be blamed for, for not wanting to end the filibuster because there are at least 10 other Democrats in Congress who are right along with them on that, who will not support the infrastructure bills and least of all Medicare for all or uh, a uh, public option. So we can't, Democrats always like to have somebody to blame their inaction and, and you know, lack of uh, results on and it's usually, you know, it's Republicans or it's Russia. And now it's one of them, they think. Joe Manchin. But it's not. It's them. They are the problem. The party is the problem. He will, he will not vote in favor of the For the People Act. No, he won't. Which is outrageous. He says it's uh, too partisan. Getting out the vote, making it easy for people to vote is too partisan. Yeah. And the Democrat, you know, and we could end the filibuster if we had a, a Democratic Senate who was in favor of that. But we have at least 10 Democrats who don't want to end the filibuster. They don't want filibuster reform. So is that, I happen to think it's Schumer's fault. I, I happen to think that the only reason he's majority leader is he spreads around the Wall Street cash and the Wall Street cash is just cash. It really doesn't get people elected, as we saw in uh, 
South Carolina. Uh, Lindsey Graham was outspent, but he won. Democrats like spreading cash around, but Chuck Schumer doesn't go into Joe Manchin's office and say, listen up, son, you're going to you're going to do this or I'll destroy you. That's what a, a majority leader does. Mm-hmm. You go in and you say to Kristen Cinema and Joe Manchin, listen up, this bill is passing. And if you don't vote in favor of it, you're going to get primaried and we're going to destroy your your life. We're going to dig up stuff on you that you don't want made public. So you're going to vote for for the People Act. That's how it used to be done when it wasn't about spreading money around. It was about spreading power. But they just want money. Jamie Harrison had more money than anybody in the 2020 races. He ran against Lindsey Graham and outspent him. Lindsey Graham beat him double digits. They make him the head of the Democratic Party, Jamie Harrison, more money, outspent Lindsey Graham, loses double digits, and the Democrats go, let's make him the, the chairman of the Democratic Party. He's good at raising money. That's all the Democratic Party wants to do is raise money and spread it around. Yeah. And didn't, didn't Schumer push uh, Joe Manchin? Didn't he push for Joe Manchin uh, over his uh, challenger? It's his progressive challenger, or am I mixing up the history on that? But uh, I seem to remember that happening. So, it's, you know, they, they push people, they support people and promote people who they now blame uh, for their own inaction and inability to do anything. And that's the sole reason they want those people, because they don't want to do anything. Now, Hunter Biden, a couple of people have said to me, why do you trash, not you, Jim, or why do I trash Hunter Biden? You won't let up on Hunter Biden, and I won't let up on Hunter Biden, because if you have a son who went to Yale Law School and had nothing but the best available to him, including Secret Service protection, including Secret Service protection, and he still ended up a crack addict. One would think that you would say, gee, drug addiction happens in the best of families. Maybe we should have free treatment for everybody. Maybe I'm 78 years old. I'm the president of the United States. I've witnessed firsthand what mental illness what drug addiction can do to a man. You know, Hunter had all the resources available to him and he still fell off the wagon and started smoking crack again. Maybe we should have free mental health care for everybody and free treatment on demand. And and free Joe, dental. Have you seen the, have you seen Hunter's teeth? Yeah. The man. Yeah. yeah. And Joe Biden. no, but he'll say, hey, my, my son died of cancer, so this is personal. Mm-hmm. Okay. So in other yeah. words, mm-hmm. it's personal, so you'll just take care of your family. You'll keep it personal, but you won't take care of the rest of us. So what do we need you as our president for? 
If you're not going to fight for Medicare for all, if you're not going to fight for free treatment on demand when your own son is a crack addict, it's personal. That's what he says. Yeah, it's personal. You're going to take care of Hunter, but not the rest of us. Well, he's not he's not my president. I don't think he's, he's your president either. I don't think <laughs> not he's my president. I don't think he's anybody's president. Oh, he's my I president. Think, I think a lot of people voted for him and think that he is their president, but he's not their president. He's not out there for them. He's he's out there for the powerful and Wall Street and the industrial military industrial complex, the war industry. And that's proven by his almost every one of his uh, appointees in his cabinet. He hasn't uh, gotten us into a war yet, but he did drag his feet on a settlement between Gaza, between Hamas and Israel. Well, let's, let's change the subject and talk about neighbors. Can we talk about your neighbors? Well, are you having problems with your neighbors? Is that why you brought it up? Well, I have a person who stomps above me. And, and you pay her for it. Yes, I do. <laughs> um, yes. And I have roommates, one of whom has died, and I can't figure out where they died. I have well, a do what you Are they in the wall? Time. They're in the wall, yeah. yeah. Maybe they died in the wall. I have, a, I have mice, and there's a, like, you know, okay, that's a dead one. Mm-hmm. And uh, what are your neighbors like? Any smokers in the building? Mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> Have you asked them <laughs> to smoke more cigarettes so they get sick and die? Or, or I hope so. Uh, we I really, so. we're, I don't know, we're, we're really probably shouldn't say anything about it. They're, they're not direct neighbors, but they're a building or two away and they're trying to quit no they're not trying to quit well that's have you what politely asked them to quit do a chrissy teigen and just take a dirt you know say take a dirt nap have you, have you <laughs> politely asked them <laughs> jim have you walked up to them no he hasn't no has somebody asked you to ask them well sweetheart yes you, you have ask them not too politely that's correct yes i've Uh, lost my patience it's it's summertime david and you know we like to open our windows and and breathe the fresh air right what's the point of living in maine if you exactly you can't open the windows because the neighbors smoke which you know isn't a few doors down it comes right into the windows and fills our area with have you politely walked up to them and and tried to be reasonable with them yeah what did you you say i said well um your cigarette smoke is coming in my windows would you mind not smoking there or going someplace else in a designated smoking area and um, that hasn't happened. What do they say when, when you ask I think them? they laughed at me and they called me names. No, seriously, what did they do? That's seriously, that's what happened. And, and Jim, being a macho brute, isn't going to allow anybody to talk to you that way. So what did he do? Well, I wasn't 
there. Jim told me not to call them names. Yeah, I, I tried to tell her to not yell. Because uh, you're a man, you're a man of peace. <laughs> I'm a man. I'm a man with a, with a big piece, and they don't like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I tried to tell them. I tried to tell her. Well, you know, they they're not responding to the anger and the yelling anymore. Uh, other than to become more antagonistic and smoke more. What is so describe the, 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 the other? Describe the anti. I want to know what Martha's like when she's antagonist. What do you do? What do you sound? Well, did you know the the uh, the the rules are that you know you have to be twenty five feet away from a building um, to smoke, and they're smoking right next to the building, so they're violating the law. David, right. this is very serious. Are they young and attractive? Are they young and attractive? No, they're not. They're smokers. Are they old? Are they weak? I don't know. What if what if they if one of them were to chance upon this search, do a name search and chance upon this recording? And uh, then they would quit smoking. They'd say, Oh my god, I'm being shamed. Yes. I'm embarrassed. I, I, publicly. I think it's to their credit. Uh, that they came over and they apologized. When? Just a few days ago. Don't you oh, remember? not for smoking. That wasn't for smoking. That was for calling you names. No, it was for oh, smoking. Oh, this is sir. good. Now my name. Hold, let, let me finish. Oh. And they said they were quitting. They were trying to quit and they were going to end at some point during this month. And that's, you know, I think that's the best we can do right now. I don't think we should be yelling at them. And and because it does, it only has the reverse effect that we would wish. That's beautiful. Jim, you're a peacemaker. You should be sent to Gaza and left there (laughs) with a Jewish star. What about you? Your forehead. See, that's very anti-Semitic of you. It's got nothing to do with the Jewish star. It's got everything to do with, uh, I have no idea. But so you, so you're a peacemaker. You, you don't, you think you, you need to work with people instead. I think, I think we're all here in the same boat and we don't act like it. I think when I say all and we, Uh, I mean, people who are poor. I'm concerned for these poor people because they don't have health insurance. And when something happens to them because of their smoking, they're not going to be able to go and, and get the care that they need because they can't afford it. Mm-hmm. Right. But, 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 but genuinely, how do you feel when, when you open a window? How do you feel? How do you well, feel? Because I, uh, I live in a air shaft. So if somebody's waiting smoking. for their, if somebody's smoking, it comes in through my window, but that kind of kills the stench from the dead mouse. So I'm happy. <laughs> The, the smell of cigarettes in New York City is the least of your olfactory concerns. There are a lot of worse odors in New York. In, City. in New so, York, it can be masked by other smells, but here in Maine, yes. Well, see, this is pine tree state. The smell of fear. But how do you deal with the, your neighbor, Dave? It depends on which neighbor, and uh, if they're weak, then I alpha dog them if they're stronger than i am i say what martha says 
Um, we're all in this together. And, but if but if I am physically, if, if it is apparent that I am physically stronger, mm-hmm. then we're not in it together. You're going to do what I say. But do you I have never, a gun? I have many guns and uh, bazookas and uh, I have a tank in my apartment. You have an AR point zero two. I let me just say that noise has been my bet noir since I came out of the womb. If somebody is blasting music and they always are, I'm stressed out. I, I don't understand why people have to. It's cultural imperialism. I, I okay, I get it. You like Sinatra. That's fantastic. So do I. <laughs> but not at four in the morning, at you know five hundred decibels. Tur- well, the tur- problem, they're probably on drugs. Which you know, what else are you gonna do? Yeah, well, I, I, I hate people. I hate anybody who inconveniences me in my apartment. So if yes. you're, if you're, if this is my sanctuary. Yes. If, if you're making me smell your cooking, your, 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 your cigarette smoke, if I have to hear your shitty television, mm-hmm. I don't want to hear Andy Cohen from Bravo blasting through my walls. <laughs> if, 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 the, if, if a couple is screaming next door, it better be because be because of a home invasion, not because they're having sex. I don't want to hear them having sex. I don't understand why you have to scream during sex. Do what I do, used to do, whenever I would hear a couple screaming, having sex across the, the wall. Scream with them. Now you're talking. Join in. Yeah. So, Jim, you don't get into it. Do you have, or do you have road rage? I would, I would take you for a road rage kind of guy. <laughs> I've honked before, but, I, you know, it, it, once again in Los Angeles, there are nuts out there, so I avoid it. I, I get angry on the road. Yeah, I scream in the, in the cabin, but I don't. When I see, when, it, when it's safe for me to scream, you know, left turn fuckhead, I'll do it. Right. But I know that there's no way they can get at me. And you shouldn't talk to me that way. Well, well, you were, it was in the right turn lane. Yeah. There, there are no liberals in a traffic jam. Is that fair to say? There are no liberals, period, anymore. Yeah, I mean, there are no lefties. Not le- in this town. There's no lefty when you're waiting 45 minutes to get, take an exit, right? Do you still have a car in Manhattan? No, I do not. Did you ever? Did you ever drive around there? No, I I drove I drove in uh, Los Angeles. People crazy, but I no, I don't drive in New York. There's no I place. A couple of times I drove a couple of times for rent a, to get out to rent a car and get the hell out of Manhattan in Brooklyn where I live. Yeah, very expensive to rent a car now because the rental company sold all their cars during the pandemic. So you can't, there's a shortage of cars now. 
There's a shortage of everything. There's, yes. There's, uh, well, that's because this is America and we're capitalists and that's just the way it is. If someone is going to be taken advantage of during a pandemic, it's going to be the weakest among us. And that's just the way it is. And we can't. Now, do why aren't you a Marxist, Jim? You see, you see that picture up there? Yeah. Those are my great, great grandparents. I can't hear great, you. Hang on. Those what? are my great. Those are my great, great grandparents that came, who came from Elberfeld. That was Frederick Engels uh, town. And they came from there during one of the uh, Napoleonic Wars, settled in uh, Kansas, which became a hotbed of socialist uh, farmers co-ops. And, um, and, uh, my great great grandfather ran for office in uh, in Kansas, Great Bend, Kansas, and there were many socialist parties during that time. And not once, not once, have you ever had me on to discuss that with one of your professor Marxists? Are you a Marxist? I am a socialist. Okay. Slash Marxist, but you know everyone has their own definition don't they and that's so fast marxist is and that's why we never win because everybody fine-tunes their own ideology instead of marching in lockstep like the republicans do well you see now you want to march in lockstep i think that's what the democratic party has been doing for the last five years they've been marching in lockstep towards the right wing to unify with them that's yeah, but would you, would you if that's why that's why MSNBC and CNN are, are littered with uh, uh, intel agency flunkies and uh, former Bush appointees and administration? Are you a team player? I don't like I don't like team sports. <laughs> I had I had a, like a, a permanent uh, excuse from PE because because I had an ankle injury. <laughs> Yeah. You're not a team player. Well, yeah, I'm a team player at work. I've been in writing teams. I've done very well with that, except when they tried to take health care away from us. And so, so if you were, let's say, elected to Congress from Kenny Bunk, Maine, as a Democrat, as an AOC, mm-hmm. and I'm Nancy Pelosi, and I said to you, Jim, I know you ran on Medicare for all, but that's not going to happen. What would you say to me, Congressman Jim Earl? I would say, I also said when I ran that uh, I, I would be happy being with just being a one-term Congresswoman uh, because my job is not as important as what I ran on. And I don't you want to get happily, I happily risk, I would happily risk Yes, to force a vote. I mean, come into my office, Jim. Hang on. Force a vote on Medicare for all. I mean, come into my office. And the $15 minimum wage. Hang on. This is all about personal relationships, Jim. I'm Nancy Pelosi. Isn't this a beautiful office? Yes. And she probably read uh, Chris Hayes' Twilight of the Elites or whatever the hell. Would you like to know that book was? And it was about cognitive capture. And that's when the capture happens when you're try to change the party with within the Rothschild. I have a little wine. I I usually drink 
at this hour. Would you like a glass of wine? Let's just talk. I'm sure like she a glass of wine. I'm sure she would know how how to properly cork it. Yeah, and I'm going to cork you. Now, come on, you're you're you you got elected. We're proud of you, but we don't have the votes for Medicare for all, Jim. So are you going to be are you going to be a team player? Are you going to be a Democrat? And work. Got, what's that got to do with if you don't have the votes for something? You don't. You don't have the votes. I, so what? So what? That doesn't mean you don't try for something. I don't want to try for. You didn't it. have the votes for civil rights for for a decade or decades. Yeah. Civil rights laws. So why? So people should have just sat down, done nothing. That was a different. I wasn't speaker back then, but right now we don't want Medicare for all. Well, tough luck, you know, if, we had, had, if, the, if the squad actually had a spine, you know, they would risk their, their jobs. They would risk their jobs, just like AOC should risk hers, just like Bernie Sanders should have risked his. Now he's just a... Look at my views. Like, just a gum-flapping symbolism purveyor, and that's it. I can see the Supreme Court building from my office. Isn't it beautiful? It's nice big office. I don't want Medicare for all. I can see my great grandparents. I got I own stock in United Healthcare. We take money from the health insurance companies. We're not gonna vote for Medicare for all, Jim. And so that's why that and that's why the squad should have said we're not gonna no, vote I'm for you. you. We're not gonna vote for you, Nancy. You're a congresswoman. You're a congresswoman. Uh, yeah, then I would do what we should have done, force the vote. You're gonna force the vote and you're gonna be a one term congresswoman, Jim. Yeah, you know what? I'd be more powerful and more memorable than Bernie Sanders is gonna end up being, who is as did not risk his job. Never is risked. You like making 160 grand. And he doesn't. And people are going to say, oh, yeah, he stands for something. He stands for something with the Democratic Party, but he doesn't really stand for what he ran on. And what he ran political career two times for president. He never risked his job for the causes that he said he was. But I'm talking about you. I'm talking about you have somebody like that. They can be more important on the outside. Perhaps. When they lose after they lose their job. Well, where do you think you're going to work once we destroy your political career? Well, he could go on Fox. Like Dennis, Dennis, Dennis Kucinich and uh, Donna Brazil made a living going on Fox and reaching a wider audience than MSNBC and CNN ever could have. You're never will. We're role playing here. We're LARPing. No, I'm not. He could go on Fox. I'm talking about you. You're a congresswoman and I'm Nancy Pelosi. And if I were threatened like that by her, I would threaten her back and I would tell her, oh, good, I'll lose my job. I'll do whatever happened. You know what? I'll go on Fox and be a regular there, get paid for it and write books for millions of dollars. And I'll really shred you alive. You'll shred me alive because I have pictures of you two years ago in Wuhan. (laughs) Now I know you're just joshing me. I have pictures of you, Jim Earl. We we have proof that the COVID virus came from you. You want to be known as COVID Jim? Remember Typhoid Mary? You're going to be COVID Jim. Typhoid, Typhoid Mary still earned a living after all the typhoid. You know that, don't you? She still made a nice living. She was getting along fine. 
and she washed her hands of the whole incident. That's right. Was typhoid Mary in New York or was that? She yeah, she was in New York. And I, I think she was a victim of uh, anti-Irish propaganda. Yeah. Or that was Miss, Mrs. O'Leary. I thought it was the cow. I thought it was anti-cow. It was Mrs. O'Leary uh, kicked over the lantern. No, it was her cow. No, the cow tried to stop her. And she wouldn't, She because she was a pyromaniac, Mrs. O'Leary. It was the only way she could achieve an orgasm in the 1880s. That's the only way anybody could. That's why there were so many fires in this country. <laughs> Isn't that correct? I think you're right. I, I think you're right. Well, there's a new heir to the throne, a little bit. Meghan and Harry had a little daughter to keep Archie company. I think she's eighth or 10th or 50th in line. Does that make you happy? Uh, yeah. No? <laughs> Does it make you happy? Makes me very happy. Make... Yeah? Yeah. But she's not going to... How could she be an heir to the throne? When he... Her father has been disowned. Well, she, he disowned himself, didn't he? He just kind of resigned from the whole monarchy, didn't he? I think he's pretty pissed off. Although maybe he's under Megan's spell. What do you think, Martha? I know you devour these stories. Oh, yes. Um, it's thoroughly exceeded my expectations. Isn't it great that they're drawing attention to uh, the stigma of mental illness? The stigma? Yeah. I, I, I'm so grateful that Oprah, Meghan, and Harry are trying to remove the stigma that we all suffer from when it comes to mental illness. Not the fact that you can't get a psychiatrist or a psychologist. It's the stigma. This country thrives on mental illness and the treatment of it. It's for profit. Well, UFOs, for them or against them? Everybody always asks, do you believe in UFOs? But nobody asks, are you for them or against them? And that's the big question. I'm against UFOs. I, I, I think they don't exist, and if they do exist, we should be shooting them out of the sky. I'm against unidentified flying objects. Do you believe in UFOs, Martha Previtt? Um, uh, it's, it's, maybe. It's, it's possible. I haven't ruled them out. Um, I haven't identified them, so I don't know which one you're speaking of. Now, Jim, you've been in farm on farms and fields in the middle of the night, mm -hmm. seen shining lights, and you've received an anal probe. Is that correct? I did not receive it. I asked for it specifically. Mm -hmm. from, from, aliens. Mm -hmm. from aliens. And when you say aliens, you're talking about farm workers or actual <laughs> people from another galaxy? I was, I was kidnapped by Link from the Mod Squad and uh, taken to a distant planet on a run by superior life forms. 
and had my liver torn out and devoured repeatedly. You know, I, uh, I was going to do a joke about Link from the Mod Squad using a stool softener and saying solid, but we, we don't need to do that. Nobody knows. I wish you would have. Did you watch the Mod Squad as a... I did, yeah. Yeah. Your grandfather met Hitler. <laughs> no, your uncle met Hitler. Uncle. Yes, my uncle did, yes. Yeah. Do you watch and, and, war and, movies? And, I've been watching Hindenburg. All the time. Do you watch war movies on Turner Classic Movies? Mm. Like John Wayne movies? I've been watching them since Memorial Day. We, I, I don't think we've watched those uh, war movies as much as we've watched the newer versions of them, like Downfall. For some reason, Martha just loves watching Downfall over and over again. Yes. But it, you, you said to me it has such a sad ending. Yeah, they ruined that wonderful building. They could have uh, had a parkour course on that and everything, you know. And the the wedding, the marriage didn't last. That would be a great vacation wedding spot for many Americans. You go on a long cruise and then you end up there. In the bunker. Bunker with blood splattering on the walls. And Blondie. Who took care of Blondie? What was Deborah Harry doing? As Ava in the bunker. Pet? You should be ashamed of yourself for that reference in that question. Why would they call a German Shepherd Blondie? It's a good question. Maybe the German Shepherd was had some blonde hair. Maybe uh, Adolf died as German Shepherd Blonde. Maybe Adolf Hitler was colorblind because he didn't have blonde hair, and yet he said the, the perfect race has blonde hair and blue eyes. Maybe he looked at his German shepherd and thought the German shepherd was blonde, and maybe Adolf looked in the mirror and he saw a blonde-haired, blue-eyed king. Maybe, maybe Adolf was colorblind. Mm-hmm. You know, okay. you know, it was, uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, he preferred blondes. Yeah. How can you tell if a guard dog is a Nazi guard dog? How? He's always following odors. <laughs> <laughs> always following odors. This was fun. Thank you, Martha Previtt. Follow Martha Previtt on Twitter at Martha Previtt. Thank you, David. Thank Diplomatic you. Fury. And of course, Jim Earl, Jim Earl, 666. And we'll see you at Diabetic Fury. We'll get a date in a couple of hours to find out when exactly we're doing Diabetic Fury. It's time right now for the David Feldman Show. He's talking politics and comedy, too. He'll tell a dirty joke if you want him to. He's just a lefty from way back. He's a union man with an Emmy for writing. Someday he's mad and he feels like fighting. It's time right now 
for the David Feldman Show To get your ears on right, buckle in real tight He's got a lot to say and he's coming your way Thank you. Welcome back. You're listening to The David Feldman Show, davidfeldmanshow.com. And if you would like to join us in the Zoom room, go to David Feldman Show and hit attend a live taping, and I will send you an invitation. We have a very vigorous conversation going on all the time in our Zoom room, and you're welcome to join us as long as you're not an a-hole. And maybe we'll take some calls from the Zoom room from the people who have gathered after Mike Steinel. We have Professor Marianne Cummings coming up, and we also have Community Billboard. We have a community of people here at the David Feldman Show, and they do amazing, amazing things. Let's go to Dan Frankenberger, who makes it all happen. Hello, Dan Frankenberger. Hello, David. You are as pretentious a douchebag as I've ever seen. You've got the beret on, the Mershon pipe, the scarf. And what are you drinking today? Um, I'm drinking a Cabernet Sauvignon. And a scarf is really important in the summertime. That's how you keep the heat out. Exactly. Yeah. Another good thing to do is to turn the heat on. Oh, good. I'll try that next. I had a Taurus. And Taurus? A Taurus. And we used to go to Lake Arrowhead, and this car was terminally ill. And in order to go to Lake Arrowhead, you had to drive up the San Bernardino Mountains in the summer. And the way to prevent the engine from overheating, did you know how you prevent an engine from overheating? Yes, I do. You turn the heat on. You turn the heat on. <laughs> and boy, did my family love me. We had to turn the heat on in a... San Bernardino summer to get up the mountaintop. It was. I had one of those. I had yeah. one of those. I had to replace a transmission twice. Yeah. And I yeah. explained to the kids we could have a new car or daddy can have a mistress. What do you want? A new car or daddy to have a mistress? No, that's not true. I never, <laughs> ever cheated. I've been married six <laughs> times. I never cheated. Why do they call it cheating? Is it like a competition between a man and a woman to see who can go the longest without having sex? And you cheated. You had sex with somebody else. That's not fair. <laughs> you got some. <laughs> that's, not, that's from my act, by the way. I feel robbed. <laughs> I'm going through my act. What, what can I still do? Can I do that? I guess I could do that. Yeah, you could do that one. Hey, when do we do another Diabetic Fury? Um, we got it straightened out. It's going to be June 26th. June 26th. I'm going to ask Robert Smigel. Good. Yeah, we'll ask him to do it. 
good, good. Hopefully, good. hopefully he'll he'll say yes. Well, should we we have a Professor Marianne Cummings coming up, and then Professor Mike Steinell, and we have Community Billboard. Wasn't office hours and hours amazing? It was great. I didn't catch a lot of it uh, Saturday, but I was up until five in the morning Friday night slash Saturday, and even it's deep a, into the night, it was good. It's a pretty impressive. It's pretty impressive. There are these people like Pam, Professor Pamela. I don't know where she came from. And I'm going, I, these very interesting people. And, and what I like to do is get my iPad and listen in bed. And I go in and out of consciousness. It's, it's nice to be part of the community as opposed to being the object of ridicule, which the chat room has made me as long as you listen and keep your eyes closed yes be all right yeah it's good to, it's good to wake up at four or five in the morning and you can still hear conversations uh-huh. going on and it's it, all uh it's very interesting yeah my daughter's a part of it now and it's very comforting because it reminds me when i was a kid i my when my parents would have people over especially during the summer i would fall asleep to the sounds of oh. uh violence no, I'm just I, the sound of adults talking. And there's something comforting about hearing other people engage in conversation. I feel safe. That's what off, office hours makes me feel very safe. It's, and everybody it's and it's a safe zone. We have a new constitution that is going to be ratified. And we're going to send if you'd like a copy. of I didn't write it. It was written by some of the town elders of office hours. It's a beautiful document that lends itself to not just meetings, but car rides and personal relationships, how to talk to one another and treat each other with respect. So we have new community guidelines for office hours. If we can all learn to talk to each other properly, there's no limit to how far we can go, asshole. I keep telling cocksuckers like you this, but you don't listen because you're a fucking moron. I'm not talking to you, Dan. I'm just talk- talking. I was going to say, I was going to to the fucking community, community billboard, idiot. Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> you're 25 minutes behind the schedule. And did you see this? I t- at the top of the show, I showed you the thing with the grout on the wall and the, what's this called? Putty knife. A putty knife. And what's this called? Uh, it could be sp- Spackle, it could Spackle. be a compound, compound. I, I got on all fours. And then after the dominatrix left, I got the putty knife out and I covered up a couple mouse holes. These, the mice, when they get it in their heads that this is a restaurant, they will claw through the wall to, to get yeah. in here. They did it once. They can do it again. And and they they have some kind of oral tradition that they pass along to the baby mice because the mice that don't make it back to the nest before they left, they they tell the story of the veggie burger that was left out overnight and and generations know about it and they keep coming back here. But now that I've spackled the wall, I'm. They, t- they tell the tale of the crumbs in the oven from 17 years ago. From, yes, I think that's... <laughs> and they're still there. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure they are. Right? And this is 
This is what I was saying as my butt crack was fully exposed, uh, as I was bent down. I am not getting a cat. I am not. I've had 26 cats in my life. I am not getting another cat. I'm going to learn how to fill a hole. Uh, and by that, I'm that's a dip. OK, I'm not going to make a <laughs> well, you're a, uh, you're you're kind of a Tomcat Feldman now. I'm a Tomcat. Yes. You're talking, yeah. <laughs> we were talking about Tom and Jerry earlier. My favorite thing was always when he smashed his own hand with a hammer. And it got five feet long, but it's flat as a piece of paper. Hanna-Barbera at one time <laughs> were as good as Tex Avery. Their early stuff that they did for MGM. Beautiful animation. Beautiful, beautiful squash and stretch. And then they just decided to make money and... They made. They basically made radio shows with still pictures, like the Flintstones and the Jeffersons, Huckleberry Hound. Those are basically radio shows, and you would just stare at. Oh, really? I think so. They use Mel Blanc, who was from the Jack Benny Show. Have you ever listened to the Jack Benny Show? Mel no, Blanc. I'm just not familiar. So you've never listened to the Jack. It still holds up. Okay, let's talk about Community Billboard because we've got Professor Marianne. Coming up, okay. Professor, I sent you some pictures. A little yes, while you ago. did, and I loaded it up okay. for okay. those um, of you. Before the pictures, I have um, uh, Randall and Harrisburg wanted uh, one more announcement about the March on Harrisburg event. They're going to into direct action mode to confront uh, crooked lawmakers who refuse to call a vote on legislation that would ban legal bribery. So if you're able to attend in person or offer support from home, please visit giftban.org. Giftban.org. Yep. Invite Randall to come on the show. Okay. Okay. It is time for Dan Frankenberger's Community Billboard. Isn't that beautiful? Whoa. Yeah. Oh, I, I've made it. That. Now, is that, that is amazing. I like to show this before Professor Marianne comes on to get her competitive juices going. <laughs> that is amazing. <laughs> Well, this is from uh, Tom Weber from TomWeberArt.com, and I've got two pictures from him today. And this one is a farmer, and uh, he says it's just a profile of a farmer done by a uh, Faber-Castell pen and a brush pen. And these are for sale? Yep. TomWeberArt.com. TomWeberArt.com. And is he doing a show Wednesday night? Um, he is doing a show Tuesday night. With his wife, Barb. With his wife, Barb, at 8. And where is that going to be? Half hour shows on Tuesdays on their Facebook page. And you can find that it is uh, the name of their group on Facebook. It's called Singer Songwriters Fairweather. Fairweather. And uh, they occasionally do one on Saturdays for an hour and a half. And every Tuesday, it's Great. a half hour show. And what about spirituality and activism on Wednesday nights? That is on Wednesday nights, and that's from 8.30 to 10 o'clock. And you can uh, get the links for that, which they do on Zoom, and you can get the link for that on Discord. On Discord. So you would have to come to our Zoom. You would have to come to the office hours or come to a live taping to to get the invite. Right. That Seems like a securitous route to, to, to quality. It seems like if somebody was genuinely interested in something that would be entertaining as opposed to this, it seems like people should be able to access <laughs> Tom Weber without having to suffer through the show. Trolls. Yeah. Well, why would, you know, how do I, there's no other way you can sign up for Tom's show? 
Uh, not that I'm aware of as of yet. Okay. I'm not sure if they have a tw- Twitter page or anything yet. Seems like we have to do something. to. And what yeah. about Hammer and Sickle? It's the same situation as far as I'm aware. It's mostly Discord-based as far as... Uh, and you can only get into Discord if you sign up for either office hours or attend a live taping. Correct. Okay. So that's what you should do. Seems like there's a very high bar for entry into those... Right doesn't seem fair okay well what's this wow that's uh tom's other picture of the show of the show of this show we had two pictures first the farmer and this one is a scribbly sketch of an old man's face wow beautiful okay i can't imagine accomplishing that ah this is good this is i'm glad we're doing this near the end of the show because I am uh, getting hungry. Is this Glenn Costick? Yep. And what do we see here? Glenn Costick put up a post a couple days ago of a fruit salad, and this has mango, apricot, apple, blueberry, raspberry, and cherries. Don't like the composition, to be honest with you. I like the fruits, but I think the picture, I find the picture of the fruits unsatisfying. He needs to get a little more artistic. Yeah. I, I agree. Yeah. The presentation is a, a little off. Okay. Well, this next picture might be ah, better for you. Those strawberries are like a day away from having that white stuff around them that I love so much. That's why they're sweet. The moldy. I like the mold. <laughs> they look like they're a day away from, from being ripe enough to eat, correct? These locally grown strawberries are so good. That's what he says. But would you eat them now or would you wait a day? I'd eat half now and half tomorrow. But do you think they're ready? I don't think they're ready. They could use a couple of days. They could use a couple of days. You, you like to uh, brush them before you eat them? I like to brush their hair. <laughs> what do you mean brush them? What, what does brushing mean? Uh, the fuzz on them, the, the brushing, and the, or maybe you use a comb. I, I do a comb over. Of the fu- when you say fuzz, you're talking about mold? Yeah, the white stuff. The white stuff. I wash it off. Can it kill you? No, it's delicious. Do, are you, can you eat the, the white stuff? Yeah, I usually rinse it off, but I have on occasion not. It smells like Brussels sprouts in the morning. It's great. Yeah, I love the smell of Brussels sprouts with a side of sprouts. Brussels sprouts. <laughs> the dumbest vegetable ever invented. Is that it? No. Um, we have one more from uh, Joe Brinson. And then we no, no, that's one. Lane. Oh, yep. Is that Windsor Castle? This, let's see, he sent me a, a little... Because I know Lane is a big royalist. I know he loves the monarchy. So this is probably Windsor Castle. I, I, I could imagine Lane this sitting all Dur- day. Durham Cathedral. So from our lane in, uh, from our friend Lane in the seaside town of Seam in England, this is Durham Cathedral from Framwellgate Bridge. And he did this painting from a photo he took one autumn afternoon after a rainstorm. Are you getting sick of all these talented people? Uh, it's a little discouraging because I yeah. can't do that, but it's interesting and fun nonetheless. Yeah, I, I have... Well, I don't have to tell my listeners that I have no talent. <laughs> and sometimes I find myself doodling and I just throw it away. Yeah. 
hey, Ugh. hey, people are people are coming back. People, if, you know, this it's Joseph Brinton, people are being more social. If you're in America, if you live in some states, COVID, people are fully vaccinated. Guys, if you can't get laid now, you're probably me. Nevertheless, you want to have sex with somebody. You need to give them jewelry before you have sex, during sex and after sex. That's the only way you can have sex is by showering your partner or partners. I don't judge with jewelry. Go to Joseph Brinton Jewelry dot com and take a look at this genius. This is, you know, I'm thinking of buying myself jewelry. I, I, oh. I, I I'm thinking of treating myself to uh, some porn and then after buying myself some jewelry to, <laughs> as a self-care uh, buying. Can you imagine if I actually had to do commercials? Would I have any sponsors? Well, you're good at buttering yourself up, apparently. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you buy jewelry for your significant other? Uh, the wife doesn't like jewelry. What about it's your insignificant easy. other? Do you, you don't have an insignificant yeah. other? Doesn't deserve it. You, you're not. You're like me. <laughs> you're like me. I could never. Yeah. I. I don't believe in the heat of passion. I think that's for a whole other conversation. So that's community billboard. Thank you, Dan Frankenberger in the newsroom. If you have anything you want to send to the community billboard, send it to dentfeldman at gmail.com. Go to dentfeldman at gmail.com. And it's Dent Feldman because I have a dent in my head. A big, huge dent in your head. I think Liam McEnany is back for Friday's show. I think he's coming back. I'm very excited about this. I'm glad to hear it. Let us now go to Aurora, Illinois. I hope she's here. We kept, we're 20 minutes. I'm sorry. Hello. Landslide is here. She is the Parks Commission. You don't mind if I call you Landslide, do you? Not at all. You won. You were reelected this year as Parks Commissioner for Aurora, Illinois. And it was a landslide. You're also a physicist and... I wanted to ask you about the For the People Act. This is the bug I have up my uh, you-know-what. Okay. What do you think? What, 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 I, I, I guess I'm, I'm not as excited about other people about For the People Act. There's a few things that kind of bothered me about the act, and, 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 you know, but the, those are just minor technical details. The problem is, is that even if you pass it and even if you get rid of the filibuster, you still have Joe Manchin. You still have the Democrats not willing to push important legislation through, which they could push through now by reconciliation. So, you know, what you're going to do is you're just going to empower some of the some of the blue dog Dems to just, you know, be the opposition within the party. Unless you have some political will coming from the top. And, you know, I'm I'm also getting a little tired by people going on and on about how Manchin is thwarting the Biden agenda, whatever the Biden agenda. He's not thwarting the Biden agenda at all. 
There is nothing that that mansion is doing that is displeasing to either the Democratic leadership or the Biden White House. You know, they, they, Biden, I mean, the priorities are their donors, and Biden, Biden promised they're his donors that for them, nothing would fundamentally change. So, you know, I, I just can't get too excited about all these things. It's the reason why some of us are focusing on the people who call themselves progressives in the House is that they are in a position to finally do something. What some of us have spent years and years on protests and political activism, all this, they're, they're actually in a position of power. And whether or not you really want to use this power or you feel you're you know, uh, not capable of effectively wielding it, the reality is you have power, and it offends me that they're effectively telling us that they have no power to do things yeah. when they have power to do things. And, uh, you know, even Ilan Omar's late, as I, I'm repeating myself, but right before Christmas, she said it only takes five brave progressives to set policy in the House. Well, what's changed? What, what got her mind right? Today I was reading, I, I follow... Uh, Pamela Jayapal, who I like, but she's also like irritating me more and more these days. Pramila. Was a th- Pramila. Yeah. Uh, Pramila is a Jayapal. Yeah. And I'm probably mispronouncing it even so. But, uh, you know, she's just telling her followers that, uh, well, for us to bring Medicare for all to a vote would to effectively end the, <laughs> the campaign for Medicare for all. And I'm going, how? How could that possibly be fighting for something? You're going to lose. As somebody, I mean, she got seriously ratioed on her credit. But, uh, okay, something's going wrong with my, my speaker here. I'm sorry. No, you're, you're okay. Okay. I, I kind of, um, I, I think if you don't really care about Medicare for all, I do. I think it's okay. the most important issue of our time, along with climate change. If you don't care about Medicare for all, you think, well, it's only got one chance and then we're never coming back to it. Yeah. Yeah. But and you if, want- if you care, as someone at one of her, as I said, she her own followers, I mean, a lot of her own fans were kind of pushing back on her on her thread. She's getting seriously racist there for a while because they said, look, you know, the national health care system in England took 20 votes for them to pass it. So we, we need to get to it. You know, right. This is going to be passing fast in our lifetimes. You need to get to it. Now, ratio, and, that's know, a Twitter term, right? Ratio is a Twitter term. It used to mean that uh, it meant originally that you got more comments than likes. But it also means if some of the top comments in your thread got more likes than your original posts, that's also being ratioed. I mean, in I other see. words, uh, the people are responding, are pushing back on you. And uh, so I, I don't know if they've just got DC brain or, you know, they're surrounded by people. They probably like personally Nancy Pelosi or whoever. I don't know these people personally. Uh, they hear from them. They don't hear from us. So it, it's a serious mistake. It's a, uh, it's a strategic mistake if that's what you want. But we had a discussion earlier on in the chat about careerism, you know, that, um, Careerism is a bigger bane for leftists, you know, like the people who were the like the the, the uh, 
progressives in media now are angling for MSNBC jobs that are towing the line. Same thing. Once you get into politics and you have that job and you see you're close to power and you're close to where things are happen, happening, you don't want to go back to your bird like in Aurora, Illinois, <laughs> just occasionally wave at the mayor. You want to be with what's, you know, where the happening is. It's very addictive. I get it. But I can't remember if it was John Muir or one of the early, uh, I think it was the founder, one of the early founders of, of Sierra Club was warning people three generations ago not to go to Washington in the beginning of the last century. Don't go to Washington because the people will start becoming friends with the people who are lobbying against preserving nature. You'll start knowing their kids. You'll start pulling your punches. It's, it's harder to go to war with them. And you know, I always I say don't they, they always say don't meet your heroes. I always say don't meet your enemies. I know that if I met Trump, Cheney, certainly George W. Bush, I would go, well, you know, it's complicated. I had that same look. When I was still a graduate student, we were all invited down to Washington, D.C., because uh, it was the final selection of the what was going to be the superconducting super collider. And my site, my first, my first term in graduate school was to have a little team of geology students moving a big circle around the state of Michigan and, you know, doing all the, oh, love it. I spent a lot of time in these really cool math rooms at the, uh, in the, geo, uh, uh, the Geographical Society in Michigan, Michigan uh, East Lansing. But they chose our site. So I'm sitting there and I was stunned in this the cocktail party that there were real senators. And Phil Graham was speaking in our group. And I'm, it's going through my head. I don't know if you want to bleep this out or not, but I'm going. Hang on, let me get my know. bleeper. Hang on for one second. I have a bleeper. Okay. Phil Graham, the senator from Florida. Is that correct? <laughs> yeah, from the Senate. He was, uh, he, he was uh, Texas. And he oh, was, oh like, he overturned Glass-Steagall. Yes. That's right. Yes. One of the guys. Uh, it was Graham Bly Leachley, Leach. Bly right. Leach, if I were the three names. But anyway. Right. He's sitting there. I'm laughing my ass off. He's going on drawling about, I'm going, we're going to generate more quarks than seen in the rest of the universe. Oh, my God. It was hilarious. I'm laughing. And they're thinking in the back of my mind, for the good of humanity, I should be thinking about how to like off this guy, like right now. Right. But, you know, he's like utterly charming in person. And, and he's an like, economist. He was an economist, right? Supposedly he was brilliant. I, I don't remember. All these, a lot of these guys are smart. They can hack dumb. They can, you know, they, hey, look, uh, earlier, a couple of years ago, uh, you know, our, our secretary of energy was Rick Perry. Yes. <laughs> he comes to Fermilab and our director did his job. He became his best buddy and he's leading all around. And he was speaking to a bunch of us, an auditorium full of scientists and engineers. So he must have like been thinking, well, I'm here with all these smarty pants. But he got up and spoke. First of all, he actually liked Fermilab. Most people do. Most people who have no conception of a national laboratory, they come to Fermilab. They love it. Um, wildlife preserve, cultural center, everything else. So, but he was actually funny. He says, well, you guys ask me anything you want about anything. Neutrinos, the universe. And I'll turn to my good friend, Nigel, our director. And then he'll pick out somebody in the audience who actually knows something. And there was a beat and everybody started laughing. I'm going, you know, 
for being a total idiot, this guy is really smooth in front of a crowd. That's why these guys get to the positions they get in. I mean, it's just... They know their um, limitations, and the people who want them in power also know their limitations, so yeah, they're susceptible they, to influence. And they don't care. They're useful idiots. That's... So, uh, anyway, so, that, that's that. So that's my... But getting back to, um, you know, the... I, I guess I'm just not as, as uh, excited about this We the People Act, you know, for the People Act as other people are because we're still left with all the, even if the Democrats get voted in, we're still left with the Democratic Party as it is, as it persists in being despite electing quote unquote better Democrats. I mean, there but has don't to be you think something. the Democratic Party would change if we got rid of dark money? I think everything would change if we got rid of dark money. We'd still have money. Yeah. But, but you know, um, the... Which they don't want. They don't want money to leave politics. Nobody, nobody wants money to leave. Well, and I think it's not just the money. It's the fact that, you know, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer would not even have careers if it weren't for the money. Now, what is Nancy Pelosi's big skill? She raises money. She had, when she was married and first married and they moved to San Francisco from Baltimore, where her father had been the, had May- been the mayor. mayor yeah. And Steny Hoyer, I think, had been a head of city council. Oh, really? Yeah. He's from, oh, he's from oh, Maryland. That's interesting. So, I wonder if they have the same uh, dark benefactor. So uh, anyway, she goes out there and she starts getting involved politically because she has the biggest house because her, her husband's got money. And so she has fundraisers at her house and she brags about it. I mean, there were, there was a, a our special on MSNBC years ago, Nika Brzezinski, utterly, you know, just straight up, non-ironic, just, you know, uh, a, a very a soft softball look at documentary on the rise of Nancy Pelosi, and Mika admired that. She's just this formidable fundraiser. That's what they were telling us all about uh, Rod Blagojevich 12 years ago here in the state, where we had to all support Rod Blagojevich because he's really good at raising money. Yeah, and if all good. you do is raise money and disperse money, you can buy your fellow Democrats, but you really can't do anything. That's, you know, Chuck Schumer. they don't want to do anything. Right. As I said, what makes you think that Joe Manchin is actually displeasing Dem leadership? He's not, because you would know about it. Because the Dems, as we saw when they all consolidated against Bernie Sanders right before Super Tuesday, the, the Democratic Party can consolidate and really mobilize when it wants can strong arm and get on the phone and threaten and, you know, and bribe and whatever they can, they can get it done if they want to get it. Yes. I was thinking about, I was thinking about this. Uh, Lyndon Johnson had money. That's why he became a majority leader in the Senate. I think the guy's name was Coke. I think he had a a benefactor named Coke in Texas. I'm sorry. As in the Koch brothers? A different Koch, I think. It was somebody. But he he had money and he spread it around. And then he became Senate Majority Leader and was very effective. He would strong arm bills. Uh, But you look at the Democratic Party now. They don't play hardball 
against each other. It's very collegial, but they're willing to go into the gutter, you know, like with Kavanaugh, uh, who should not, he's a rapist, you know, he should not be on the Supreme Court. It was ballsy to bring Blasey Ford up, and it was also questionable. It would be nice to defeat him on his jurisprudence and not on well, a rape allegation. That. I'm sorry? You remember that whole thing. Uh, the girl senators on the Republican side, Murkowski and, and Collins, were making, you know, they were making signals that they were willing to vote against it. But when Joe Manchin voted for him, that gave them cover. Now, Lisa Murkowski ended up voting against him, but it didn't matter because, and, and, uh, and Susan Collins ended up voting for him. It also didn't matter. It was, you know, how, how hard they were being pushed in their individual states. But, you know, Joe Manchin enabled that to go through. If Joe Manchin had voted against him, then that would have put Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski on the spot with their female with, with some of their female supporters. So, yeah, and there were I mean, other there were other women who somehow didn't end up in front of the committee. There were other uh, women who had stuff on Clarence Thomas. Biden sent well, them. Biden home. saw to it that. Yeah. Uh, that Anita Hill was just there left twisting in the wind herself. Now, she was a very skillful, smart lawyer. So when you see it, you can just see her very slowly but methodically tiptoeing around a landmine of, you know, of, of political endangerment. And there was a reason why she laid low for many years, and that was Joe Biden. That, that was Joe Biden. And uh, I don't think... It's a surprise to anybody in the Zoom room that, uh, you know, uh, Tara Reid has more confirmation about her allegations against Biden than right. did Biden. Now, Biden, but, didn't Biden call Anita Hill to apologize? And she said, I'm not voting for you. But then she voted for him in the general, as I understand yeah, i mean that yeah and this we're talking like almost 30 years after the fact right, right? so first, uh, you know we complain about the democrats mm-hmm. and i always say well okay it's a year and a half before the midterms if we're going to crap on schumer pelosi and biden you know what what good are we But then I think, I don't know who I was talking to, maybe it was Professor Hussein, when it occurred to me, if Biden really wanted the For the People Act or an infrastructure bill, he would debate his own party. He would say, you know, you're you're from the Senate, Joe Manchin. Let's have, you know, a collegial debate. We'll go on Fox or CNN. Let's go three hours and debate this thing. Try to convince me I'm wrong. That's fighting for a piece of legislation. Al Gore debated Ross Perot on Larry King over NAFTA. Unfortunately, he won. We're not seeing any of that. We don't see the Democratic politicians, Schumer or anybody in the Senate or anybody in the Biden administration, taking it to the people to a full throated fight for this legislation. 
but they don't want it. That's I think I you're am. right. I think you're right. I think they're weak. I think they're cowards. I think they're compromised. I don't think they can string sentences together. Certainly Joe Biden can't. Well, you know, it was like, who was that uh, famous uh, Republican uh, political consultant that said that we don't want a president who thinks. We want a president with enough functioning digits to sign his name to the legislation we want. Right. But anyway, that's just, you know. We, so we, we so in, 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 you know, I get pissed off at Jim Earl and a little with you sometimes because you're so disapproving of the Democratic Party. I agree with you, but they're they're not fighting for us, and they they surrender. They they're, they're surrendering to Mansion. They're surrendering to their own side. They're getting f- f- fragged. Is that what it's called when your own side shoots you from? Yeah, well, friendly fire. Friendly yeah. fire. They're, they're, you know, Biden's getting fragged, and he's not fighting back. Well, you know, as I said, they are kind of on the same team. If you have largely the same donors, you know, your priorities are the same. But, you know, I'll give a little counterexample to all this. You know, there's some good news. Uh, Well, good news if you are for the poor and for economic populism. It appears that uh, Peru will have a new president. And it won't be Fujimoro. It will not be Fujimori. No. Fujimori. No, it will not. It, which means, I guess, she has to go to Trump. You know, she is. Uh, she's been indicted uh, on corruption charges and laundering like seventeen million dollars worth of uh, campaign contributions. I don't know how that how much that is in pesos, but uh, so she can join her father in prison. Well, the thing is, is that if she had been, if she. We don't. This is the preliminary results, but but uh, he's widened the lead. It's now the last time I checked, one hundred and twenty-two thousand. He's leading by, ahead by one hundred and twenty-two thousand votes, and that's been widening as both the uh, overseas uh, ballots and the ballots from the southern rural areas are coming yeah. in. And he's overwhelming. So it's a very much a north-south divide. And he's very left, closer. right? He's he's very. He's, He's very left on the economic populist issues, but both of the candidates are rather yeah, socially conservative. It's a very heavily Catholic country. Uh, I was there back uh, in 19, midnight, 1986. I went with my the yoga group that was at <laughs> yoga groups at University of Michigan for the festival of the Interami that they had transplanted from India to Machu Picchu, and it was held every. 12 years in Machu Picchu. And that was an interesting time. Uh, Alan Garcia had just gotten elected. Uh, They had this horrible thing happen in a prison, uh, political prisoners where the generals just rounded up. There was a prison riot. The general in charge just rounded up all the prisoners who were not unarmed, and they just gunned them all down in the gymnasium there. And Alan Garcia, back when he he had principles, um, he uh, he got up on national radio and said, and I could sort of understand some Spanish. He says, "You guys have shamed Peru in front of the world." So we're down there. We we were in Lima, then we were in Cusco, where Machu Picchu is. And after we had been there and we're leaving toward this great train ride down to Puno, 
uh, we heard another explosion, but we didn't think anything of it because we'd heard explosions and fireworks all week long. It was the festival of winter. It, it coincided with their solstice fe- festivals. So there was all kinds of bizarre, I mean, I, I, can't admit, I had to admit, there are all kinds of parades, and the school children there were so goddamn creative. They had a float. I remember this float, USA, with a bunch of bombs, and then a bunch of Hare Krishna people. That, I mean, they were just, it was like wild. So we didn't think anything of this, this, what sounded like a big explosion or firework going off. Turned out, as our train was pulling south, turned out that was the train that got blown up by the Shining Path. Really? That, that was the passenger. I believe one American was on that, that got killed on that train. And that was the Shining Path was the Maoist guerrillas. And yeah, the, the Shining Path Maoist. Yeah. Uh, I was down there. So Is, did we Tupac Shakur, actually did Tupac get that, his name from them? Huh? Didn't Tupac Shakur get his name from the Shining Path? I don't know. I think so. Tupac's history all that well. But I think so. I later, I mean, we had gone down south to 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 Pono, and we actually went to a town square with representatives of the Shining Path there. And just, it, and I mean, I have these vivid memories, but I was kind of like starving to death because I got a bug and basically couldn't adjust anything for about a week. So I lost a lot of weight, but uh, it was kind of a hyper awareness type of you know thing going on and uh i later asked a gal who looked american who was in one of the restaurants she turned out to have been working to to be working for the uh ford foundation and she said the shining path well because i said oh what's up with these shining path and she said well you know the university's opened to the indigenous people so a lot of there's a whole generation of uh the incans you know the descendants of the, the native americans there who went to college, got college degrees, and then found out, found out they couldn't get jobs because the four major utilities, which is the mining, the electric, and you know, the, so on, the water, and so on, would not hire them. So a lot of these high, very well-educated but still poor people were attracted to this one professor in particular, and I can't remember his name. By so the way, prof- a- Professor Ann Lee, who knows everything in the chat yeah. rooms, it's too... Uh, the name Tupac comes from Tupac Amaru, who was the right. last king of the uh, the Incas, oh, which, okay. which was in Peru. I, anyway, I thought the, some leader of the Shining Path had... Well, I think they're not Marxists so much as they were Maoists. And Maoists always struck me as kind of a weird hybrid. But then, you know, more and more educated persons in the chat room than myself could comment on that, I'm sure. But. Right. Professor Ed. But anyway, um, this guy, the Pedro Castillo, was a teacher. He led a, a nationwide teacher strike where millions of kids couldn't go to school because he's, and he successfully, they stood up to the government at the time that threatened to fire all of them. And, uh, but he was also, because he was from the district of Puno, uh, where Puno is, which is a very southern, it's right next to Lake Titicaca. Is very what the southernmost tip of, of uh, Peru. He was fighting with the locals. He had uh, helped local militias fight off the Shining Path. Up there. I, I, I heard the gunfire when I was in uh, at Lake Titicaca. In Excuse me. I, I could. I heard the gunfire it, from it, the militias fighting the Shining Path. It, was what was there. the name of the What was the name of the lake? Uh, what was it Lake? T- 
Did you say Lake City? I'm, I have a bleep now. You said Lake City Kaka. Oops. At 14,500 feet, by, by the way, highest lake in the world. Do they know that Lake Titicaca, oh, missed it again, is funny? Well, they do now. Do you know that there's a Dingleberry Lake in California? Look it up. Oh, I'm sure there is. Look it up. I, I wonder if Professor Anna Lee knows that. Lake Dingleberry. Yeah, so there. Yeah, I wonder. Let me see if, anyway, so that's how... That so anyway, that was a wild time. And uh, so this guy, but my point is, is that this guy came from relatively nowhere. Plus, he has mobilized all of these very poor people, because I think Peru is like the worst. Peru and Bolivia have like the worst, you know, sort of income inequality gaps in, in all in Latin America. And uh, so it'll be interesting. Now, neither he nor his opponent, I mean, they're very socially conservative. They are not for gay rights or abortion rights or anything, but they're very, both claim to be nationalists, although Pedro Castillo has a greater claim to it. So uh, I don't know, it will be interesting. I, I, I do think that the social issues are all helped when people are lifted out of poverty. When you're lifted out of poverty, you have time and energy to start thinking about, you know, other people, the spotted owl, you know, things like that, global warming. So uh, it's going to be an interesting time because they're, 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 uh, their Congress is absolutely uncooperative. But they don't, but nobody has a uh, majority there either. So that's going to be a big fight. Interesting. May I just follow up on Dingleberry Lake for a second? Oh, of course. I apologize. Go to Wikipedia and look up Dingleberry Lake. They, it's not like an, it's not like Intercourse, Pennsylvania, where they didn't know they were coming, or Titicaca, Dingleberry Lake, or Climax, Michigan, or Climax, Michigan. Uh, it, it's actually they knew what they were doing when they named it Dingleberry Lake. I didn't know that. I just looked it up. It's a real lake, and they, they did it as a joke. Um, they knew what they were doing. Well, yeah. So just, to, just you know, I want to, I always like to end, as you know, on a very positive note. So change is possible. I think not just only because he is a, a populist, but he was a very unlikely person to lead a national movement. And so, you know, you can't get too cynical about, you can be cynical about people, but being cynical about ideas is, doesn't, get you anywhere, you can change things dramatically if you just don't accept the premises of the people who are telling you that nothing can change. So, yeah. you know. Before you go, let me tell you about Alexandro Giamatti. On January 14th, 2020, he became president of Guatemala. He is against same-sex marriage and abortion, supports the military uh, for civilian security, using the military as police. And he became president in 2020. By November 2020, things went bad. Uh, nobody liked his budget because he privatized most of the infrastructure. He gave up on the fight against poverty and he gave up on child malnutrition. And half of all Guatemalan kids under the age of five suffer from malnutrition. Our vice president, Harris, made her first foreign trip today. And the very first place she went 
was Guatemala. And she met with the president. She sat down with Alexander, what's his name? Alexandro Giamate. And she had a message for all the Guatemalans, because as you know, our vice president is in charge of the border crisis. And, and so she, yes. And so she had a message for all the Guatemalans thinking of coming to America. And that message is don't. I know. Don't come. That's so much for send us your poor, your huddled, uh, you know, your masses yearning to be free or whatever that. Yeah, don't well, come. you know, forget about Guatemala. I mean, our own president has publicly stated that uh, governors, governors are within their right to end the unemployment, the extended unemployment benefits from COVID. And, and all the Democratic, all the Republican controlled states are getting rid of that extra $300. And uh, Biden says, hey, they've got a right to do that. So, yeah, you know, well, I love it's all going, you know, all of these things are all going well for them. You know, they they kind of this is the kind of foreign policy they like. And I'm sure if this guy, Pedro Castillo, succeeds in any respect, um, he'll be taken out. Guy's a gutsy man. Yeah. Well, Professor Marianne Cummings, we'll, we'll see you Thursday for the professors yeah. and Marianne. Good. Professor we need Mar- to talk to John. We, we, we really should have John, you know. I've missed office hours because a big do in, uh, in downtown Aurora that night and the big art thing the next day. Except I was there at the tail end where you cut us off after like 30 hours. I cut you <laughs> off? Well, somebody, it says, it, it said meeting ended by the host. I think Lane was in the middle of It's Lane's fault. I blame the Brits for everything. It had to be Lane's fault. But we went about 30 hours, yeah. Well, anyway, you know, uh, yeah, I'd like to... I'd like to hear John maybe. Yeah, uh, well, I'll I'll see if he's available to come on like a half hour early to talk about it. It was really interesting. Very interesting. Professor Marianne Cummings is a physicist and she is also parks commissioner for Aurora, Illinois. And she joined us today from Aurora, Illinois. Thank you, Professor. Hang on. What did I hit wrong? You're listening to the David show. I'm just going to bleep everybody today. Yeah, uh, our, our vice president, Harris, is in charge of border security, the, the border crisis. And she tells the people of Guatemala, don't come. That's uh, what she tell. That's her first trip to Guatemala is don't come to America. Uh, and you got to hand it to her. She she went. You know, she's in charge of the border crisis. She went to the source of the crisis. And apparently the the source of the crisis is Guatemalans coming to America. That's why Guatemalans are coming to America. It's because they're coming to America. It's because nobody said don't come. This is this is the height of deep thinking and understanding. You know, I silly me. I thought the Guatemalans were coming here because of the death squads, the uh, the gangs, child malnutrition in Guatemala. But apparently, you know, because I'm not as smart as Vice President Harris, apparently Guatemalans are coming to America because nobody ever said to them, don't. It's that simple. Thank you.
Vice President Harris for for finding and addressing the root of the immigration crisis at the border. Somebody, and you did it, Vice President Harris, you told the refugees that they don't come. It's that simple. Don't come. Thank you. Well, let's go to Denton, Denton, Texas, where the brilliant professor Mike Steinell is standing by. How are you, what sir? A I, crowd. What I, pl- a crowd. I, I played Something Died in My Garage. I heard it. They I monitor the show. I Somebody has to listen to this. I, I <laughs> got something, line. but I know what it is. <laughs> I know what it is. It's, hey, um, and I can smell you, it. Yes, I got you your my, new song. Yes, I do have it. I hear an echo, but it's not me, I don't think. You really, 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 really? I don't. Do you yeah, hear an I'm echo? Hearing, oh, it's. I'm in the other room. Hang on a second. He's in the. You're listening to the David Feldman Show, davidfeldmanshow.com. Friend me on whatever. And tell your friends about this show. Share it. Copy the link and, and share it. There are. Did you get my new song? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. I'll be ready to play it. You want me to play it right now? I think we should, and then we can talk. Okay. This is new music from Professor Mike Steinel. By the way, people always write in, who, who's performing I'm On My Way? You. That's all me. Yeah, I, I can't but afford I, it. I can't, I can't afford to uh, hire people. I work for you. Yes, you do. <laughs> and, but uh, that's, I play it, I love I'm on my way. And a couple of people said, Who, I said, don't you listen to the show? I say that's Professor Mike Steinell. Yeah, singing that's okay. I'm on, and you wrote that. I wrote all of these. He's David. on his way. Bezos is going into outer space. Did you know that? Yeah, it's good. That's good. Good okay. place for him. Okay, new music. From yeah, Professor, play, this, play that, play Professor this Mike Steinel. Attention, music lovers everywhere! Felstein Records presents the collection you've been waiting for, or maybe not. Twenty-five of Mike Steinel's silly, ill-conceived, and poorly produced songs for the David Feldman Show are now available on Felstein Records. All the hits that were never hits are here, including the love songs. The Harvey J.K. Harvey J.K. He's got a lot to say. The Howie Klein theme. Everybody welcome, Howie Klein. We got him right here, he's on the line. Howie Klein. The Mark Breslin theme. Cancel. Mark Breslin, he's the man. Mark Breslin lives in Canada. The COVID Town Squares. Ladies and gents, put on your best hair. Everybody who's anybody is going to be there. The COVID Town Squares are coming your way. And the song that we're all tired of hearing, the David Feldman Show theme. It's time right now for the David Feldman Show. He's talking politics and comedy too. But wait, there's more. Songs about politics, like filibuster blues. I'm just a filibuster. I've been here a while. Oh, my, my. 
Oh my my, so many signs. I'm 300 miles behind enemy lines. I'm blending Mr. Cruz, now we knew all along that it was you, Mr. Cruz. And the pro-union anthem, No Evil Blues. I got to know evil blues from my head to my shoes. I've had it all day and it won't go away don't forget everyone's favorite about income inequality. I'm on my way. I'm on my way to be a billionaire. Now you can make fun of me, but I don't really... Songs of the crazy digital world we're in, like Non-Fungible Token. I'm a non-fungible token sitting on my rear. Ain't worth much now, but wait till next year. The crypto asset song. Bitcoin. Bitcoin. Ethereum. Ethereum. Amazon Hell Part One. Got me caught in a bind. I'm going kind of crazy. I'm losing my mind. I got books to publish. I got songs to sell, but I'm stuck in the middle of Amazon Hell. And Amazon Hell Part 2 with the amazing Rosanna Eckert. Egghead Software. Book pages. Need some traditional songs? We got those too. Scarborough Fair. collection can be complete without songs that make fun of David. Hard times in the city. Hard times in the city. My hair plugs ain't pretty. The Feldman CV song. I pumped gas in Sausalito. I sold a fat man a burrito. Feldman's Crawl Space Blues. Get yourself a podcast. Man on TV, he's sick of your job. He wants ten more jokes and he only got five. All right. And they pod you. How much longer can this really last? Seems like everybody has a pod. Who could possibly forget you like him? He's groovy, like a movie that you watched one time when you were kind of high. But now you can remember exactly why you... Hey, wait a minute. Where are the songs about the former guy? Well, we got them. Merchant of Chaos. I'm the Merchant of Chaos. Where's my Roy Cone? I'm the merchant of chaos. Where's my Roy Cone? I got Discord to sew, lights to pedal. I 
spent all day on Twitter. I got scores to send. Dextromethasone blues. I got aggression, agitation, irritability, and anxiety, depression, and nervousness, and changes to my mood. Got trouble thinking, got trouble speaking. My vision is blurred, and I'm eating too much food. Where's my dextromethasone? Get my doctor on the phone. I haven't felt this good in 20 years. You asked, do any of these songs address really serious topics? Well, of course they do. Like, something died in my garage. Something died in my garage. Yes, indeed. Something died in my garage. I don't know what it could be. It's a mystery to me. It might be a possum, it might be a raccoon, it might be my crazy neighbor who plays the bassoon, something that Act now, call 1-800-FELDO-BLOWS, operators are standing by, they may not answer. The first 15 callers will get a bonus copy of Hey, Mr. Bezos, the song that will never be played again on the Feldman Show. If ordering by mail is not for you, just bring $100 in unmarked 20s to the alley behind the McDonald's on University Avenue in Denton, Texas. Look for the man with the black hoodie telling Veldo sent you. That is that is mind-boggling. That is absolutely mind-boggling. This show is like riding a mechanical bull <laughs> because my ass hurts at the end of it. Uh, so I, no, it, I, I get I, to get this show up and running. It, I don't think about the. I never look back. I, I don't show. I can't believe how many songs you've written. I, I can't believe you know, I, I. The only way I can do this show is thinking, what's next? What's next? Yeah, I, how many yeah. songs have you written? I think that's 25. That's incredible. That I mean, they're masterpieces. Before. Well, David, I took a couple of liberties. Yeah. First of all, I formed a company. Good. Without your permission, Feldstein Records. Is Love that okay? it. And I get publishing rights on all your songs, right? Yes, it's 50-50, 50-50, right, 50, down, the, right 50, down the middle. No, no, no. 50-50-50. 50 for me, <laughs> 50 for my LLC, and then you get the other 50 when everybody... Go ahead. Feldstein Records, yes. Yes, and then I thought that I I was kind of impressed with what I'd done in the last 14 months, and so... It's amazing. I gave myself an award. Yeah. I gave myself um, a Lifetime Achievement Award. Because <laughs> <laughs> it feels like I've been through a lifetime. <laughs> Can you see it? Yeah, it's great. That, that should go and up. I, I even have a... I, I gave my... I, I made a medallion... Like they do. I watched the Kennedy Center's uh -huh. honors and I thought, hey, those are cool. So I got myself a little. Wow. Can we see those? Yeah. <laughs> 
Let me read it for the people on the Yes, please, podcast. please. It says, uh, the David Feldman Show Lifetime Achievement Award presented to Mike Steinell, awarded by Feldstein Records. Feldstein Records, yes. We're, Feldstein we're, Records, you like that? Well, well, what about putting out a CD? I could do it. We could do it, yeah. I may have to go back on that 50-50 stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I, would, I wouldn't. Uh, no, yeah, but I'll just put, we can put it on CD Baby and let yeah. people if they want to buy it, yeah. That's a great idea. You know, uh, it's That's a lot. Of, how many songs? I think it's 25, David. Th by the way, thank you. <laughs> but thank you for, for doing it. They're all, they're all amazing. They're just. You remember the first one I did was a Scarborough Fair, and I was kind of like shy about singing, you know, because I'm not a singer. Um, yes, you I do are. it with my Dylan band, but you know, and then, then I think I did um, a couple of the. We might have a problem with the Padia and uh, Mr. Bezos. Crawl Space Blues. They're pretty close to Dylan, but yeah. you know what? I read that um, parodies are fair use. If you do a parody of a song for hu humor, uh, for funny. Uh, that's that's humor. That would be funny stuff, I guess. Uh, it's uh, it's it's okay. It's fair use. I don't know. So that, I don't know. I've been told. Yeah. I've been told two versions of this. I was told that comedians who did song parodies could never get on network television because of ASCAP fees. But then I was told if it's parody, it's fair use. But I well, do know that we do get dinged. We do get. Dinged from Mr. Bezos. Yeah, only. Uh, now there was something else. That we my got. song. Yeah, we got dinged Remember. twice. Two Dylan. Yeah, my songs. Yeah, two Dylan songs. That Did we get dinged for? You never told me about the second Dylan song. Yeah. But everything else is everything else is, uh, you know, like it's just my stuff, you know. And I have yeah. been working on "I'm a Pig for Love," but I don't <laughs> kind of understand. I don't understand like the message. Until I, you know, until I really can absorb yeah. the message, I can't get the juices going. Well, I mean, and I, I, I would, I would never insult you by telling you how to write a song, uh, <laughs> but I will insult you on how to, how to write lyrics. No, I, I always think "Pick for Love" is a is a guy who thinks he's writing a positive song about himself that he he just. He's a pig for love. He, he just can't get enough love. And he thinks I have a little start on one if you want to hear it. Sure. Let me get the headphones on here going, right? Can you hear that? It's beautiful. Brian kind of Ferry. For love. Oh, I got to put a lot of reverb on this. Okay. Hey, hey. Yeah, very 70s. For love, I'm a pig. <laughs> my putty knife is big. I can't do it. The second line was going to be my putty knife is big. <laughs> Let me hear it. It's beautiful. Okay. Don't get me laughing. For love, I'm a pig. My putty knife is big. My pants are on right. I'd rather love than fight. Anyway, you get the idea. That's beautiful. 
Yeah. You're a pig for I, love. I listen to the show. I, I want that. I want <laughs> pig. Give me. Give me. Give me. I want what I want when I want it's it. Give me. I love that. Style. I know. my style. But just make it bad. Well, first of all, it sounds beautiful. It's not your style. Maybe Rosanna Eckert could sing pig for love. She doesn't sound a bit like Brian Ferry. That's I not, I mean, it doesn't need I, to be a Brian Ferry song. Make it. Well, use the slave for love. I, I mean, you kind of wanted that flavor, right? Uh, the flavor. But, I, you know, make it, you know, like Sinatra. Remember something? The way he took it. You know would make a good, really good thing. I can't wait till <laughs> um, um, Aaron Berg gets back and he does, he does, goes back in time and has you buying the putty knife from the spackle <laughs> at the Ace Hardware. I, I have to say that going to, it, 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 I didn't I go to Ace, I, Home Depot, got the, the putty knife. And That's what, a kind what, of small one. Mine's bigger. You got a big one. But these are mouse holes, mice holes. You know, we're, we're working small here. With, But I yeah. have to say, I called my mother after this. And told her? Told her yeah. that you did that, and I and I said, "What the parenting that 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 my father never ever ever taught me how to do something like this, and I never taught my kids how to do this. That it's disgraceful. Well, it really is just, disgraceful. No, 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 no. You don't. You you taught them all stuff about humor and, and a lot uh, good that's going to do them." Well, I wouldn't worry about it. But it did. How'd you do? Did you have to write out the script of what you were going to do, what you were going to ask for when you went to the to the uh, man store? I went to the man store <laughs> and I said, uh, I, I need to do something manly. I've got mice. And they're oh, you didn't have an agenda with the putty knife and the spackle? No, I had no idea. I thought I was going to get that. You uh, went for advice? I went. I thought I'm going to. Yes. I, I thought I was going to get a silicone spray. Breast implants? I was, thought I was going to get breast implants. And then the mice would suck off my teeth and die from <laughs> silicone poisoning. But that oh, they, don't, they don't sell breast implants at at Home Depot. So I, I went in there. I said, don't. I said, I got holes in my walls that are that the mice are coming in. What, what do you recommend? I said, I saw I the got holes in my wall. That's a song right there. <laughs> I got holes in my walls. Everything you you know, I'm I'm so sensitive to first lines. Of uh, I got holes you know, in my walls and mice droppings Nobody, on my I don't stove. Know if everybody, uh, Heard that comment on uh, by Dave from PA about milk. You oh, know, about uh, too, too much pus in my milk. Too much pus you in know, my milk. Worst yeah, first line ever. <laughs> <laughs> I, there's too much pus worst in my first, milk. Yeah, that's not going to work. Dave in PA has a cow, and and he says, yeah, if you, right. If you take good care of their udders, there'll be no pus in your milk. And you said, that's the worst God, first line of a song that. ever. That's terrible. I got my, I got holes in my wall. I got holes in my wall. And What's droppings this? on my stove. And droppings on my stove. What rhymes with stove? <laughs> Carl Rove. These things have to be worked out slowly. Carl Rove. While I'm away. You know, I often write a song while I'm waiting to go on because sometimes <laughs> there's a little bit of a delay. Right. I had one uh, that 
you know, that's where I came up with the putty knife song. But anyway, yeah. Um, so, hey, I have, I have something. but I, I did. I actually found it satisfying uh, to to put the putty on the wall, yeah, and scrape it. And and so far, they're they're not able to get through the wall. And I made it. Well, I made a decision. I said, "What do you want here?" I said, "I want it. I don't. I know you can't get rid of mice in New York City, but I don't want to see them." And yeah, I, well, and that's I, good. Yeah. So they can, uh, you know, uh, Dan was talking, mice can get in anywhere. You know, it didn't surprise me that they ended up in your stove because there's probably smells in there that they like, you know, like, oh, it's food, it's food left over, you know. That's where I dry my socks. Why would they? Well, there they go. They're the cheese. Uh, they they, they love cheese. Sort of they deal. love the smell of cheese. No, I don't dry my socks in the stove. Okay, good. I, that's because the stove doesn't work, but I would dry my, I, I would, I would wash my clothes. I have a dishwasher. I would wash my clothes in a dishwasher and dry it in a stove. Would I that would work? wash my clothes in a dishwasher <laughs> and dry it in my stove. See, everything's a first line yeah. of a song. That's a good, that's a good first yeah. line. Because I don't, I don't want to go to the laundry room. I don't want to go to the laundry room. <laughs> it's just like slow jamming the news. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't want to see other people's lint in the dryer. I don't know There's what, I, I don't know what right lint there. is. I, I am sure it's, Professor Ann mm -hmm. Lee knows what lint is. I have no idea what lint is, but it really creeps me out when I see lint. Even my own lint, I get disgusted by. Hmm. What is lint? Uh, it's just fibers, Dave. Just fibers that are coming off. Like your things are disintegrating. It's just the world is falling apart. Everything will be lint at some point. But I thought it was... What do you give up for lint? <laughs> oh, you're not... Okay. No, I thought it was like skin. Oh, I hope not. I think it's skin and... Yeah, my wife says that too. That all dust is is skin flakes and and, and, and cockroach and cockroaches. Well, I don't know about and that. And insects. Yeah, maybe so. I thought you had a good show today. I really liked uh, it was a great you show. and Jim Merle. I, I like listened to you kind of slowly lurch towards something funny. It was a really right. <laughs> wonderful discussion. I, I said to Jim, Let, let's let's try <laughs> to keep it a little light. It was funny. It was yeah. very funny. Sometimes Jim and I the problem is Jim I know I've known Jim since nineteen something. And so yeah. we, we take liberties with each other that I wouldn't take with other people. But he is yeah. he is funny. And so is Martha. So they're, they're 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 wonderful. How's your stabbing cabin in Kansas? Well, I th you know we've been having rain here today, like crazy rain. The too much rain. It's really weird. It's drought in California, and we we're like the most rain we've had. We've we got flooding in the streets and stuff. A lady was found washed away in her car and just an hour away from us. But um, wow. I'm hoping that the the new roof is holding in Kansas. I got to call the guys doing the. I'll go up there. I'll go up there soon. Now, what so, can you uh, do around the cabin? What what can you do? Well, I have. Uh, do you have, a, you a, have a big putty. You have a putty knife. 
Oh, I have all the tools there. I have, we have a limestone in the garage that I'm going to, uh, that I've used to build uh, uh, flower beds and I'm going to use, use it to build up walls and things. And I've done, I've done uh, woodworking and painting and sanding and that kind of stuff. But I, I don't do plumbing. Plumbing's hard. I wouldn't do that. I, I could see no. in another life how that would be very satisfying to me. I'm caught up in uh, software programs that oh, yeah. are all That's consumers. And, and they do an update. Like Apple does an update, and then all of a sudden, this stops working. Like now. Or you get a new computer and none of your software. Can you hear that? Heck yeah. Okay. I heard that. So I finally figured out... And by the way, a lot of your songs are on an old hard drive. I have a lot of them. I want to talk to you about this. I want to make sure I have all the songs. Uh, I'll just resend everything. Okay. If you want. I would love that. Thank you. And what happens is you have a system in place to produce the show. And Tim Cook from Apple says, no, you're not going to produce. You're not going to use this software because we're going to update your operating system so this software is no longer right. compatible until they do the update and all of a sudden something doesn't work that used to work and it's like it affects my mood i become well of course it does you know yeah of course i wish i you're a, you're a slave to software i'm a There's slave another, that's a good song that's a good first line yeah i'm a slave to software i my mood is determined by whether or not the software is working. And I'll be, I had a friend who bought a boat. I said, why, why do you like a boat? And he said, because I think about her all the time. I said, really? He says, yeah, I lie in bed next to my wife thinking about the boat and all the stuff <laughs> that, I, that I need to do. I think about the ropes and I think about... The, the engine and how I need to sand the the sides and and I and I say you're you're next to your wife and you're you're fantasizing about the boat like you know I understand that I you know I um when then we, it turns out he he did a Natalie Wood on her that was why he was, oh, no I'm kidding <laughs> I, I didn't know that was a verb yeah Natalie Wood. Uh, so you, I, you, you, I understand that you can get upset. I got obsessive for a while, about a year ago or more than a year ago, about the house when we first bought it up in Kansas, because there were a lot of problems and slowly we're getting them fixed. But I would lay there and just kind of think about, okay, how are we going to do the, uh, what's, what are we going to do first? We're going to fix the sewer. Or are we going to fix the, uh, the roof? Or are we going to fix the, you know, the drainage problem or, you know, the house is sinking into the ground. And so, there's it's really uneven so it's it's a real problem and i don't know if we'll ever be able to fix that without but it's on a lake well yeah yeah we're we're uh, a block away from the beach on a little cove it's very it's very picturesque very kansas so is is this how kansas. it works with my when i was younger when i was like a kid i always thought uh, you know i would have a like a farm or something and be out in the woods it's not too late, David. Yes, it is. 
<laughs> I'm going to buy the farm before I buy a farm. <laughs> the the oh. idea of being out in the country now, not as a guest. I'll be a guest so I can tell you everything you're doing wrong. But the idea of being out in the country in a cabin, there, I would never relax. Manner, I would, it, it would not be that. relaxing to me. Well, if you had people to do everything, it would be. I don't want people in my cabin. <laughs> well, you're a city guy. Just face it. I, I'm a, a nothing guy. guy. I'm a nothing guy. I hate the city. I hate the <laughs> suburbs, the exurbs. I hate the country. I, 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 there's nothing that appeals to me. Nothing. You know, people, when I was getting ready to retire, people, where are you, where are you going to go? When, where are you going to live when you retire? And I'm going like, and both my wife, wife and I, we go like, we had no desire to be anywhere else other than here because we like this little town and we, all our friends are here and, you know. But I did watch a Rick Steves thing about Sicily tonight on uh, while we were eating dinner. And I'm going like, I could retire there. They were selling homes there for a dollar in Sicily. No way. Yeah, there was, there was a town that had been abandoned and they had all these homes and they said, here, we'll sell them for a dollar. And then they had to rescind it because it was too much of a hassle for the city. By the way, you know where I'm happiest? In a hotel room. Give me a nice hotel room. Okay. A nice hotel. It's got to be, you know, like a Motel 6 or better. <laughs> uh, but no, a nice hotel is where I'm happiest. And I just have a, like a, a valise and I, you know, my socks and my underwear and some woolite. And you just wash your underwear and your socks and dry it. And you, you put your, you know, you, you rotate your socks and your underwear. You, bring, you have like one or two pairs of underwear right. on the road. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And some jeans and a t-shirt and a Kindle. There are people that travel that way. And a sex doll. I, I, I once, and a sex doll. Once, <laughs> a sex doll. But one that doesn't <laughs> nag and emasculate me. Do these new, one, these new ones one are that... so accurate. It's <laughs> terrible. <laughs> we once had a guest artist. His name is Doc Cheatham. Great trumpet player. He was 92 at the time. And he told me, and he was, he got off the airplane and he'd been on the road. He'd been to the St. He's been to the New Orleans Jazz Fest for 10 days and the Atlanta Jazz Fest for, for another week. And he was traveling with a suitcase that was like, like maybe two feet by 12 inches with a belt around it. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of our big tasks while I hosted him was to find bar soap. He didn't like the hotel bar soap. He said, I wash out my socks and my underwear. He did. Yeah. He was doing the th he was doing the thing. Two pairs of underwear, two pairs of socks, wash them out. He was 92, 93. The next thing we see, he says, uh, I need to go buy two cigars. And I said, just two? He says, I'm 92. I don't plan ahead. <laughs> I thought if he's 92, he's buying an extra pair of underwear. I think he needs more. <laughs> I hope so. Anyway, that was, but he had also said that in 1939, he was with the Cab Calloway Orchestra wow. in, in Paris. And he said he, back then, he said, I traveled with a trunk. I had my records. I had 10 pairs of shoes. I had suits. And he says, I because you travel on trains and you could take a trunk, you know. And you had people carrying stuff. Cap Calloway was a big star. 
And he said they were in Paris the day that the Germans invaded Paris. And he says he was dragging his trunk. He couldn't get a taxi. He was dragging his trunk down the, what is it? That, what's that big, where the arch is? The, the Champs-Élysées. Champs-Élysées. Yeah. He says, and I could hear the, the sirens and the bombs. And I left the trunk. He says, that's the last time I traveled anything but light. He says, I've been traveling on light since 1939. It was a, you know, and I believe every word of it. He was it's, a, it's, an amazing, a it's an amazing feeling to look into a, like a briefcase and realize everything, this is all I need. All I need is, you know, deodorant, toothbrush, toothpaste, a computer, a Kindle, a mixer, a sex doll, some condoms, uh, a, a, a George Foreman grill. <laughs> my own toilet because I can't use I have my own toilet that I travel suppositories. with my suppositories uh, my pillow I have yeah. to travel with my pillow and my spanks. bed I need my bed but it's all spanks. my spanks it all fits no when you look if, if I'm staying in a in a a relatively clean hotel I could be there forever that's the happiest I am but it's nice when it's, you know, something like a, uh, you know, Four Seasons or something like that. Yeah. I stayed at the Four Seasons in, in Marina Del Rey once when I was on the road with the band. And, and I'd been there 15 minutes. And a guy, the, the guy knocks on the door and I come to the, yes. He says, would you like your amenities replenished? <laughs> I go, what? <laughs> your fruit bowl. Do you need more fruit? <laughs> but he said, would you like your amenities replenished? <laughs> Why is it called the Four Seasons in Marina Del Rey? They only have two seasons, spring and summer. <laughs> it was a beautiful hotel. They, they should what. charge for it. Mm. It should be half the price. You're only getting Did two. you ever go to Mar Marina Del Rey when you lived in L.A.? I used to watch Marina Del Rey dance at the airport <laughs> strip joint. That's not true. There used to be a, a strip joint outside LAX. And it was, I'm sure uh, there was. Yeah, it was like right outside. You'd be driving to the airport and you'd always be. In fact, it's where Marshall met Anna Nicole Smith. Remember that millionaire? Yeah, yeah, who, yeah. Who married Anna Nicole Smith. He used to go to the airport strip joint and that's where Anna Nicole Smith. That's a lovely story. But why that's, like what so why do you need like a strip joint near the air like guys are leaving for a flight and they feel they need to <laughs> No, they're just arriving. Oh, they're they're arriving they're in arriving. the They arrive they're arriving. They're on the their trip to LA. And they're going to, you know, they're going to spend, you know, a couple hours in the strip joint before they go to their business meeting, I suppose. Hmm. Something like that. Yeah. Hey, that, that song got a little long, huh? Is it too long to... No. You can't use that again. Sure but, I can. But... Uh, yes, I did stay... Funny? By the way, I stayed, I stayed in the Four Seasons in Chicago. I used to... My a, I had a boss hmm. who didn't like my politics. And he was very wealthy. And he wanted to poison me. So when we traveled, <laughs> he would expose me to how the other half, not the other half, the other 0.1% lived. And yeah. I, because of him, I got to see the inside of some hotels. 
that, as I told my family, it's not love. It's better than love. It feels like <laughs> love, but it's something better. <laughs> they would come into, they would come in and they were so obsequious and would do anything for me. I thought, would they replenish your amenities? They would replenish my amenities. And I thought, okay, this is why horrible people decide, okay, I'm just going to make money and, <sighs> yeah. and just have people pretend to love me. This is better. It's better to have somebody pretend to love you than somebody who loves you and then stops loving you. I'd rather have somebody on the payroll loving me. I Feldman, think that's I more think satisfying. I think there's something wrong with you. <laughs> you there's something seriously wrong with you. <laughs> Even my sex doll has left me. <laughs> oh, that's a good, that's a... My sex doll, yes. Any, if there's a uh, Rodney Dangerfield joke, probably about a sex doll, I'm going to imagine. I was reading yeah. about a, a psychiatrist who treats a man. I'm not making this up who has a sex doll and he's in a long-term relationship with her. I swear to God, I'm not making this up. And he wanted to spice up the relationship. So he brought in another doll. <laughs> I'm not making this up. You're making this I up. I swear to you. The psychiatrist might have been making it up. But I, I never thought people actually used sex dolls. I always thought you would buy, like they were, you you had them as, you buy them as jokes, but apparently they're getting very realistic. And it's. Did you ever watch Silicon Valley? Did you ever no. watch that show? No. That was a really good show. Did they have sex dolls? Well, there's one thing about this one company that's come up with this amazing sex doll. Well, it's a doll. It just reacts to to everything and has, and it it becomes sentient. Is that that the term? Sentient. Sentient, yeah, yeah, right. it becomes, it can, they figured out the algorithms to, like, if it's around you for, you know, 10 or 15 minutes, it kind of sees what you're about, and it kind of plays on that, you know. Well, you didn't come and on this show to talk about sex, but I will tell you this. There are studies, <laughs> they did studies of Japanese millennials who say openly sex is too much of a hassle and there's a new term for that in japan i don't remember what it is but it's just there's they've reached a consensus that it is it is not worth the aggravation to have sex people are giving up on sex and, and, and millennials was and, and fewer and fewer people are having sex by the way i thought the aggravation was part of the thrill <laughs> Some people like the aggravation, you know. People are uh, people are at least in America. People are are having less sex. You would think during the pandemic they would be having more. People are having less sex now, and and uh, more and more men under the age of forty are suffering from impotence, and our sperm counts are diminishing. Yeah, I think I think I brought that up at a at a uh, one of our little chats a while back. I read something about that. Oh. Larry Brown used to have a joke. My my comedian friend, <laughs> he said, "My sperm count is one, but he's a motherfucker." 
That's a good one. Larry Brown is so You have funny. to beep that out. I can't get Larry to come back on the show. Let me beep that. There you go. There a little go. late, but it's yeah. okay. All right. We, I guess we should wrap this up, right? Probably so. Yeah, this is... You're the, the last guest. And I mean the last. This show is... The show is great today. <laughs> it was good. I, David Cobb. I love David Cobb. Yeah. He's, he's, he's uh, got a lot of great ideas. He's very positive... Possumistic. Poss- I love that. That's a great portmanteau. Uh, possumistic. Yeah, I'm possumistic. I'm possumistic. Yeah. That's a great okay. word. I'm possumistic. I'm a, I'm, I'm a possumist. <laughs> possumist. Uh, it means I'm pretty sure. Well, that that thing that's dead is pretending to be dead. That's a possumist. <laughs> you see the possum as half alive. Yes. A possumist. Yes. I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. I don't know what either. Unfortunately, we have to wrap it hey, up. Hey, by the way, last yes. week's uh, the show, the second show last week was only six hours and 47 minutes. You're, you're letting things slip a little bit. I know. Today's show is only going to be six hours and about 40 minutes. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, we're, what are we doing? We're cutting back? Yeah, we're cutting back. It's the summer. Summertime. Yeah. Summertime slump. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Thank you, Mike thanks Steinel. Thanks for playing my song. Mike Steinel. Thanks. Thanks for playing. Thank you for writing these songs. And let's and, and congratulations on the Lifetime Achievement Award. So the, I had a speech uh, written out, but I'll spare it with you. You know, I was going to. We should have an award, a, a Feldo. <laughs> that we, the Feldos. The Feldos. Yeah, yeah. I, I only give. It's you. I think it should be Feldies. The Feldies. Like Emmys. The Feldies. Yeah. Yeah. The we, should, we should have an award show. All right. Thank See you. you. Thank you. Great. What a great, brilliant. That's Mike Steinel. Go to MikeSteinel.com. And I think we're done. Yes, we're done. Uh, Dan Frankenberger has called it quits. And I don't blame him. Let me see if I can remember all the guests that we had. I think I can do it. <laughs> okay. Uh, first up was Dave Cyrus. Finally, we finally got Dave Cyrus. Then it was uh, Mark Breslin, followed by David Cobb, followed by Howie Klein, followed by Judy Gold. Then we had Dr. Harriet Fraud, Professor Adnan Hussein. Then we had... I know I'm leaving somebody out. Martha Previtt and Jim Merle, then Dan Frankenberger in the newsroom, followed by Professor Marianne Cummings, and then Professor Mike Steinel. I left somebody out. I know that. Uh, Thank you all for joining me in the Zoom room. You guys and gals are amazing. If you would like to attend a live taping of The David Feldman Show, go to davidfeldmanshow.com and sign up, and I'll send you a link while you're over there. Sign up for my newsletter. Office hours this Friday. If you go to my website right now and click on office hours, it'll take you right to the link, and you'll be ready to go Friday night at 8 p.m., Come meet some of the most interesting people in the world. Office hours and hours, Friday night, went from 8, Friday night till about midnight, Saturday. 
incredible. You'll meet new people and do great things with other people. It's a, it's an, it's a very humbling, it's very humbling to meet the people in this community. Uh, I just wish they're the chat room. I'm kidding about the chat room. Uh, oh, we have a question. Uh, let's go to Florida. Benji, how are you, sir? Hey, how's it going, brother? How you doing tonight? I'm doing very good. I loved your dog joke last week. Yeah, I appreciate that, man. That's cool. Uh, it's a good Memorial Day show. I like that. Hang on. Let me. Uh, yeah, I got I to gotta apologize, man. I've been told that uh, sometimes I can kind of come off like a dwarf prisoner uh, repelling down a prison wall. I can be a little <laughs> condescending. <laughs> no, hey, uh, I, I got to tell you, I, I just got fired. I had a night job. I was working at Taco Bell. I just got fired. Oh. I, apparently, they caught me on camera sticking my penis in the cheese grater. <laughs> So they fired me and they fired her too. <laughs> no, I haven't. Uh, I kind of got to cut it short. I've been having some problems with my roof. Really? I'm, I don't know other way to play, put it, but um, my roof shingles are kind of similar to your ex girlfriend's. Really? I didn't nail them enough and they ended up at the neighbor's house. <laughs> hey, brother. Hey, uh, that's all I got tonight, man. It's a little late. I'll let you shut her no, down. Those man. are great. Benji. Love you, man. Have a good I love night. you I'll too. Thank you, Benji. Benji's a very right, funny. Benji writes on some of our benefits, and, and and we thank him for all that. How about a hand for Benji? What a crowd. What a great way. Let's end on a high note. Let's end on Benji. What a great way to end the show. Thank you so much for joining us. We're, we're going to be back Thursday to record another episode of The David Feldman Show. Remember to stay strong and protect the weak. It's time right now for the David Feldman Show. He's talking politics and comedy, too. To tell a dirty joke if you want him to. He's just a lefty from way back. He's a union man with an Emmy for writing. Someday he's mad and he feels like fighting. It's time right now for the David Feldman Show To get your ears on right, buckle in real tight He's got a lot to say and he's coming your way Thank <laughs> you.